Hey folks, Shag here. Just a quick note before we get started. Uh, the original intention was to air the coverage of issues number 5, 6, and 7 all as one episode for the Who's Who and the Legion of Superheroes podcast. However, man, that would have been six hours of time once it got done with the editing, and I just, I, I didn't feel right putting that out there. So, what we're going to do is I'm breaking it up into two different episodes. So, what you're about to hear is the coverage for issues 5 and 6, and then tomorrow we'll release the coverage for issue number 7. So, you don't have a long wait, so uh, I won't feel like you've been waiting 30 centuries for all of this. So as you're listening, you will hear reference to it being six hours. You'll hear reference to doing five, six, and seven all in one episode. Just want to let you know that is the plan. So enjoy this episode and check back tomorrow for coverage of issue number seven. Whoa, what is that, Ted? I don't know, Bill. It's the Legion of Superheroes. Dawn Star, Bouncing Boy, Comet Queen, Reflecto, Star, Finger Spider Girl, Validus and Mano, Persuader, Time Trapper, Dominators, Grim Boy, Duo Damsel, Lightning Lass, Super Moby Dick of Space. So, what's next? Uh, I don't know. Something about Arm Fall Off Boy? This is Shag's deal. Okay. They're all part of the Legion! Who's who? Yo, Saturn Girl is hot. Hello, and welcome back to the 30th century, with this episode celebrating Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, the definitive guide to the 30th century's greatest heroes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. This episode, we are finishing our coverage of the seven-issue Who's Who in the Legion miniseries from 1987 and 1988. Now, due to the length of this miniseries, we're covering multiple issues each episode. And today, we've got a block-sized edition. See what I did there? Blocks? Uh-huh. Okay, anyway, we're going to attempt to cover the last three issues, number five, six, and seven. As with the previous episodes, I'm joined by my friends from the Legion of Superbloggers. Now, later in this episode, we'll hear from Dr. Angie Siskoid. But right now, with me for this fifth issue, I am joined once again by my buddies, and I use that term loosely, Little Russell Burbage and Kyle Benning. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for being here. Hello from Rimbor. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me and not kidnapping me this time. So. Oh, that's a whole different show for Justice League International people. These people aren't going to uh, get that joke. It's all on one feed. <laughs> Well, apparently, you know, we got a lot of feedback from the last two episodes of the show. I mean, and by a lot, I mean a freaking metric crap ton of feedback. And weirdly enough, in none of the comments do they say, don't have Russell or Kyle back. So I had no choice but to allow you guys to come back to the show, and I'm kind of glad you're here. And specific to that feedback, folks, your letters, your notes, your cards, your postcards, all of that, we are going to cover them on the next episode of the Who's Who show after this one. It's going to be an all-feedback episode. It's going to be Rob, myself, and Siskoid. We're going to be covering your feedback from Who's who in Star Trek and who's who in Legion, and then, then we have a very special treat, which I can't tell you about yet, because it's a secret, but it's going to be pretty freaking interesting. All right, guys, we have got a ton of comics to cover this time, so I have got to move this along very, very quickly. We can't spend all the time we have in the last, each, last two episodes were four hours each, and now if I let Russell talk too much, this one could be six hours just for this issue, so we can't let that happen. So we're going to move fairly quickly, folks, so forgive us. We, we, we may have to give short shrift to some characters. Sorry, Ollie 3. <laughs> and on episode one, we covered both both Russell and Kyle's origin with the Legion, so we're going to be skipping right over to that. So why don't we skip 
as I said, and right to our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, for each one of these episodes, we have chosen an InStockTrades pick, something from their library that's related to Legion. So why don't we start with you, Russell? What do you got for us this time? I have got the collected works of JSA, Volume 1, Justice Be Done. Estimated retail value at uh, $17.99, but it goes for $10.43, which is a whopping forty. Two percent off. It reprints the Justice Society series JSA one through five and JSA Secret Files number one. And before anybody writes in and says, Russell, we're not talking about who's who in the Justice Society. Wait a minute. This is the storyline that introduces more Drew. Yes, more Drew into the current DC universe continuity. So it's by James Robinson and David S. Goyer, Scott Benefiel and Steve Sadowski. And it's absolutely worth your time and money. Uh, JSA Justice Be Done. It is such a good series. Such a good series. Yes, it is. It's hard to believe that David Goyer went from that to yeah, fucking yeah. nightmare to this man of steel. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like as soon as I said David Goyer, I'm like, oh, Kyle's going to say something about him. <laughs> speaking speaking of feedback and stuff. So, again, I'm going to cross the streams here. Every time I'm on, I get a little loose with my uh, tongue here. and Yes, you uh, do. Language here on uh, Fire and Water. Rob always has to comment in, oh, potty mouth Kyle on there. I would like to point out that I put out close to 200 episodes of my own solo podcast before I let that fade into oblivion. And there were a total of four swear words said in those nearly 200 episodes. And Rob, in his guest appearance in one episode, dropped two of those four. So just going <laughs> to throw that out there. He made up 50% of the swears in the King Size Comics Giant Size Phone podcast feed. Hey, you're going to have to have me on a lot more times to break the 50% swear mark for Fire and Water. <laughs> well, damn, it does sound like that, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, I want to take a second to correct Russell because I really enjoyed doing that. A moment ago, he said that that story introduced Mordrew into the current continuity. Well, don't you really think the Amethyst issues did that, Russell? No. <laughs> and that is the shortest answer you will ever get from Russell, ladies and gentlemen, right there. <laughs> okay, Kyle, what uh, Inside Trades pick did you bring for us today? I ended up going with Showcase Presents Legion of Superheroes Trade Paperback Volume 5. Hmm. I believe this was the last showcase edition that DC put out collecting Legion of Superheroes. It collects uh, Legion number 193, 195, 197 through 220, and then Karate Kid number one, because you're going to have Karate Kid number one. Uh, written by Carrie Bates, primary artist was Dave Cockrum. This would have had uh, some Mike Grell in it, too, wouldn't it have, Russell? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure when it's ended. I didn't catch that last number, but yeah, that would have been the... 220, the 197 220. through 220. Didn't Grell yeah, like around 203 or something like that? Yes, uh-huh, that's right. Beautiful uh, Nick Cardi cover of mm. going on a rampage. I feel like I had to pick this one because I don't do too many uh, posts since I'm lazy for the uh, Legion of Super Bloggers nowadays, but I believe the news that this collection was going to go out was very early in the days of Legion of Super Bloggers and was actually probably the first news article write-up I ever did was for the solicit for ah. this, so a little bit of bringing it full circle, well, I guess. Well, I'll put you on the spot. Did you actually buy it or are you just uh, selling it? I do have it. I do have it. Oh, good. Yes. Good. I think yeah, I got that's a, from my that's... local comic shop instead of mm. getting it for only eleven fifty nine, 42% off by going in stock trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good collection of stuff to, to start out with because it's, like you said, they're mostly backups in Superboy or coming back and becoming the lead feature, and so there's a lot of fun, a lot of cool sci-fi drama in that in those stories. Awesome. Well, my pick is Legion of Superheroes The Curse trade paperback. This giant book is as big as one of the showcases. The showcases are usually 500 plus pages. This thing is also 544 pages, but it's in color! And this thing reprints, oh geez, let's see, Legion of Superheroes 297 
11 to 313, and Annuals 2 and 3. Now this sucker, if you're reading sort of in order, you would read the Great Darkness Saga, which Kyle mentioned, I think I counted 82 times last time he was on the show. And you would finish... <laughs> yeah, probably. You'd finish yeah. Great Darkness I think, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's the only thing he ever read from the Legion, actually. Uh, anyway. So you, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you read Great Dark, Darkness Saga, and then you go straight into The Curse, which, uh, by the name and everything we said on the show, sorry, 30 years later, spoiler, it ties in with the whole Validus thing. Anyway, so it's a massive tome, and, and then take, that takes you right over to the Baxter series. So it's a great collection, uh, written by Paul Levitz, art by Keith Giffen and Larry Malstead, so you know it's awesome. Normally retails for twenty nine ninety nine. You can get it for 42% off right now, so it's only $17.39. And again, it is huge. It's got a lot of pages. You could probably kill a person by hitting them with it, and no one would blame you. So anyway, please head over to InSockTrades.com for all your collected edition needs. Tell them the Fire and Water Podcast Network sent you. All right. So as I said, we've already introduced everybody, so it is time for us to jump into the times here and get this thing going. Who's Who in the Legion, It was, as I mentioned, was a seven-issue series. It's sort of a unique thing. It's not exactly like the previous Who's Who. Uh, the first 10 to 12 pages of every issue starts off with a story or a recap of something. If, for example, this one was going to talk about the Legion Superheroes headquarters. Now, the rest of the issue is dedicated to more traditional-style Who's Who entries. And uh, the traditional ones would be your big main pages. So you're going to have like a full page of, in this case, we're going to have like uh, R.J. Brand. So we'll have a full page of him. We'll have his height, his weight, his, which I guess is variable technically, really. But anyway, him. And you'll have his history and an image of all of him and all that. So in addition to these big full-size pages, there's going to be lots of little ones where maybe you get three characters to a page or four characters to a page or six characters to a page. The more characters you get to the page, the smaller the pictures get. So a lot of them, we get these little postage stamp size, what, uh, what Kyle, I think, dubbed senior class photos. I'm stealing that from him. I don't want to give him credit for it, though. Anyway, they're little senior class photos. So And we'll go through that and explain that as we go through the issue. So... Getting into itself, writer and researcher Barbara Kessel with cons- uh, consulting from Paul Levitz. Editors Mark Wade and Karen Berger. Colorist Carl Gafford. Designer Keith Wilson. And this is, as we said, issue number five. Cover dated September 1988. However, it was on the shelves May 31st, 1988. And thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Now, the cover is by Greg LaRock and Larry Malstead. It is a wraparound cover. And uh, just giving you a real quick picture of what this is. It's it's basically the Legion superheroes hanging out at the Legion HQ, which ties into the theme of the Front part of this uh, issue. The main cover, the, the side that would be facing you on the stands if you're buying it like in a comic shop, I mean, uh, at, a, at a newsstand or something, it is Starboy and Polar Boy sitting at a table playing like a video game, uh, some, some sort of virtual video game where it looks to me virtual versions of themselves in their old costumes fighting is what it looks like. But the yeah. in the foreground, Dream Girl is like startling Polar Boy and uh, and the rest of everyone else, everyone else is hanging out. You know, I can describe this for a while here, but let me let me throw it to you guys. What do you guys think of this cover? Let's start with you, Kyle. Do you remember when we were on Secret Origins together with Al or Van Z? Yep. And did the uh, Secret Origin of the JSA? Absolutely. With that Michael Bear co- cover. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what you said about that? It looks great at first glance, but the more you look at it and pour over it, the yeah. more uh, glaringly obvious some of the more awful yeah. <laughs> uh, anatomy things <laughs> yeah. start to yeah. rear their ugly head. Right. That is yeah. this cover. So yes. on the surface, it's wow. Maybe it's because you get that ass right in your face. Uh, but you start looking at it, and then I look at Lightning Lad there and think, God, his torso is like twice as long as his legs. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it is. And you start looking over. Monel looks pretty solid, which is my favorite Legion character. So outside of Superboy, so at least he looks good on the cover. But start to look at some of the background. 
you really start to see some really wonky anatomy and things that just don't look right uh, depth perception wise it's, it's an all right cover but yeah again it, it looks really awesome at first glance and the more you pour over it the more uh it backs up a little bit certainly it doesn't live up to the uh george perez standard that we kind of had for the majority of the issues in you know original who's who so i guess this is kind of like that that solomon grundy ernie chan cover jeez oh, <laughs> oh. all right Russell. yeah it kind of is I, I kyle you 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 did a very good job describing it because it looks like something that should be good and should be exciting and should be fun and then the more you look at it you're like wait what it it's awful it's what it's my least favorite it's got night girl just standing there with not next to cosmic boy not cheering cosmic boy on i bet you cannot find phantom girl in this picture shag did you do you see her i'm looking now <laughs> yeah she's there but you can't see her you can't find her it's awful the group of characters doesn't make any sense and it's just why is dream girl you know pushing polar boy and his breath isn't painted or, or colored in so you can't really tell that he's breathing you know cold breath it's just it's lazy and it's it's bad the star boy yeah. that looks like that was traced from a burn panel from doomsday plus one when he was at charlton 1976 <laughs> yeah well, that's I th- all i can think of when i see that that looks like very early burn i i'm actually going to reinforce what both you guys said first i'll say with russell it, it is actually my least favorite cover of the whole series so far now i haven't looked ahead yeah. to six and seven so i don't know yet but it's this is my least favorite so far and i would agree with kyle the more you look at it the less impressive it is like i don't even like timberwolf's face and he's sort of like really yeah. center focused in the, on the cover and i don't like invisible yeah. kids two's face and white witch now white witch is that thing on her throat is that normal is that normally there it's usually like some sort of ribbon or something i thought oh it's like a choker it looks yeah 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 uh, a choker. it looks like some sort of cancerous you know growth or yeah something. here it's a birth defect yeah right? she's getting ready to go to the 30th century version of the mayo clinic in rochester minnesota to get that looked at as soon as they get done posing for this cover absolutely right. as you guys know i love myself a beautiful woman but even i'm like dream girl is you know on the regular cover once you unfold it is exactly what kyle said her butt is right in the camera like really that's a really over the top unnecessary cheesecake i i the only persons that really are done well is Monel and shadow last really i mean and even shadow last her legs look kind of weirdly skinny now that i look at it okay where's phantom girl yeah. i give up i can't find her she's colored as part of wildfire but it looks like ultra boy has holding her on the couch talking to Dawnstar. ah yep i see her ponytail <laughs> that's yeah that's the only part of it you know <sighs> and when you put put ponytail in the corner yeah nothing's gonna work no, wow. You don't put fan in the corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Um, That's what I was looking for. Yeah, that. sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, even though it's the Legion hanging out, it should be fun. It really doesn't work. And am I right in saying that's like old Starboy fighting old Polar Boy in the virtual game? Is that right? And, and old Timberwolf's in there, too? Well, I would say that looks a little bit like Wolverine. Oh, well, okay. Well. So where's Block? Or is Block just sitting there watching? Yeah, it's just badly executed because yeah. it that sounds like a cute idea. But, yeah, it's just kind of... Yeah. All right, you know what? I think yeah. we've probably given this thing more time than it really deserves. So let's move on. Probably more time than Greg LaRock gave it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as you go inside, there is the, there is the ten page story here. It is the headquarters of the Legion of Superheroes. It's a tour. It's sort of one of these news magazine shows that they've done every issue. You know, like a video news magazine, like you'd see on sixty Minutes or, or Entertainment Tonight or something like that. And your host here is Harmonica Dada esque, which is like a bizarrely funny name. And it's the art is by Chuck Austin, Jim Sanders, and Keith Gibbon. And it is this girl 
Carl Harmonica giving a tour of the Legion headquarters with Phantom Girl. You tell me if Phantom Girl's going to be in this thing, and I'm like, woohoo, okay, great. Uh, but when you get to page three, Chuck Austin has drawn her like somebody out of the Cherry Pop-Tart comic. I'm sorry. Again, yeah. me, I love myself a beautiful woman. Even I'm like, whoa, that is way too much, ladies and gentlemen. The the look on her face, the, the breast pouring out of her shirt and everything, no, too much. Even I think that's too far over the top there. So but just to hit a couple of highlights that are in here, because we want to get to the entries. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Quick question. Yes. And this, this is going to data when we're recording this as well. Did Chuck Austin ever draw any for uh, Penthouse Comics at all? <laughs> it, it does look like something out of that, doesn't it? Well, the reason I bring that up is there was a post on Back Issues Facebook page by Kondu Arlick, one of the members of our Legion of Superbloggers, actually is the one that had the post that was about Penthouse Comics and all the prolific 70s and 80s Bronze Age comic artists that went and worked there. And so I'm curious <laughs> if Chuck Austin was included in that. Wow. I, I'm sure Kondo read that just purely for research sake. Yeah. <laughs> so on the same page with this ridiculous picture of Phantom Girl, you get a map of the Legion of Superheroes headquarters, which is kind of cool. It's you know, like a little you know, cutaway schematic. So you see all the different rooms and tells you all the different bits about it, which is fun. There is a shot of the trophy room, and there's some Easter eggs in there, according to Mark Wade. You could look for. There is a uh, the Hall of Heroes, which of course is you know they're celebrating our lost Legion members. There is uh, apparently. <laughs> This is when you know it's really the 80s. They go in one place where two characters are playing a, quote, virtual game of advanced Dungeons & Dragons. I kid you not, it is called by name, it doesn't have the trademark TSR, any of that, but it is advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which is absolutely nuts. And then uh, we get a nice shot towards the end of the monitor board with all those symbols that I know Russell and I absolutely love. And it's got all these different various symbols up there. I see Porcupine Pete, which makes me happy. And yeah, that's, that's the gist weird. of that's the gist of the story. And it ends with like a little funny bit. Do you guys have anything to say about that story before we move past it? I see that they reused the schematic of the headquarters that was drawn by Keith Giffen that appeared in the annual or when Brainiac blew it up or something. This is the same map that was also used, I think, in the Who's Who original series. You know, so they've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. I was thinking that, but they've redrawn yeah. the text bubbles because like the one that yeah. I saw was actually rather funny. Like one was like, "Here's Brainiac 5's place, and here's the room where everything explodes that Brainiac Five does," and it was it was a little more funny. This one was just kind of eh. well. That text is in here somewhere as as something Phantom Girl says, isn't it? It seems like I saw that somewhere in here. Yeah, um, I don't know how closely I paid attention on the front page. I want to get to the entries. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I do like the Hall of Heroes, and it was interesting that they included Reflecto on the far left, and then Mentala, who was probably the newest mem- member. She's not really a member. She right. was a Legion Academy person who died most closely to the issuing out of this story. I, I was surprised to see her there, and you know we covered her last episode of, of, the, of this yeah. podcast, so I was kind of surprised to see her there, but that was kind of cool. Alright, here's our first entry, folks. It is Mordrew, and I'm going to throw this one over to my good buddy, Little Russell Burbage. Russell, why don't you tell us about Mordrew? Mordrew, Master of the Dark Arts. He's from the Sorcerer's World, also known as Xerox. His illustration is by Kyle Baker. He is the Sorcerer Supreme that uh, has faced the Legion a couple times. He made his debut in Adventure Comics number 369 when Shadowlass accidentally freed him from a prison located underneath the Legion headquarters. Turns out that he had faced the Legion before, maybe three years ago, and we had never heard about him. Then Shadowlass accidentally released him, and he came very close to destroying the Legion due to his dark mystic abilities. He was stopped in part by the, with the help of the honorary Legionnaires Lana Lang and Pete Ross. Power-wise, he was master of the dark arts. He learned everything he could from the sorcerer's world, and then 
improved on it by babbling in this, that, and the other. Uh, this includes the ability to change his form. He can vaporize his foes and, and take mental control of his enemies. His weakness, however, is claustrophobia, both the acute fear of being buried alive and actually being buried alive. If he is uh, surrounded by Earth, then he loses his powers, and that is the way that the Legion keeps defeating him. He's fought the Legion quite a few times, but most famously was his debut appearance, again, Avenger 369 and 370, and then during the Earth War, which was by Paul Levitz and Jim Sherman, 245, Superboy Legion 245 especially was his grand power grab. Eventually, his power was mostly siphoned off by Darkseid during the Great Darkness Saga, then the White Witch and some of the elders of the Sorcerer's World performed a cleaning ritual on his soul and kind of revived him as a novice. Then he lived on Xerox until the Magic Wars, and after that, his whereabouts are unknown. However, he was linked to Amethyst of Genworld, a series that nobody I know ever read or knows anything about, so we'll pass over that part of it. (laughs) Hold on, Um, I I can shed a little light there real quick. (laughs) Amethyst had many attempts at ongoings in the 80s and miniseries. She had her initial 12-issue miniseries, Amethyst, Princess Genworld. Then she had an ongoing series, which went for like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 issues that petered out. Then, in 1987, there was a four-issue miniseries, and that is where Mordru was introduced into that mythos, and that's where they said that Mordru actually comes from the modern age, the 20th century, rather than the 30th century. So that's where that happened. In 1987 is when they reckoned that. Uh, okay, because, yeah, there prices. was some bit with the very last few issues of the Baxter series of Legion had some Amethyst kind of continuity in there, but I didn't ever pick up any Amethyst issues, so I really didn't understand any of those connections. But basically, he was supposedly a, a lord of chaos, and then he was personified and fought her for a little while, and then that was where he was originally from, and then, you know, a thousand years later, <clears throat> he appeared on the Sorcerer's World, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Currently, uh, he's most famous as being a, a foe of Dr. Fate and the Justice Society and current DC Universe, and I'm not sure whatever happened to him after the Justice Society sent him in to live in the uh, helmet of uh, Naboo, I, I think was the last place I ever saw him. Uh, he's wearing some sort of purple smock and green leggings, and he's got this um, green and red magic beanie. Uh, with wings on it, and he's kind of like the anti-Santa Claus, sort of. Don't want to cross more group. Um, the drawing by Kyle Baker is okay. Perspective's a little wonky. I think his legs are really kind of thin, and his, his upper torso is really kind of bulky, but kind of looks like Odin a little bit. Yes. Uh, I would have liked a little bit more thunder and lightning and, and stuff going on around him instead of him just standing there, you know, kind of, what is that called? You know, aiming his fingers at you and not really doing anything. But what do you guys think? Well, I've got questions. They they, they refer to this first appearance that we never saw. Did, did they ever go back and tell it to us? No, okay. they never did. So we've never seen his first Battle of the Legion. Okay, fair enough. Now, I will tell you my absolute favorite Mordru appearance is actually in a cartoon. It's in Justice League Unlimited animated mm. series. There was an episode, it was the Booster Gold episode, The Greatest Story Never Told, and it's all about Booster Gold being relegated to the sidelines while the rest of the Justice League fight Mordru. So you don't actually see Mordru that much, but it is mm. a brilliant episode, and Mordru is just large as a city skyscraper and stuff, and it's it's very, very funny. It's my favorite appearance of Mordru, even though he doesn't. he's not the main focus. Mm. That is a good episode. Yep. I do love his weakness. That's a very cool Silver Age kind of thing, that, you know, when he gets claustrophobically trapped, he's 
loses his power like that. I just want to say the last thing is like, you know, they stripped him all his powers, wiped his memory to give him a fresh start and put him back, you know, in a, in a world surrounded by magic because that would never possibly go wrong on you because those, those types of things never go wrong. I'm just saying. Yeah. That's a popular thing to do for white haired megalomaniacs. We did that with two, uh, Magneto and X-Men as well. That's Joseph, right? That's exactly what – wasn't that what they called him, Joseph? That's exactly what I was thinking of when they did the same thing with Magneto. (laughs) Um, The one other thing about Mordru is that he's one of the few Legion characters who Rob Kelly knows about because, (laughs) one, he appeared in the limited collector's edition Treasury reprint uh, starring the Legion. So Rob had to buy that and has read it. He also appeared on TV as Legends of Superheroes played by actor Gabriel Dell. So he was one of the few DC villains who has been Hollywoodized. And he was in the JLA JS. Say Legion team up, which again Rob was had to have read, and that was Justice League uh, 147 and 148. So he's been around. D- don't don't push the the Rob issue too much. I and mean, we're already at least 15 minutes into this, so Rob's already turned it off. Don't worry, Russell. He's not listening anymore. Never mind then. He probably hit delete, dropped that first f bomb. <laughs> <laughs> as far as Kyle Baker goes. Uh... I like Kyle Baker stuff a lot of times. I, I didn't really care for his Cosmic King he did last issue, or last no. episode. And this one's cooler. I'll give you that. It is pretty go. It's not bad, but it is, it is a really weird choice for, compared to, you know, sitting right next to a Kurt Swan kind of thing. You know, it's just, it, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't, just, doesn't work here for me. Just wait till yeah. we get to Pulsar Stargrave. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I've read the whole issue uh, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I like Mordrew. He's definitely, uh, one of the big bads I think of when I think of the Legion. Yeah. Um, my first exposure to him definitely would have been in the Treasury reprint. I picked that up from a garage sale when I was fairly young and absolutely love that story. I was young enough that he did come across as pretty terrifying in that Treasury edition. Um, yeah. Entry is pretty solid. Kyle Baker's style that works for me most is his more overly cartoony style like that he had for uh, the early 2000s Plastic Man series. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was awesome. I recently, yeah. I've always heard people talk about that and I recently got my hands on it and ripped, ripped through that series. I love it. His style here, not a fan of. I've never been a fan of it. Uh, I guess my primary exposure to this era, Kyle Baker, would probably be the covers to Action Comics Weekly, which I just mm-hmm. typically did not care for when he was the artist for. Yeah. Um, that said, this is a fairly solid entry, I think, especially compared to the Pulsar Stargrave one we're going to get to later. My biggest complaint with it is, what the hell's going on with his beard? Did, did something not transfer? Or, you know, we get a little bit of beard definition on his right side, and then the left five-eighths of his beard or so <laughs> is just white space, like negative space. There's no hair definition in there or anything, which just I looks kind of odd. Important. I think it's on purpose, though, because, you know, if you look at the shadows, it's the same way with the shadows. Once he's in shadows, there's no definition either. So I think he's there's sort still, of... A, there's still the occasional, like, pink or purple lines in there to break up the shadows. So it's just... Okay. It's weird. just right. doesn't doesn't work yeah. for me. Yeah, it doesn't work for me either. I, I see what you're saying, and I, I think, I think Shag, I, I don't say this very often, but I, I think you're right. It was, they were trying to do, he was trying to do something with the shadow and stuff, but again, the coloring and the, the effort just didn't, didn't gel. The, right. the biggest, the biggest takeaway I get when I, I look at Kyle Baker from this era, unfortunately, is it reminds me of Keith Given from this era and mm. mentioned many, many times. I do not care yeah, for late way. 80s style Keith Giffen. And you're going to love this issue. All right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, I'm going to get us moving along again so that we're not in, going into hour six of this thing. The irony is this thing may end up being six hours long anyway. So, and we won't yeah, know right, until yeah. it's actually done. All right. Up next is one of these shorter entries. We get four to a page this time. This is a third of a page. This picture for Nightwind. Uh, not to be confused with someone cool like Nightwing. Uh, art by Nate Butler and Jim Mooney. It is Berta 
Sky Harris of Earth. She has the ability to manipulate wind currents, and the, the texture suggests that this is a power that is passed down to the females in her family. May even be tied to the hormonal cycle, it says here. Anyway, she's wearing a gray cloak. I, no, I'm not making this stuff up, folks. And she's got yellow skin, and she has this black sort of design around her eyes, which looks a little reminiscent of the, if you remember Dark Knight Returns, there was a Sons of the Bat who had the eye makeup. A little bit like that, but in black. And based on the entry, Russell, I'm going to suppose that this is another one of those contest winners. The ones yes. where... Okay, yeah, because the name Berta Sky Harris is just a little too on the nose. It sounded like someone in modern day whose name was funky Yeah. So that was what, an Amazing World of DC Comics or something the contest was run? Or Legion? Where was that contest yeah, run? That was Amazing World of DC Comics. They had a Legion Outpost article in it every for the last five or so issues, and they always had like one or two characters that the readers had sent in, and she was one of them that got into the comic, and then, then they changed her. This look is is totally Keith Giffen from circa Legion 304-ish, whatever that series story was right after Great Darkness where they visited the Legion Academy. It's called The Curse. Um, it's in the Curse Trade paperback. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there you go. Deluxe, then you know all about her. But yep, she was there. she was actually one of the colorful, showing a lot of skin girls from the origin of Block from the Jerry Conway run. <laughs> okay. If you remember what I'm talking about, that series where she had basically was wearing a swimming suit and she was I guess she was the yellow with green hair girl instead of the blue, light blue with blue hair girl. I think one of them. And then she got she turned into this after Keith Given got his hands on her. OK. First appearance, Legion of Superheroes, number 272. Oh, that would have been the Block story. All right. One thing I want to add that has nothing to do with Nightwind, but uh, <laughs> Ru- Russell mentioned the uh, Legion Outpost articles in uh, Amazing World of DC Comics. Yeah. Keep your eye out on uh, Tomorrow's website whenever they have sales because they have a uh, the best of Legion Outpost. Like they put out in like a companion style that reprints yes. a lot of those original fanzine articles. Mm-hmm. I picked that up for, on sale for like four bucks probably two years ago. It's an awesome read. Really interesting. Great to look back at the one of the first fanzines. And they had a lot of influence on kind of the direction of Legion comics and stuff. Uh, Kyle, is, the, the Silver that the Age, one that so has... that's a, a really great read. So keep your eye out on that. And try to snag it cheap next time. Uh, Tomorrow's has it on sale. Kyle, is that the one that has the colorful Dave Cockrum cover on it, and it just basically has articles about you know the the the, the then current Legion stories or the Superboy backups and stuff like that? Yep, yep. It's, okay. They took yep. some of the more popular articles from that fanzine when it was running and repurposed them. Yep. So they've done that, that with I... a number of their companions. They've done that for the original run of Alter Ego in the '60s and. Really? Huh. Yeah. yeah I've really read that one, and it's really a, it's kind of a time capsule because you, yeah. Know, yeah, it you is. have things saying, well, you know, Duo Damsel should maybe marry Bouncing Boy. And the editor's like, well, we'll see. And we all know yeah. how that ends, so it's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. All right. Just going to ignore both of you and keep going. Uh, up next is Omega, or as some people call him, Omega, if you're a Doctor Who fan. Uh, this guy is a energy oh construct created by Brainiac 5 during one of his periods of madness. Yay. Thanks, Brainiac 5. And basically, it has to do with the Miracle Machine, and Brainiac basically fed all of the negative emotions of Earth into this thing, and it became the living embodiment of fury. In the end, they defeated it by bringing Matter Aider Lad in, and he actually ate the Miracle Machine, which drove him crazy, too. So thanks a lot, B5. We really appreciate that. Art by Nate Butler and Jim Mooney. First appearance, Superboy, number 250. Now, I have a question for you, Russell. Did Omega, or Omega, uh, kill anyone? Uh, no. He did not. Okay. Because no. they, they make him sound all huge and massive and furious and all this stuff, and I'm thinking, you know, if he killed somebody, then Brainiac 5 really, 
really should be held accountable for this. Yeah. Well, During the, the, that two, two issue story, he was, you know, pummeling through the universe to get to Earth and he came to Metropolis and he destroyed buildings and, and various things. And then the Legion headquarters was destroyed. But like two issues later or something, it's like, well, thankfully nobody was killed during that rampage, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, really? Okay. Cause somebody probably thought the same thing you just said. Right. That, Wait, we can't have that happen. So that's I hate uh, this story. <laughs> <laughs> that matter eater lag going uh, crazy though was was a subplot they kept in the background for quite some time because that was one of the many background subplots going out uh, throughout the uh, Great Darkness saga. That uh, yeah. Brainiac Five was kind of off the table because he had kind of put himself in a self-imposed exile because he couldn't be trusted for kind of going crazy on this and. Uh, he was constantly working on trying to find a way to cure Matter Eater Lad of his madness. Yeah, and this also links over to Pulsar Stargrave, and we'll talk about him in a few minutes. And for those Yay. of you playing at home with the Who's Who in the Legion bingo card, if you had the space, Kyle Benning mentions Great Darkness Saga, go ahead and check it off. You're good. Mm. All right. Well, I think I already mentioned it like three times before. Yeah. That, so. Or, yeah, or if, you're at home playing, hey. if you're at home playing the drinking game, you're probably unconscious by now. You guys have weak livers, if that's the case. <laughs> Up next is the character we are not going to spend a lot of time on. I refuse, gentlemen. Ollie Three Queen. Now, this is a descendant of Oliver Queen. Yes, that's right. Green Arrow. He met Brainiac 5 when there was a criminal trying to kill the Justice League of America descendants. Art by Nate Butler and Jim Mooney. First appearance, Legion of Superheroes number 290. I have uh, two things to say about this. Not only is he a descendant of Oliver Queen, he looks identical to Oliver Queen. The other thing is this may be the first example of elite speak ever because his name is O-L-I hyphen three. So it's almost like the three is supposed to be an E, which would make it Ollie, Ollie Queen. So this may be the first lead speak, ladies and gentlemen. Well, since we know what length speed is, and this is a thousand years in the future, future, I guess it's not really the first, is it? I guess not. I guess not. Thanks for pointing that out. Although, a little timey-wimey, wibbly-wobby, I think there. It's really great that all of our Queen's descendants apparently uh, all have the same uh, interest look. in women, I guess, to keep the look oh, yeah. going. <laughs> God, I would hope my uh, descendants a thousand years from now look a lot different than I do. But I've met you a taller. few times. For their sake, I hope so, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Oliver Queen's so in love with himself, maybe he just cloned himself. That was a different story. <laughs> All right. Up next is Organus, or Organus, if you're feeling free. Organus. Organus, really? Yeah, just go. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Art by Nate Butler and Jim Mooney. This was a sentient parasitic energy leech. He battled the Legion on Medicus 1. Basically, there was these guys who were, they were organ bootleggers. They were selling illegal organs. And they used this uh, or- Organus, I'm going to keep going with that, to distract the Legion. First appearance, Legion Superiors, 284. That's, also, not, entirely, that's not entirely uh, true. They unleashed him on accident. And the whole reason the Legion was on site is because Timberwolf was getting uh, plastic surgery done on his face, so he looked less feral. Oh, my gosh. Well, I've, Kyle, read, that, I've read that issue. Oh. Kyle, wasn't and that story in the Great Darkness Saga? It was. Gosh. Uh, it was the very first issue collected yes, in the Great Pat Darkness Power. Saga trade. It was a good story, yes. Well, the, can the, I can I peel back the curtain here a little bit? Sure. Great sure. Darkness Saga coverage. No. So, no? You, you know no, where I'm going with this, Russell? Maybe. <laughs> go ahead. So, so, Russell's like, hey, Kyle, I need you to cover something. Get off your lazy ass. So, I'm like, all right, well, I can get around to doing my Great Darkness Saga stuff. So, I was like, the first post is going up tomorrow or whatever. And so, Russell messaged me like, what the hell are you doing? Why is that episode being covered? That has nothing to do with the Great Darkness Saga. Why did you start there? I'm like, well, it's the first issue in the trade paperback collection. So Russell thought I was going to start with like 
288 or something like that. You know, yeah, the one that says it starts things. here, the Great Darkness yeah. saga. That's what <laughs> so he was taken for uh, quite a loop when he got on that morning, and uh, we were quite a few I, issues I before that. But I'm like, let's, let's make sure that that's in there too. I was like, oh, great. Okay, I have the actual issue, so I, I didn't realize yeah. that the trade paperback started that. Early. Yeah, the trade paperback, uh, which they start building the subplots there because yeah, uh, no, I didn't make the, sense. the 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 wrap up really to Great Darkness saga is then that uh, Light Lass uh, leaves, and we really kind of see that turmoil start between her and Timberwolf right here in this issue when he's getting his plastic surgery done. Yeah, right. and it's followed up in some something that's called the cure, the curse. That's also pretty good. From what could I could be, could be, folks. If you don't know Russell that well, please know that he has a whole closet full of angry pants, and he puts them on. I have quite my often. special Legion angry pants on tonight. So. Okay, all right. Hey. <laughs> well, th- this drawing, by the way, is incredibly uninspiring. It's just a little tiny impish face, and he's got like green vegetation around it and stuff like that. It's 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 not real exciting. I'm just saying. I'm surprised they actually did this as an original drawing because this honestly just looks like it was like a someone did a like a Snagit clip with Photoshop out of yeah, like a yeah. panel of the original issue and pasted it in here. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think projects would be better. But anyway, okay. Up next is a full page entry. So we're on one of our main entries. This one's mine. It is called a character named Omen by Keith Giffen and Jim Sanders. This is. Oh, man. Are you seriously going to correct every single thing I pronounce on this whole show? No. I'm, Go ahead. Going, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm going with Omen. Thank you very much. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> why do I ask you? People are not my friends. I don't know why I keep hanging out with you. Anyway, this is a being of unimaginable power. He is basically he observes things. and He observed the suffering of a bunch of people. There was this horrible tragedy that happened, but he didn't interfere. And then he came across this other guy we'll talk about a little bit later who was a lone survivor and he basically kidnapped him and turned him into a character called the Prophet. And the Prophet would go from different place to place and tell people that the Omen was coming. And the Legion battled him at uh, Kundia and uh, ended up defeating him. Dream Girl, of all people, used a Negaton bomb, which shifted him into a dimensional rift. Now, that's a pretty vague description throughout here, but basically when I'm reading this, I'm getting a real vibe of like a Galactus and Silver Surfer kind of thing here. Is that sort of on on key there, Russell? Uh, yeah, I think so. Was this not reprinted as part of the curse? Or is this after that? Uh, actually, it should be included. Yes, in it that. is included in the curse. I don't okay. recall the specifics of it though. Yeah, I I recall this story as being one of those. Oh my gosh, it's the Legion's version of Galactus and the Silver Surfer, and then it kind of fizzed out and it gotcha. was not much. Well, he, he's got this body. It's, it's an all-white bodysuit and it's glowing sort of orangey-yellow. It, it's a human-age-shaped guy, uh, but he's, his face is, is very strange. It's got kind of like Chameleon Boy's head where it's bald with pointy ears and orange and everything. But he has absolutely no eyes and no antennas either. But uh, He's got this large cloak with a huge kind of upturned Doctor Strange collar. Make, it would make Doctor Strange jealous, actually. And it's got flowers uh, etched all on the side of it. I mean, it's very, very Keith Giffen from the late 80s, early yeah. 90s. I mean, really looks like it, especially the head. I mean, that's a look he would use in the uh, yes. five year later all the time. The no eyes thing, because yeah. because it's, it's unsettling looking at somebody without eyes. And I was doing when I was doing my prep for this episode, I was I was on this entry. And my wife actually walked by. And she's like, "What are you looking at?" And she's looking at this character, and she just keeps like scratching her head and thinks it's just weird as hell. And finally, she's reading. It says marital status single. She goes, "Of course he's single. No one would want to marry that guy." And then she just walked off. <laughs> so that was her contribution to the episode, folks. First appearance, Legion of Super. Heroes 309. I'm actually uh, surprisingly kind of high on this one, actually. Uh, really? I don't mind it, yeah. it's uh, Artistically it's as... or the character? Yeah, which? 
Just the the visual appearance okay. oh. of, the, of the entry here. Um, it's actually a lot smoother uh, than Keith Giffen would be sometimes during this period. Uh, it's not as you know sketchy or etchy. It's more kind of classic superhero look. Um, it's a interesting, unique character design. Really, what it loses me with is with the damn flowers. But Dude, other, I'm right other, there with other you. Other than the flowers, other than the flowers, you get rid of that. It's a, a pretty interesting, kind of eye-catching, mysterious. Well, who the hell is this character type of thing? So, actually, really like design minus the flowers, and think it's a pretty solid entry. I, I may have sounded down on it, but yes, I agree with everything you just said. Because you know, I love the Legion five years later stuff, and as we said, this does kind of echo it. But the flowers is what kept pulling me out, and the the reading his origin thing was kind of like blah so but in general the art though yeah you're right you're absolutely right all right up next another full page entry and folks we are onto a main character and i do mean a real main character in fact this would be the hottest legionnaire congratulations to phantom girl drawn by keith giffen and bob smith not necessarily the hottest drawing of phantom girl but (laughs) it's uh she well she's in one of why they color rogue wrong right it does look a little bit like rogue doesn't it she's got you know the leotard part of it is black and white. It's black down the middle with white piping on the outside of the leg. She's got the little white boots, the white gloves, and then she's got sort of the white, I don't know, flash dance sort of top sweater that she's wearing on top of it. And then mm-hmm. her hair, of course, is in the, the pigtails kind of thing. I'll get to the details of the costume in just a minute. But either way, this is, of course, Tina Wazo of Begitzel. And as I mentioned, hottest legionnaire. Now, if you don't know, Begitzel, I love saying that, is in another dimension. As she's there, they, they were aware of Earth and the Earth's culture. And she wanted to go to Earth. So she stowed away to get there. She, she wanted to get away from her overly restrictive school that she was going to. So, like every one of her species, uh, they have the power to become immaterial. She, however, is exceptional at it. And she wanted to impress the Legion, so she goes there and ends up joining the Legion, wowing them, and becomes one of the longest consecutive members of the Legion of Superheroes. She obviously goes on, as we all know, to have a, a tremendous romance with Ultra Boy. She was a big member of the Espionage, Espionage Squad. And what I'm trying to get to, though, is the period of time that this image of Fangirl takes place. This costume, if you don't recognize it, it is the exact same costume she wore when she was ported over to the acronym Legion comic. This is this is like 15 minutes before that happens, really. I mean, she's uh, she's going to get thrown back in time to the acronym Legion to be, and she's going to get amnesia, and she's going to become the character called Phase. And this is the costume she wears at this point, so that was dead obvious when she showed up in Legion that it was her. This, and then it gets really wonky because by the end of it, thanks to all the the three, the, the zero hour, the reboot, the three boot, all that jazz, you end up with three different versions or three different origins for Phase in the acronym Legion. I don't care. Bottom line was the editorial always intended for the original Phantom Girl, Tina Wazo, to be to be Phase. So that's as far as I'm concerned. And I also helped cover this character on Ryan Daly. Secret Origins podcast. So her first appearance is Action Comics number 276. What you got, boys? I love this character. Yes. She was one of my favorites as a kid, um, and I found out later, it's partly because I think she was one of Dave Cockham's favorites, so he, he always used her with love, and he designed her white pantsuit-type outfit and gave her the ponytails that she wore for, for 20-some years, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, I guess 15 years. She was the longest-serving Legionnaire because she was like number four four or five to join. And then, of course, the founders quit uh, in the mid-80s. So she was the senior member. Unfortunately, she never really had any cool stories until Giffen kind of lopped her out of the Legion and gave her to, to the L-E-G-I-O-N. In the reboot, I guess I'm calling it the reboot, whatever the rebirth or the thing is, the most recent, one of the more recent Legion stories, she was elected the leader. That'd be New 52, I believe. Maybe. I get all of the more recent stuff kind of mixed up, but she's a dynamic, wonderful character. Her power 
powers are fantastically interesting, and she's you can do no wrong with Phantom Girl. I agree with everything you just said. I really like the character. You're wrong, thinking that she's the hottest Legionnaire. That's clearly oh yeah, she's girl. not the hottest Legionnaire. Oh, she absolutely no. is. No. <laughs> clearly, clearly, Dream Girl. Um, I'm kind of just stunned that they went with this costume design for this entry when we had yeah. a ten-page yeah. story with her at the beginning of the book that has her in her more yeah. classic seven. I noticed costume. that too. It's just a weird that they didn't sync up her entry with the story that features her in the same issue. Odd choice there. Yeah, I just cannot get over that. Yeah, this I've been going back and reading a lot of uh, mid-80s X-Men lately, and this is essentially a rogue's costume colored wrong from Mutant Massacre era, and so I just can't get over that. That's funny. For this entry. Never thought of that. That's right. Now, Russell, did she ever actually wear this costume in the Legion book before? I guess it would have been during the Magic Wars or something. But Yeah, when, when Keith Given came back after issue 50 and gave every Legionnaire the pocket, what I call the pocket uniforms, she wore this for, I don't know, four or five issues okay. before the, the whole series shut down. Most famously, she's wearing this ish uniform in the last Legion annual when they went up against Starfinger. The Legion espionage squad goes after uh, Starfinger, and she's featured prominently in that story, and she's wearing this uniform. Okay, because I, I had only ever seen it as uh, Phase's costume in Akron yeah. Legion, so I didn't realize she ever actually wore this specific costume until I turned the page and got to this. I'm like, oh, hello. So, all right. Very cool. Yeah, she... They, they write her well. She's intelligent. She's fierce. She's got cool powers. She's adorable. They they really put a lot of love in this character, which can't uh, you can't do anything but kind of sort of fall. So it's yeah, just great. All right, moving on up to someone who's incredibly less interesting. Going next to uh, we're on two per page here, so you get a full body shot of Ferox of Orando. Drawn get those Richard. drinks ready. <laughs> uh, drawn by Richard Howell, and uh, he is a prince. He is actually Princess Projecta's first cousin. He challenged Princess Protracta, uh, Projecta. I can't say her name for some reason. We, we call that Projecta. Thank you. I just I can't say it for her throne on Orando. And in the end, she you know he did battle with uh, Princess Projecta and Karate Kid, and got involved with Legion of Supervillains, and eventually they killed him. So first appearance, Legion of Superheroes, two hundred and eighty six, and he's dressed sort of looks like a you know. A, a bad guy from an old fantasy, like a Conan movie or something, is kind of what you're looking at here, with a giant yellow, almost like horns coming off the side of his helmet and chainmail and all that jazz. What you got, well, guys? That's, that's the whole. By, that's the that's whole by Richard Howell, right? Yes, by He's Richard Howell. He's the famous Hawkman guy. Wasn't that Richard Howell? <laughs> yes, he did Death Wing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Kyle. Uh, yes, so that was Orando's uh, whole shtick, is they were essentially like a feudal Earth system, so they were roughly 2,000 years uh, behind present-day Earth, uh, or 30th century Earth at the time. So, yeah, the whole thing is Princess Pajectra and Karate Kid go back to her homeworld. Uh, Karate Kid's trying to prove himself to her father, the king, as being worthy of Pajectra's hand in marriage. He mysteriously keels over and dies, and that's when Ferrix comes in and says that, you know, being a, a superstitious feudal society that uh, it was a curse or bad mojo brought on by Projector leaving and joining the Legion and being friends with all these freaks. And so with the backing of his grandma, uh, who was the super powerful sorceress that trained uh, Projector and Ferox, and then Projector's powers don't work on him, he kind of comes out of nowhere and attacks them and they're not ready for him and makes pretty short work of Karate Kid and Projector. And so they're actually set up to be executed. And then uh, a team of, I think it's like five Legionnaires, come in and break them out and kind of their combined powers do some theatrics to shut down, uh, I think it was Hega was the name of the yeah. grandma, which I actually think we covered 
back in issue two of uh, Who's Who yeah. in the Legion, mm-hmm. and uh, they eventually beat him. And of course, this is all part of the Great Darkness saga here. This is really when it's starting to ramp up, and the team gets uh, fractured. Actually, uh, two of the members of the five uh, Legionnaires that came and rescue him were Monel and Shadowlass, and they were off personal leave and got that uh, vacation cut short to come join this. And the last thing they were doing while they were on leave was they landed on what actually happened to be Apocalypse and accidentally revived Darkseid to really get the ball rolling for Great Darkness Saga. I like this character. I, I especially like that storyline where, where he challenges her and that whole feudalism about, you know, hanging out with foreigners and being unpure. I always thought that was kind of cool. But when I look at long term and the whole Princess Projectra and, and Karate Kid stuff, it's like we never found out what her mother's name was. And we never found out, like, the whole how does it work if she dies or she's off world and Ferex dies, you know, how? You would think that we would know more than, you know, one first cousin whose parents are never mentioned or never shown or nothing happens. It's like, wait, this is whole, you know, Game of Thrones type shit right there for us. And we'd never learn anything about it. It's kind of frustrating. Very true. Very true. And I just want to commend both of you. Great job keeping it really brief on these more characters. Well done, gentlemen. Yeah, it was just, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Uh, moving on to another <laughs> full half page uh, entry for another Mort, Plant Lad by Richard Howell. And his name is Noit Akkad of Simbali. And basically, if you boil it down, this is sort of like Beast Boy, you know, Gar Logan, but for plants. Uh, he caught a rare disease, changed his skin color green, and, and his hair color, and now he can transform into any plant, much like Beast Boy can do with animals. Basically, he tried to be a hero, and he failed. He didn't do very well at it, and he got depressed, and he ended up being caught by a bad guy and locked up. Eventually, uh, he sort of crossed paths with Legion, and he kind of lost it. Um, he went nuts, and he turned into a Venusian octopus plant and savagely attacked the uh, and while he's in the prison the bad guy the bad guy guards that were holding him there and he got killed first appearance adventure comics 344 now this character is definitely a mort but the story that they're referencing here is the story where the guy the bad guy named nardo has thrown all of these superheroes into a, con- a concentration camp and that's it the story is actually really really good and he's one of the throwaway characters who tries to fight against the guards and is killed and the legionnaires are there watching them thinking, okay, we have to be smarter because these guards will shoot us or kill us. And all of this origin story is totally made up. Nothing, none of this ever appeared in any of the story. So, but the story is worth, worth reading. So the character, even though he, he appeared, you know, way back in Adventure Comics 344, this, this origin that's very, very similar to Gar Logan's was done after Gar Logan had been created. So that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Up next is a full page entry. One of our main characters It is Polar Yay. Boy. Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about Polar Boy? All right. We have Polar Boy, a.k.a. Breck Bannon of Thar. This entry is drawn by Ty Templeton. So Breck, yes. Breck Bannon grew up as a leading student in Thar's politician system. And just when it looked like he was going to go into a career in politics, he instead decided to head to Earth with his cold powers and try to make a life for himself as a young superhero. However, his trial run with the Legion did not go as planned. He was rejected uh, based off of his age and for lack of control of his powers. And so along with other Legion rejects like Stone Boy, Night Girl, Fine Lad, and Chlorophyll Kid, they went on to form the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Oh, uh, Cisco had covered all that Legion of Sub stuff very nicely last episode, so no need to go into all that here. 
I'll just mention that uh, uh, as the uh, Legion of Substitute, Substitute Heroes went on, uh, Polar Boy decided to uh, pull his best Aquaman impersonation and disobey in the Legion of Subs. He would eventually become a full-time member of the Legion of Superheroes, and with his background in politics, he would go on to be elected as leader of the Legion uh, the first time he actually ran for Legion Leader. So his powers, uh, he comes from a very hot planet of Thar, which I actually think is a, a really neat touch. Obviously, with the name and everything, he is a cold-based hero, but how many times do we see cold-based heroes come from cold environments. Think of, like, Mr. Freeze. He has to be cold all the time, and that's why he has cold powers. Instead, Poor Boy comes from a hot uh, planet, and the cold powers that all the people of Thar have, it's more of a kind of self-preservation thing, where they need to generate cold fields around themselves from to prevent themselves from burning up. So, very neat uh, set of powers there. He's capable of generating intense colder ice, and this allows him to produce a number of like ice projectiles and uh, ice constructs. From a look standpoint, his costume, kind of like a, a light purple. He's got uh, white baggy boots, uh, white baggy gloves, at least in this entry. If you look at the cover, they actually look more like uh, metallic uh, wrist gauntlets. And he's kind of got these uh, white fuzzy harnesses that come over his shoulder and connect to his belt. A high style and a uh, high like popped white collar and then kind of <laughs> almost like a, a ski mask or uh, like a skull cap. Skull cap that doesn't cover his face. Something like uh, knights would wear or like Jack of Hearts mm-hmm. kind of headgear type mm-hmm. thing. I mentioned earlier I've been reading a lot of X-Men. His costume, except for not having goggles on, looks like uh, Pyro's from X-Men. Just colored different. Oh, Wow, that's an interesting observation, yeah. Shoulder harnesses and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this entry by Ty Templeton, really dig. One of the, the stronger ones of the, the book. Definitely the strongest of the three I got stuck covering. Uh, <laughs> pretty... <laughs> Pretty traditional superhero pose, uh, you know, with the uh, who's who in the Legion, we've taken much more of a Ohatmu type pose thing versus the yeah. more traditional who's who thing. But uh, he's standing there looking very heroic and incorporated his powers. He's got uh, like icicles forming from his right hand. Pretty nice, solid uh, drawing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. And the the costume to me looks like it's some sort of amalgamation of his old one and his new one because the like you said on the cover, that was his current look and they're like they're they're bands or shoulder bands, but they're not the furry things that he used to wear. Um so it's a little bit of a kind of a mix. I probably Ty Templeton, I who I believe has come out and said that he likes the Legion of Substitute Heroes. He's he probably was doing that as some sort of homage to, to Polar Boy's original costume. Oh, and his first appearance was Adventure Comics number 306, which was from 1963. So he's been around a long time. Like you, I found the Hot Planet idea really interesting. It's actually in my notes, too. I was like, whoa, that's cool, because you're right. It's just not something you see with coal-based characters. Now, I do want to point out, sadly, like when you get into the Five Years Later run, they do sort of paint Polar Boy's time, his tenure as leader, as like a huge failure for the Legion. And so, mm-hmm. I, well, I haven't read the issues where he's leader, but I've read the Five Year Later ones. Like In my mind, he's a complete disaster as leader, and I don't know if he really earned that or if that's just a retroactive story thing for Five Year Later. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I always liked this character and I was over the moon when he joined the Legion in in that Baxter story. But then when he became the leader, they Paul Levitz portrayed him as being some sort of novice and always second guessing himself and always like the freshman going around the seniors like Element Lad or Dream Girl saying, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And it pissed the hell of me off. I hated that that whole thing. And that was, of course, when Superboy faced the Time Trapper or yeah, and that whole lot of chaos things going on so of course it would have been a hard time for any leader he left he was replaced by censor girl and it was kind of like yeah the the, the, the legionnaires don't trust me and i'm, I'm just going to go back into the 
the fold and, and, and mingle in the crowd and, and my leadership role is over, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, what a, what a waste. It was hmm. not my favorite era of the Legion. All right. Fair enough. All right. We're going to move on. This next page, uh, next page has three entries on it, all vertical panels. And the interesting thing is these all actually have a little bit of background. Um, they're a little less Ohatmu. I mean, the pose is still there, but they do at least have some background to look at. First character is Polecat, which is Daff Moran of Earth, art by Art T. Bear. And this is another one of those Legion tryout rejects. And really, though, the, the gist of him is he has these horns coming out of his head that produce sort of a skunk smell or a polecat smell, which is gross. And his outfit is basically he's just wearing a, a black bodysuit that stops like a, a trunk. So it's like all over his arms and his chest and his in his trunks. So it's black and he's got a white stripe up the middle and he's got a little white. A skunk stripe? Yeah. Oh! is a skunk stripe. Look at you. Look at the big brain on Kyle. And he's got white boots. So that's the polecat. First appearance, Adventure Comics 331. Also his last appearance. <laughs> Yet he still gets a entry in here. Man. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, scraping the bottom of a barrel on some of these. Awful issue. <laughs> Speaking of I, I, love his, I, I love his name. Daff Moron of Earth. I didn't even pick up on that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Because I was reading it more phonetically than what it's supposed to be. That's interesting. Okay. Now, by the way, you mentioned Mort's getting entries. This issue has more characters than any other single issue in the entire series. So there are a whole bunch of Mort's here, and I'm really thrilled yeah. I invited you two, who like to talk a lot, uh, to cover this issue. So well, well played on everybody's you, part here. You'll be happy to know that I have nothing to say about this character. <laughs> All right. Up next is Power Boy. And Power Boy is this big, muscular guy. He's purple, and he's got uh, sort of orangey-red hair, and he's got a yellow and blue costume. And the gist of him is is he is – well, first of all, he's Jedediah Rakane of Earth. And he's lovable. Basically, he's strong but dim is how they describe him. He has this weird power, which, again, turns his skin purple, which allows him to control his body's molecular density, which makes him strong and have lots of endurance but not have equally defensive powers. Now, they're sort of vague about that. I guess what they mean is he doesn't have tough skin. Sort of like Sunspot in the New Mutants who would get really strong but didn't have any body armor sort of thing is, is kind of what I think they're trying to say without saying it. Anyway, he ended up at the Legion Academy and again, not the brightest uh, tool in the shed. And first appearance, Superboy in the Legion Superheroes, 240. So, not having any good defensive powers but being able to control his density, that's kind of contradictory. Right. So I take that as... As he could make his scent, his skin super dense and increases in vulnerability, he's apparently too stupid to know how that works and do it. So, <laughs> so he has gracious. the power to have great defense, but he's too much of a dumbass to know how to use it. So, yeah. So, Power Boy was one of those characters who was in the group shots every time the Legion Academy got featured, and he was very. Uh, I, personally, I feel like he was miscolored the first time he appeared, and then they just miscolored him for the rest of his existence. Just lean. Um, and it was like, oh, here's. He's the purple guy. Okay, yeah, got him. The one interesting thing about him was in the, again, one of the more recent uh, iterations of Legions, turns out he was gay and he was going out with one of the other Legion Academy guys and he's going to join the science police, I think was the last time we saw him. Okay. So when, when it says here, increase his strength and endurance but does not endow him with any special extra defensive capability, which is probably his greatest disadvantage. Is that right saying he doesn't have super tough skin? He's just really, really strong? Is that right? That's how I would take that, how it's written. I guess. I, I think the the appearance 240, that seems like it would have been the story with Dawnstar rising, where they where she hangs out at the Legion Academy, and he, he's able to, like, punch a robot, but then when the robot blasts him, he gets knocked out. So, okay. so yeah. I don't know how that works. 
It's like it sounds like he's more him. defensive yeah. or offensive, but then he's not able. You would think that if his skin was super strong, he wouldn't pass out by getting hit by a laser. But I don't know. Right. Okay. I think we've talked enough about this guy. All right. Up next is Professor Huxton, who uh, again art by Art T. Bear. He is Chad uh, Chad Huxton of Earth, and uh, basically this guy's just like really freaking cool and fly. He used to work at the one of the original members of the Metropolis Time Institute. He crazy smart. Uh, eventually retired, and what he's really good at fundraising. He's really good at everything he does. It sounds like, and he still hangs around and catches up with people from the Legion every once in a while. So, a real minor character, but they just play him off as like a regular supporting guy who's cool. First appearance, Adventure Comics three hundred and forty nine, and he looks a little bit like I don't know uh, Potsy if you put on a little bit of weight for Happy Days. <laughs> That's fun. Um, he's wearing the exact about- same. Top- costume that he was wearing when he made his appearance in 349. I looked it up and that was the Universal story and he's wearing this exact same orange and white outfit so he only had the one fly. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I have to say about him is he's essentially scientist uh, Fonzie and he's friends with Ron Bedar. Yep. Yes. That yes. works. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of more scientists, up next we've got three per page here, and these are interesting. They're they're vertical panels, uh, thirds, and we get again they're like senior class photos, but they're really big, so they fill their whole face in here. It is Professor v- Vendar, not to be confused with Vadar, Vadar, V N D A R R, art by Keith Giffen and Kez Wilson. He is Lore Vendar of Titan, and basically he is famous because he was the teacher of Saturn Girl, and he you know he was her mentor. He t- trained her, and she became the most powerful telepath on in Saturn, of course, or Titan. And uh, he continued to stay friendly with her and Lightning Lad. And first appearance, Superboy number 236. And he's got black hair. It looks like kind of someone miscolored Egon's hair uh, and made it black instead of... Pretty much nailed that. Yes, he does look like real Ghostbusters cartoon version of Egon Spangler. Yes, he does. Probably got Tobin's spirit guide under, under his arm. All right. Up next is Professor Voltan, again by Keith Giffen and Kez Wilson. He is Bothar Voltan of Earth. And again, another sort of teacher mentor, this time to Wildfire. And the thing that he's most known for is he gave Wildfire his very first containment suit. He gave it to Drake. And what we didn't know at the time, though, was that suit was actually designed for Professor Voltar himself. It was helped. It was designed to help him prolong his life because he was terminally ill. And he sacrificed basically his own life to help Wildfire. It's pretty touching. And we found all of this out when his daughter actually sought revenge against Wildfire for this. First appearance, Legion of Superheroes, 283. Which, of um, course, was the uh, last issue before the Great Darkness Saga started. Oh, my Oh my gosh, take a drink, everyone. Yes. Um, by Roy Thomas. And it was really, a, it was a retro Secret Origins story before there was a Secret Origins series. And it really did not improve on the Dave Cockrum, Carrie Bates original. So it was really kind of silly. But I just noticed, looking at these two professors face-to-face, their ears, there's something weird going on there. Because look, the Professor Vindar's ear goes all the way down to his neck. And Professor Voltan's ear doesn't ever stop. It goes all the way to his chin. That's kind of weird. <laughs> Keith Giffen apparently had a problem with ears. And I forgot yeah, to describe think- uh, Professor Vo- or Voltan. He's, he's basically just kind of a square-faced guy with thinning reddish hair and, you know, square jaw, and that's about it. All right. Up next is The Prophet. And we mentioned him earlier when we covered Omen, or as uh, Russell kept insisting, Omen. And he is the <laughs> – goes by Father Sven Kalikos of Trewack. Oof. Okay. Trusk. Keith Giffen and Kez Wilson. And the gist here is – it's very long and involved, but he's still 
Silver Surfer guys, okay? So he, he had this uh, a church, and his parishioners were all killed in this accident. He felt very guilty. He tried to commit suicide himself. Omen uh, came in, saw this, actually captured this guy, and transformed him into the prophet. And again, very much kind of like a Silver Surfer kind of thing. First appearance, Legion Superheroes, 307. And he's wearing uh, a purple robe with sort of a white collar, sort of be representative of a, a, a priest. What's he doing with his hands? They They're up, are... Is he praying? He's praying under his robe, or he's playing pocket pool, one or the other. Yeah, it's like, wait, his hands should be, like, down on, I don't know, It's it looks, I, first time I, I looked it, at it, I thought he was pregnant, and I'm like, wait, what is going on here? And then I realized he was... I take it as he's got, like, big, uh, droopy sleeves, almost like a wizard, and he's probably walking with his hands in, like, a prayer motion, and so they're hidden in the sleeves. Yeah, yeah but then... The stre- he, he, this, he, just, he just got done taking communion, and he's walking back to his seat with his hands folded. Yeah, but then the strands should be bunched up right around the sleeves, and they look, they appear that they're just floating there and no connection to the, the body at all. I, I, I think that's why they added the uh, tassel-like thing on the robe to help cover that up. Uh, oh, you know what? I just got an email from Keith Giffen himself. This is, guys, you're spending too much time on this guy's hands. Wow, look at that. Interesting. Okay. Um, he actually uh, he has a crazy widow's peak as well, by the way, which then leads to a crazy ponytail, which is coming out the side. That's not a tassel. That's his hair, I think, coming off the side. Yeah, his head looks like, reminds me of Road Pig, one of the dreadnoughts from G.I. Joe. <laughs> Could very well be. Now, you and your pop culture references, you are all over the place tonight. <laughs> I don't think I've mentioned Transformers yet. I was just no. going to say it. Transformers, Transformers. I was trying to beat you to saying Transformers because you hadn't mentioned them yet. <laughs> oh, we still got a couple more pages. Huh? Well, we're about to talk about talk about a character that transforms, so there you go. Uh, first, we're going to talk about another another page of three characters, all vertical. We're going to talk about Prody One, drawn by, wait for it, Mark Wade, ladies and gentlemen, because he can draw uh, Prody. Uh, Mark Wade and Carl Kessel. And this is basically a shape-changing little blob. He was originally sort of a pet for Chameleon Boy, but later on, the Legion discovered he was part of a sentient race. And he loved the Legion so much that he actually sacrificed his life to help revive Lightning Lad. And uh, truthfully, he was doing that to prevent Saturn Girl from sacrificing herself. Or, if the five year later is to be believed, he actually went on to become the Saturn, uh, I'm sorry, Lightning Lad who was revived. So, who, who knows which version you choose to subscribe to. First appearance, Adventure Comics 308. Now, before you say anything, I'm just going to go ahead and cover Purdy 2 and we can do it all in one shot. Purdy 2 is another pet of, this is the next entry, by the way, another pet of Chameleon Boy, still Mark Wade and Carl Kessel. Basically, uh, um, he came on board, sort of like the first Prody, and hung out with Chameleon Boy, but he grew tired of being a pet. And again, given because he's sentient. So he eventually went back to his home planet, and now he's the ambassador from the Protean planet, and he's trying to advance their cause. He is lobbying for full citizenship rights in the UP. First appearance of Venture Comics number 316, so only uh, eight issues later. And one fun thing about this is uh, on the inside front cover, Mark Wade, who is, did the editorial, he, he showed the two little pictures of the Prody 1 and Prody 2. And then underneath that, he drew another one. He calls it Prody Dead. And it is the Prody 1 Dead who is just sitting there with the lightning rod hanging out of it, which is kind of sick and funny and twisted. So what you got on Prody, guys? Nothing. I think uh, Carl Kessel is carrying the heavy weight of this work because I can, I can recognize Carl Kessel's inking here. He did a lot of work on this. If I remember right, Mark Wade had some artistry skills. Uh, I want to say, but yeah, okay. Purdy's definitely something probably more in his wheelhouse. <laughs> All right. Up next is Psycho Warrior. Looks like Crazy Quilt in the 30th century, folks. This is Reggie. Really? I would have said he looks like Crazy Quilt in the 1990s, but. Oh, snap. 
Well played, sir. Regic Thomac of Bunyan's World. Oof. Now, Bunyan's World is worth mentioning because it is this really, really hostile world. It's rich with minerals. However, it is also rich with carnivorous plants and animals. Basically, everything there is deadly and trying to kill you. Folks, this is the Australia of space, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, he was leaving there, and he was traveling with the love of his life, and she died in a horrible accident, which he caused, which sort of broke him mentally. He ended up, I want to say, in an asylum here. And in his mind, he sort of blamed the Legion for what happened and went on to go battle them. And one of the things he did was he planted nightmares in their heads, and his costume looks like a circus clown threw up in the 90s, uh, as Kyle was indicating there. It's got lots of yellows and reds and blues and pouches and straps in uh, looks like, you know, bandolier kind of things, and it's just all over the place. First appearance, Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes, 258, art by Joey Cavallari and Carl Kessel. I actually really like the rendering in this. I mean, yes, the color scheme is gaudy, and there's all sorts of uh, attachments all over his costume. It's actually very well rendered and very detailed and stuff, and uh, transferred very well in the printing process. I actually really like it. The uh, description of Bunyan's world, once I first got past the growths on someone's feet, uh, <laughs> reminded me of Impossible Man's world when he first uh, showed up in Fantastic Four, which is actually reprinted in uh, Marshall Treasury Edition number two, which I covered with Rob Kelly on uh, Treasury Cast uh, a few months back. There but, we go, uh, folks. That's Take why, a drink. Yeah, you're, you're dropping pop references all yeah. over the place. So uh, that's why Impossible Man and all the people of his race on his planet are able to transform. It's the only way to survive the hostile environment with all the terrible carnivores on it. So I couldn't be helped but uh, be reminded by that. Interesting. His his bodysuit is the typical climate uh, uniform that they wear on Bunyan's World, and that's why it's all these pockets and things for, like, darts and knives and medicine and things. He just put on a mask and kept on his uniform. That's why it's all kind of complicated. I suspect that everyone on that planet may be colorblind as well. Maybe. And maybe fashion-blind as well. (laughs) All right, up next is Pulsar Stargrave. Mr. Benning, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Uh, Do I have to? Yes, you do. (laughs) So we have Pulsar Stargrave, sweet name by the way, right? I mean, yes, it's like yes, the greatest part of, comic name ever. Part of this character is his name. Yes. So yes. Pulsar Stargrave of Kalu, drawn by Kyle Baker. Pulsar Stargrave is believed to be a robotic spy built in the humanoid form by the rogue robots of Kalu to infiltrate the hierarchy of human Kaluans. However, he fled into space following the overthrow of the robots. And then in space, he sat there idle aboard a space cruiser for a while until a dose of radiation damaged his circuits, which, of course, uh, puts the 1994 Fantastic Four cartoon series theme in my head. On an outer space adventure, they got hit by cosmic rays in the forward chains forever in the most fantastic ways. That's for Martin Gray, because, I don't know, he said some UK comment about my singing that I didn't know how to take uh, from the last time I was on an episode, so... And he's a Legion fan, so surely he's thinking of us, but, uh, or listening to this. So, anyway. Hold on, I got something for you. No need to fear, just call the four. Boo, boo, Hell yes. Fantastic Four. Yep, great stuff. I've never seen that cartoon. Oh, it's great. You didn't miss much. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, hey, it's not that good. It's, I, I own so, it on DVD, and it's not that good. Oh, it's pretty good. Anyway, the theme song <laughs> of that, pretty weak, but... <laughs> the theme song's incredible. Cosmic Space Rays damaged Polestar Stargrave's circuit, sending him on a space dictator rage. And he then tries to conquer Earth, even going so far as attempting to manipulate the Time Trapper and Mordru to destroy the Legion. But, of course, he fails, and then uh, at the time of this entry, disappeared and hasn't been seen since. 
Well, that's not true because he was destroyed in that issue where we talked about Omega and Brainiac 5 was actually pulled on up on charges of murder because that whole Omega uh, destroying the universe or destroying Metropolis was part of that whole murder of Ultra Boy's old girlfriend. And Brainiac 5 was supposedly the one who did that. But then it's like, well, OK, so he's a murderer. And he's like, well, wait, no, I, I didn't murder her. So he went in search of the true murderer. And guess who it was? Pulsar Stargrave. And then he exploded his force shield belt and Pulsar Stargrave ceased to exist. So, hmm. well, what's really weird about this entry, look at the text piece. Then all of a sudden there's just a big gap and there's stuff missing. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. that should be in there, but you certainly wouldn't follow that paragraph with the Stargrave disappeared and it's not been seen since. So yeah, right. I don't know what they were doing. If they, that was originally written and they had space all for it, then they cut it out for some reason and ended it the way they did. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, his powers, he's a robot. So uh, with that, would assume he has some sort of invulnerability and probably enhanced strength. He's also able to manipulate raw stellar energy and alter photon wavelengths. And we'll just call that the power cosmic uh, look or appearance. He's essentially the uh, green skinned uh, Silver Age brainiac. Yeah, uh, he is. Is walking on white robes with pants. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a robe suit thing. He's got like a toga cape around it. Pink accessories. Pink trim. Uh, his first appearance was in Superboy number 223 from 1976. Onto the entry itself. I hate this thing. This is the worst <laughs> entry in the entire book. Probably the entire series. Do you think there's there's a full page entry shittier than this one? I don't think there is. I kind of so, like, like the art. You're Oof. lying. I'm not lying. I okay. kind of like it. Get, get your Michael Bayer goggles on. So... <laughs> Let's, let's let's start with uh, his chest. Sweet double Ds you got there. Um, yes, he has breasts. I'll give you that. <laughs> so he's got that little gem holding his robe cape on. Yeah. That's at the center of his chest. Follow that up to his neck. Where does that line up with his neck? The right side of his neck. So it's it looks like his head is a growth coming out of his left shoulder. That's, it's not, it's not centered on his torso at all. His left arm is like posed back, so it's like the furthest thing away from us. Yet his left fist is bigger than his right fist, which is closer to us. Follow his left leg down. So look at the angle it's at. He's got like bell-bottom swoops, but it's tight fitting up top so you can follow the angle of his leg below the knee coming down it's probably kind of like at a 45 degree angle and then you get to his ankle and it's straight down <laughs> was he he has a second knee halfway up his shin or what He's robot. And his foot, his foot is smaller than his hand. Yeah, I noticed that part. This this whole thing is a train wreck, and then it's got that uh, the style on top of it. It's just yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. This looking at this thing. I'm not clear how you feel about it, Kyle. <laughs> well, what do you well, like about it, Shag? I just think it's got no. See, I don't have any emotional attachment to Pulsar Stargrave, so I, I just think it's kind of a cool looking drawing. It's very different. It's very weird. Yes, I recognize it's not how the character looks, but I think that you know he brought an interesting interpretation to the character, so I kind of dug it. But I'm also, I think, not, I'm also not married to it, though. Yeah. Well, it, it seems like looking at this and Mordrew and last time with Cosmic King, Kyle Baker seems to have some sort of, you know, avant-garde, you want to take on perspectives or, or point of views or something, and yeah, the anatomy and the, the physiology of these characters, this one in particular is really, really off. Well, it looks like he's going through a Bilson Kevich face, uh, phase, yeah. except, except yeah. he's not pulling it off nearly as well as Bilson Kevich yeah. He randomly followed me on Twitter the other day. Wilson Cavage. Yeah. Nice. Which his uh it's Marvel House style, not as stylized as he get to be, so it's pretty straightforward. But his cover to Fantastic Four number two twenty four is in my top five favorite comic covers of all time. Very cool. Just gonna throw that out there. 
Well, I'm going to bring us back to Polskar Stargrave for just a second. Yes. So there are Kaluan robots that are at war with Kaluan humans, and I guess yes. Brainiac Five is one of the Kaluan humans. Is that right? Well, this was past history, not not currently anymore. But they're the original Brainiac, and Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. They, he was he led the ro- robotic revolt, and then the, the actual Kaluans defeated Brainiac and his robotic hordes, and Brainiac left Kolu and one came and started to try to take over Earth. Correct. That's, yeah, that's something why like that. uh, the Brainiac line on Kalu is tainted because he was a supervillain on that planet for enslaving the people. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on. All right, folks. This next one has five characters on a page, and most of these are little uh, what we call senior class photos, except for one character who gets a full body shot. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that when we get there because they – Legion's got a real problem with being sexist, and if I'm saying that, you know that's an issue. So, all right. First character is Quake Kid, and it is uh, by Rick Stassi and Joe Rubenstein, and he's another one of those Legion tryout rejects. He had the ability to create earthquakes, and, and when he didn't get in, he tried to pick up infectious laughs, and unfortunately, all he ended up picking up was a cold instead. Shane Dreyus of Earth, the first appearance Superboy, number 218. Also his last appearance. Probably. Up next is... Oh, definitely. <laughs> up next is Quig, who is Galar S. Quig of Rupson. He is the director of the Science and Asteroid, uh, Science Asteroid, and he... Basically, working there, he rarely has visitors, and when he does, he gets really, really excited and seeps ooze because he is basically just a weird little space creature. I don't even know how to begin to describe this other than you would see this in a sci-fi comic about weird aliens rather than the Legion. He's, he's a creature, a blobby creature, and he makes friends with Monel. First appearance, Legion Superiors, number 296. Yes, I know. Great Darkness Saga. Thank you. Up next is Queen Azura. <laughs> art still by Rick Stassi and Joe Rubenstein. And she is, okay, check this out, folks. She is Heraidia Azur of Femnaz. She is the queen of a world where men were hated and exiled. She then hypnotizes all the female legionnaires to go back to their headquarters and then attack the male legionnaires. Eventually she gets defeated by Monel and Ultra Boy. But she's, she's a fairly beautiful woman. She's got white hair and she's got a crown. She looks angry. But if you really step back from this, okay, so it's a world where men are exiled and hated, and the planet's name is Femnaz, as in Feminazi. So I think somebody's trying to make a point here that wasn't real happy with the feminist movement, and it's Adventure Comics 326. Well, the the theory is out of history, though, because this Adventure 326 is like 1964 or 5, so that was before all of the feminism stuff, really. I think this was probably, I'm not sure, I haven't read this story in a long time, but maybe Femnaz is is a new Mark Wade addition to her story. Cause, that could be, too. That's a good yeah. point. Hmm. Our next year, not, not the most offensive fictional place I've ever come across. So... <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Actually, in uh, the story, it, she really is Queen Azura, the ruler of the planet Femnaz. So it was in the original. Be, giving our age, we don't really know how old the term Feminazi is. It could go back quite a ways. So yeah. it, it seems like it's a little too on the nose to be an accident. So, All right. And that's from 1964. So, okay. Yeah. Well, Who wrote that? Jerry Siegel. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Well, do you know who really this would have been coming from, regardless who the writer was? It was Mort Weisinger. Mort Weisinger, That definitely yeah. sounds... That definitely Sounds like a more wisinger thing, doesn't it? Quantum yeah, the, that doesn't the surprise plot anybody, of the does women it? Fighting the men happened like three different times during the adventure run, so I'm not surprised about that either. All right, moving on. And by the way, welcome to hour seven of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Up next is Questar, who is Regis Questar of Zentor. He is the hero of Zentor, and he 
he's like this big deal on the planet, but it turns out he's a bit of a fake, actually, because he's a bit of a coward. And the Legion helps him sort of overcome his fears, art by Rick Stasi and Joe Rubenstein. You can only really see his headshot. He's got a blonde sort of Superman haircut, and he's got a red cape with, with a sort of Doctor Strange pimped-up collar with yellow buttons. And first appearance, Superboy number 222. Now, this next entry is why I said there's some sexism issues going on. All these other characters, as I said, have gotten little-class photos. This one gets a full-body shot and is a beautiful, very sexy woman named Quicksand. And not only that, she's got her back to us. So we're looking at her uh, posterior, and she's looking over her shoulder and sort of some side boob going on and, you know, it's a very sexy outfit, basically a, a bikini. She actually, honestly, you know, she looks like a character out of Warlord, you know, the Warlord comic, uh, very fantasy Yes, very based. much so. In fact, wouldn't be surprised if this was during the Mike Grell period. And, it was. Oh, uh, uh, there we go. So Quicksand is Angelica Dugensa of Earth. Her name is Angel. She comes from this crime family, and she ended up going to this black market geneticist who gave her powers, which allow her to transform anything solid into liquid and back again. She worked for Pulsar Stargrave. Again, uh, I don't know if I said it, art by Rick Stassi and Joe Rubenstein. First print Superboy, 223. Besides being hot... What do you think, gentlemen? I like her. Yeah. I mean, at the Pulsar Stargrave story where she and, and Holder appeared, they were interesting kind of sidekicks, like lackeys, and I, I always wanted them to come back, and they, they never did. Yeah, really solid drawing. It was nice to kind of see that her interaction with Pulsar Stargrave, it got like one sentence in his uh, entry, and it's fleshed out into a little more detail here. So mm-hmm. nice when it's just the, uh, you know, the next page. It kind of fleshes that out a little bit more. So. Yep. All right, up next is one of our full-page main entries. It is a, a fairly unusual one. It is Quizlet. Russell, why don't you tell us about Quizlet? Quizlet of Tihal. Real name, unpronounceable. Those figures there that they tried to print and then it dropped out is Quizlet of Tihal. Uh, the artist by Greg Larock and Vince Leteric. Picture of his ship with like an energy trail and it's kind of just blah sitting there. Quizlet appeared out of nowhere in Legion of Superiors number 14 and he showed off his ability to temporarily t- possess any inanimate object temporarily. And it turns out that Quizlet is an energy being who exists in his ship, but it's not otherwise physically in our universe. He's kind of neither fish nor fowl. He claimed at the time to be an extra-dimensional traveler, and with his ability to possess and take over things, he was granted Legion membership along with Sensor Girl, Polar Boy, Magnetic Kid, and TELUS. In Legion of Superiors number 44, we learned his true origin. Tyral is a world or dimension or place of, of living energy. And uh, all of the energy beings uh, live in kind of a hive group mentality. And uh, they came a day where they decided that they were growing stale and, and kind of old and they needed more juice, something to spruce them up. So they decided to create uh, an intergalactic spaceship for one of them to go out in search of other beings that they could come bring back and kind of absorb into the hive. And so it sounds very Borg-like. Quizlet volunteered to do that because he'd always been kind of unique. He considered himself special and and he wanted to leave the hive, which kind of nobody else had ever thought of doing. So he was granted permission to become their, you know, astronaut, sort of. And as soon as he was given access to the ship, he zooped away and he left Tiao and never, ever wanted to go back. He never looked for any beings to kind of absorb into the hive. He he was on his own uh, road trip through the universe. And then 
then he came, met the Legion. He and Wildfire were kidnapped in that issue um, and brought back to Teal. And we found out that he had not been uh, sent out on a mission. So they were going to take away his ship and reabsorb him into the hive. But he and Wildfire were able to maneuver them to let them go. And then Wildfire blew up the black hole that had uh, formed between Teal and our universe. And uh, Quizlet was safe uh, to continue being a Legionnaire. He served for quite a few years until he faced the Emerald Empress, and the Emperor Empress used her eye to destroy his ship, and he couldn't live without it, so he w- had no choice but to go back to Teal. Quizlet's kind of famous for helping Wildfire control his own antimatter uh, energy, and he was able to kind of nudge Wildfire into creating a more human body, which you've seen in a couple of the recent issues, and he's on the cover here in the far left talking to Dawnstar and Ultra Boy that's him kind of human torchy look Quizlet was famous in the Legion for wanting to party and not taking too much thing too many things seriously and he was always kind of happy go lucky so what do you guys got what do you think of Quizlet I have never actually even read a comic with him uh, in all of my years of collecting stuff I, I've somehow managed to miss the whole thing I do love his name is like those cool symbols, like the yeah, like the Yen symbol or something or other. So that's pretty neat. But other than that, I don't know the first thing about him. Solid entry. It's a pretty great uh, detailed recap here. Obviously, uh, he flushed out a lot more Russell with your history. I had not read uh, too many too many adventures with him in there, um, but uh, definitely uh, an interesting character, and that's really kind of the attraction to the uh, Legion to me in general is just how diverse uh, characters and backgrounds you can have in here and doesn't get much uh, more out of the box, I guess, than an energy be- being in a uh, Skeets-like uh, ship flying around. So Ooh, It does look sort of yeah. like Skeets, doesn't it? Now, yeah, a little bit. As I seem to recall, Steve Lytle had some uh, disappointment that he didn't get to draw this entry. Isn't that right? I, I believe so, and he has had some comments about the direction that Paul Levitz and Greg LaRock took the character in after Steve Lytle left. So, yeah, he, he has a little bit of disappointment in, in how this character evolved. Yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. You know? uh, one last thing about this entry, that the editor tried very hard to keep Quizlet's gender out of the description. It's it, 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 until the very end, the very last paragraph where it says, oh, Quizlet, his, and you're like, oops. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. But uh, everybody kind of just assumes he's a he, but it's an it. Okay. So I, I All right. Up next is... R.J. Brand, or I guess you can call him René Jacques Brand, or you can call him Ren Daggle. So you you tell us, Russell. Uh, yeah, René Jacques Brand, or R.J. Brand, real name Ren Daggle of the planet Durla. Art by Art. Did you say Thibur? I, I thought it was Thibbert. I'm not sure how to uh, pronounce Art- the artist's Art-T-Bear name. Art T Bear is how Art- it's been T-Bear. how it's been told. Uh, I'm sorry, is how I've been told to pronounce it. Oh, all right. Well, that guy, Art T Bear. Art T Bear. So R.J. Brand was the millionaire whose life was saved by the three founding members of the Legion of Superheroes, and then he decided to finance the Legion because of their um, hero- heroism. However, his first appearance was not until several years after that kind of story or that plot was derived, so he was not part of the original story. The Legion just was existed, and then um, right around Adventure 350, which is his debut, 
debut appearance, he appeared in The Origin, which was Superboy 147. Um, then he started to slowly be, make more and more uh, kind of cameo supporting character uh, appearances. Then his moment in the spotlight was, of course, Secrets of the Legion Superheroes number three, where it's revealed that he's not actually R.J. Brand. He's Ren Daggle of Durla. Turns out that he was on Durla and he had caught Jorgian fever and his wife died of the fever. And rather than risk giving the fever to his son or his sister, he left Durla and um, was locked into one last change, which he chose to become an, uh, an earthling. And he took the name R.J. Brand, and it was as R.J. Brand that he became uh, famous via his uh, son-making industrial power. This art is probably my favorite in the whole issue. He's just a white guy with white hair and white mustache standing there, but he's got his arms crossed, uh, his chest um, in a power, you know, businessman pose. There's planets and stuff behind him, and it's just really, really well done, in my opinion. Eventually, he got bored with his life, and he tucked it all and went uh, space traveling, and now, but now no one knows where he is. So, guys, what do you think? I got a couple questions. First off, so how you talked about the, that secret origins of the Legion, whatever, where they revealed his origin. How long into the character's existence was that? Uh, well, he appeared for the first time in Adventure 350, which was right around the time where Feralad dies fighting the Sun Eater. So that's, what, 1966-ish. And then the Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes was 1979-ish, so 13, 14 years later. Okay. Because, I mean, that had to be a whole really big WTF moment for the readers. Be yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and and just to add a further wrinkle to this thing, we're about 15 minutes away from them retconning him again and making him actually the Durlin from the 20th century oh. acronym Legion team. Yeah, that's right. You told me about yeah. that. I yes. forgot. I, for, I forget about that every time – we talk about it gets character. even more confusing yeah now this yeah, is interesting first appearance in adventure comics 350 that's like yeah. 103 issues after the legion's first appearance yeah it took yeah. them that long to tell their origin yeah that's it crazy. turns out that e nelson, e. nelson bridwell was the reprint editor at the time and basically was until he died but he was going through and then he realized that the legion origin had never been told so he sat down and i'm pretty sure this R.J. Brand was introduced by Jim Shooter as the benefactor of the Legion, so just kind of like the money bags guy. And it was E. Nelson Bridwell who pulled it all together and said, oh, the three founders saved his life, and then so he gave them money to start the Legion. So, yeah, that happened in 1966-ish, 67, I think. That's wild. They went that long without ever telling the origin. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to throw out some uh, Great Darkness uh, saga references here. <laughs> so, <laughs> Take a drink. Wait, but, but issue 301 where they go back to Durla, isn't that in The Curse? Yes, but uh, before that, so... <sighs> One of the main subplots going on and why uh, so many members of the Legion were off the table at the beginning of uh, the Great Darkness Saga was that uh, Chameleon Boy, under the recent revelation that R.J. Brand is his father, kind of has a mental break and goes nuts, and so yeah. he leads a secret spy mission, mission to Kundia that then requires being rescued, and then after they get rescued, their ship gets uh, blown up and uh, they get stranded on an ice planet for a while. Also during that uh, time, uh, I think it was like 285, 286, Russell, you mentioned that he uh, kind of made his money uh, doing like a sun power and uh, yeah, building sun nu nuclear. So he has his yeah. own little like world where uh, it's a nuclear reactor and where he does his experiments on. And Dr. Reglo goes there to exact his revenge on Sun Boy. And we get that great shot, uh, show down there. Uh, and that's including the Great Darkness Saga lead up as well. So right. two nice R.J. Brand moments there are kind of where his history comes in. 
me personally, I really like just from kind of an indexing standpoint. It was right after the new 52 launched. We had the six issue. Uh, Secret Origin of the Legion of Superheroes miniseries that just kind of let its, uh, well, it kind of reestablished the origin, fleshed out RJ Brand getting saved by the three original Legionnaires. And it was a great little series of, from a kind of indexing standpoint. Uh, Chris Batista was the artist on that. I actually had him sign those six issues, met him probably two years after he did that. And he said that was the single most boring job he ever had. He drew six issues of the Legion of Superheroes and never got to draw a single fight season or fight scene. Excuse me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I always appreciate those those series, though, that uh, go back and kind of index and chronicle and retell origin stuff, even if there's not a whole lot of action. Uh, For that reason, I love America versus the Justice Society. America, uh, four, four yeah, issue series from the, the early 80s. It's all talking, and it's essentially just a, I guess, visualized uh, retelling or chronicling of all the Golden Age adventures of the Justice Society. So Dude. growing up, not having access to those original reprints, I loved yeah. that that series, and you can't go wrong with some of the artists they had on there. But uh, As a kid, I would sit there and just, from the America vs. JSA book, and just take reams of notes of, like, this JSA member joined at this time, this one joined at the next time. Like, I had the mm. issue numbers where they joined, when they left. I don't. For me, it was important to write all that down, and I did. And uh, mm. that thing was a, a tome before we had something like the Internet. Absolutely. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So Don't know how it has anything to do with R.J. Brand, but well done. Well, yes. I'm saying that. The, <laughs> I know. The, I was, the secret I, in between the naps, I was listening. You don't, please, good Lord, don't okay. tell us again. Um, but uh, injury-wise, I love this one. I, I'm kind of curious what the uh, artist guidelines were coming from the editor i mean did they have freedom to do backgrounds like they this and others just didn't choose to do it or yeah well it's i mean this is a really recent. great background here and it just kind of makes you looking through the rest of the book to just have a solid color background and negative space it's like God, why didn't all the other artists do something like this yeah one well, and that polecat power boy professor huxton page also by art Pierre. He also had crowns, so that was like clearly he took it upon himself to, to draw them. Good for him. It looks so much. It looks so much better than even the entry next to it. Actually, I'm a big fan of RT Bear during this period because uh, for me, I knew him right around this time. He was inking Dan Jurgens on the Adventures of Superman book. And oh, yeah that's, yeah. that's when I first started collecting Superman were those issues, and I just loved his inking. I just thought he was amazing, and he was. Here it's really solid and clean. He really did move into the 90s pretty firmly, pretty quick. But uh, mm. I, I enjoy stuff. I do. Speaking of the 90s, turn that page. Oh, God. Yes, you are absolutely correct, Kyle. This is about as 90s as you can get, folks. It is Rob Liefeld. Woof! Rob Liefeld and Al Gordon did all three of the images on this page, and we're going to start off with Rainbow Girl. And she is, see if I can get this right, Dory and Razion of Zolner. And she had the power of a heightened pheromone field, which made her irresistible, her personality irresistible, and it surrounded her her head in like this rainbow or body in this rainbow sort of field of light. So basically, people couldn't help but be attracted to her. She went to Legion tryouts and she got rejected. And truthfully, she didn't. She was actually trying to use the Legion as a stepping stone to a vid career. She was basically a not a very nice person. In fact, she was a gold digger. She ended up marrying the super rich guy. She looked into the Legion of Substitute Heroes, but they lacked the publicity she was looking for. Wow, talk about shallow. Now, uh, Rob Liefeld did a pretty decent job drawing her, I think. I maybe talked out of that, but at the surface, she's kind of hot. She's got purple hair, and she's rocking an uh, amazing body, and she's got a purple suit with some rainbow images, and she's got like rainbow effects around her back and uh, around her arms. Super short skirt, and you can see a little bit of uh, a lot of skin there, let's just put it that way, in some cool boots. I think it looks pretty neat. What do you think? Oh, first appearance, Adventure Comics 309, and I imagine probably her last appearance. What do you think, guys? Yes. 
Yeah. She was one panel in the, the story about something totally different. And it's kind of ironic that some boy is the guy that's telling her that she can't join, but she's supposed to have super pheromones. So I would think that he would say, yeah, sorry, but we can hook up later. Yeah. I mean, he'd be the most susceptible of anyone, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Entry-wise, as long as you look above her knees, yeah, pretty solid figure, well-rendered, uh, everything good proportion. It is weird that her shirt's so weird that you see, like, the bottom of her underwear. But, yeah. Uh, but then you go below the knees, and then you say, ha, that is a Rob Liefeld drawing. Because she's <laughs> under tippy toes, you know, because yes. you can't draw feet. Yep. Which instantly makes me think of, I believe it's X-Force number one. There's a panel with Boom Boom standing there in a doorway, and she's up on her tippy toes like a ballerina because he can't draw feet. So three years before that, he can't draw feet. What is going on with her left leg there? So it's behind her in shadow. Yeah. The angle's off, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it comes down fine, but then it's like she doesn't have an ankle. Right. No. That's like, what, yeah. You the, see the, the shadow. Her foot's almost yeah. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like the foot is hanging off. Yeah. I don't know. And then her right foot looks like it's on backwards, like the way that's drawn. <laughs> oh, you're right. It's like <laughs> that should be the inside of her foot instead of it's the outside of her foot. <laughs> well, Rob's really leaning into that can't draw feet thing here. <laughs> Yeah, but otherwise, uh, pretty solid. You know, typically, I've noticed uh, his weak areas are any, like, transition periods on the body. So, like, waist, that's why he has belts with pouches. Wrists, that's why he always has wrist gauntlets, things like that. His wrists actually look pretty solid here, but he's definitely helped out by drawing the uh, kind of rainbow bubbles around there right where the wrist meets, too. So he's able to <laughs> hide that transition area a little easier. Yeah. It's, it, I've seen worse from Rob. I've seen better from Rob. Oh, definitely. So. Yeah. Worse would be the next one. Uh, up next is Reflecto. Again, Rob Liefeld now Gordon. This is, wait for it, Jonah of Rimbor. Sound familiar? Yes, he's from the same but planet as Little Russell Burbage. And yes. um, it is super... We went to school together. I bet you did. So you were on the wrong side of town. Interesting. Anyway, it's Superboy's body with Ultra Boy's mind. Okay? So the gist of this is Ultra Boy's astral... It, some, some stuff happens. And Ultra Boy's astral form ends up inhabiting Superboy's body. And then, to make it worse, they get caught in an atomic blast which gives them amnesia or I guess technically it's Ultra Boy who's the brain. So anyway, it gives him amnesia and he still remembers the Legion but not necessarily why. So he creates this reflecto identity to sort of get in the Legion and figure out why he, he remembers them to see if they're friend or foe. Now he's wearing an all sort of yellow bodysuit with accents of, of orange in the boots and the trunks and the cape. I mean, it's, it's designed a little bit like Superboy's costume, you know, except where it would be blue is yellow, where it would be red it would be orange and, and no chest symbol. And he's got kind of Superboy's hair, except it's also orangey red. Now, here's where my questions come in. If this is Superboy, if oh. this is, well, yeah, <laughs> why is really where we're going, but if this is Superboy's body, and Jonah's mind. A, first question, A, why does he get his own, a separate entry? It seems like that would be either be contained within Ultra Boy or Superboy's entry. And B, what's up with the, if it's Superboy's body, why the orange hair? I don't quite get that. So anyway, by the way, I should say, first appearance, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, I'm sorry, just straight up Legion of Superheroes, uh, issue 277. Someone please tell me why this is here. I don't know. This is odd. Yes. Well, here, here's, here's what I don't get. Why this is in there. So we've had a Superboy entry or we'll get a Superboy we entry. One, yes. I'm going to have an Ultra Boy uh, entry. Yep. 
why are we getting this hybrid one? Now, exactly. think back to original Who's Who. We didn't get a Lana Lang entry. We got an Insect Queen entry. Correct. And that covered it for Lana Lang. Why didn't we? How come we didn't get 50 million Jimmy Olsen inquiries for every time he turned into Turtle Boy or Werewolf Olsen or Porcupine Olsen or everything like that? That's just this entry should not exist, especially not with this art. His arms are too short. <laughs> right, hold on. His keep, shoulders are too narrow. Yeah, keep the art comments. Hold on. Let me let me try to explain why I think we have this entry because it says his first appearance was Legion number 277, but actually Reflecto appeared way back in Adventure uh, right after Sferilad died on that cover where Superman goes into the adult Legion era and sees that, you know, Chemical King has died and Shadow Woman has died and Reflecto has died. And Reflecto has been haunting, uh, if I may use that word, the Legion history for, you know, 30 years by this point. So Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway hit it upon themselves to come up with, you know, who is Reflecto? Who is that guy that's that's in the Hall of Heroes from 1967? And they come up with this guy. And so the character, the name, absolutely is famous within the Legion mythos. But what Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway and then Paul Levitz did with him is, is excuse my friend, fucking stupid. So this is... Like, <laughs> Guys, with the F words, really? <laughs> well, I thought we were talking about the curse. Isn't that, weren't we supposed to be cursing like everything else? Uh... What are we talking about? Anyway, that's why he's here. So go ahead. But, well, but, it's, it's, his feet look fine, though, by the way. But, no, it goes back to the basic concept of why does he get a separate entry? Ultra Boy and Superboy both are getting entries already. This is not a separate entity. This is not a different existing person or parallel universe version or anything. It is simply Superboy's body with Ultra Boy's mind. But everybody thought it was for, for 30 plus years. That's okay, why. so does Sensor Girl and Princess Projecta get separate entries in this book? I don't know. Actually, I don't, I don't know. So. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't have the other issues handy. We're going to say they don't. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't argue, especially for this storyline. It, it was awful. But the Reflecto as a character is like one of the Quantum Queen or, you know, Polar Boy, one of the characters that was always mentioned, but then ended up joining the Legion. So it was a huge disappointment to read that Reflecto storyline in the, in the early 80s. But the character himself was been around since 1967. All right. So, Kyle, the art. Do you remember uh, last time you had me on this one for uh, issue two, did the Fatal Five, mm-hmm. and uh, we had uh, 30th Century Slipknot, the Grimbor, is that his name? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Rob Liefeld also drew that one. He straight up traced this one <laughs> from that. Same oh, exact pose, same yeah, exact yeah. inconsistencies, a too big a head for too narrow a shoulders. The legs are a little longer on this one, so he decided to trace Art Adam legs instead, I guess. Really skinny calves. Come on, Superboy. Hit the gym a little bit. But yeah, just, I think, uh, Shag, when we talked about that Grimbor entry, you had me like cover up certain parts of it. And then yeah, like, oh, like that you piece, cover the top half looked, looked okay, okay, and the bottom half looked okay, but when you looked at it together, it was all messed up. Yeah, yeah right. That's, that's what's going on here. Yeah. You know, he probably has, like, a template. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I used to use Marvel Superheroes, put out a role-playing game. The advanced box set had these uh, character cards, and there were some... But that, that set was inferior to the DC one, right? You're absolutely correct. But okay. uh, they did have these blank character cards, which was just basically a, a blank body outline. And back then, I didn't have the internet, so I just, every time I wanted to draw a character, I would trace the male blank template of, of the body. And I would use that, and then I would draw my characters from there. And that looks like maybe he had something like that but it was like,
like like you said, an Art Adams version with crazy legs. Although I really yeah. like Art Adams. But. Oh, so do I. Uh, costume wise, I, I would say that this reminds me of. Do you ever see like the chase figure that was never produced for the Superpowers line? Oh my gosh, it's the Superman. Superman, isn't it? Yep. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I see that totally. It's got the cape is like goofy short though. Yeah, and the way it's not, it reminds me of Red Robin's costume. Yes. Yes. I Red thought Robin, that too. Uh, I thought they were like wings for a second. No, it's not. It's it's pleats. It's like a zil- and I mean pleats. It's like just yeah. folds. There's way too many yeah. folds for the amount of fabric that's actually there. Oh yeah. wow, that makes it even worse. I thought that must have been like a intentional notch thing. Well, but, maybe yeah. it is. I don't know. No, it's not in the original. It's not drawn that way. So it's just a, it's just folds in the cape, and it's just way yeah. too many. Folds. Uh, maybe Rob was hanging out with Todd McFarlane by this point. <laughs> maybe. Can we move on, please? This character's yes, please. Me let's, yeah. Let's okay. continue to talk about legs. Speaking yeah, of legs, here comes three of them. <laughs> yeah, resource raiders. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By Rob, Liefeld, little, uh, by Rob Liefeld and yeah. Al Gordon. Basically, these are Jawas, guys. They're little thieves. They steal resources from planets and then sell them back to them when they're desperate. They're basically Jawas. First appearance, Superboy, number 225. It's, it's a little alien creature whose skin is really pale, albino, kind of white. He's got three legs with sort of nightcrawler feet, you know, with basically two giant toes. And his face is kind of flat with these weird stalks coming up out of there with eyeballs. It's a, it's a very odd looking character. What I don't understand is why is it so tiny. Are resource raiders really short or something? No, this is an awful, awful illustration because they're not tiny. They're they're human size. <gasps> they're they're not colored this way. They're oh they're they've got stocks of eyeballs. Well, that's what's going on here. Their, what the, the, the eyeballs on a stock, so that's fair. Yeah, and so you can't really tell by this that they're they're stocked. If you look at it, you look like the eyes are there's a lines or something, but they're not. Yeah, they're, they're, they're standing not really away from the body. Away from the body. Yeah, it almost yeah. looks like he's an alligator with high eyes, and he's got like uh, ribs right. underneath his. In Rob's defense, I, I totally got that. I got that they're eye stalks. I did. This is my first time ever seeing this, too. Okay. Well, you pull out the um, Earth War stories, any of the Jim Sherman work, or even Steve Lytle, who also drew these aliens, and that's how the, the ra- resource raiders are supposed to look. This is awful. Hmm. All right. I can't, I can't lay the character design of the third leg, you know, insert a dick joke here. But uh, <laughs> he certainly doesn't do it any justice of treating that. Can we move on now? Yes, please. Ron Vidar, please. Yes. Ron Vidar. Full page entry, main character. This is going to be Mr. Kyle Benning. Ron Vidar of Earth, drawn by Ron Friends with inks by Larry Molstead. Now, Ron Vidar's history really begins with the history of his father, who is a disgraced and fallen Green Lantern, who takes the name Universo and attempts to destroy the Legion. Ron, who is a celebrated researcher at the Metropolis Time Institute, gets involved and thwarts his father's evil plans. For his efforts, he is rewarded by the Guardians of the Universe by taking the mantle of Green Lantern and replacing his father in the core. His father, Universo, surfaces once again in an evil attempt to destroy the Legion, and once again, Ron and the Legion defeat him, resulting in the Legion making Ron an honorary member. He's just an honorary member because he doesn't have any powers of his own, but he does have the Green Lantern ring. Now, in a third evil bid to destroy the Legion, uh, it appeared that Universal had come back and killed his son, but Ron was actually protected and saved uh, by his Green Lantern ring. Uh, People thought he was dead, so they threw him in a coffin and buried him, and while in the coffin, uh, his ring uh, actually managed to heal him, so he rejoined the fight and ended up defeating his father. Uh, powers, he has a genius class intellect, and then he has, of course, all the powers and abilities that come with wielding a Green Lantern ring. 
his look is actually a pretty rocking costume. Uh, it's a really neat to green and white uh, Green Lantern costume. I can't help but wonder if uh, this costume design was an inspiration for Kyle Rayner's first Ion costume Dude. in the 90s. We got that or the late 90s. Same note I've got. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would even say possibly Kyle's first costume because there's if you, oh, yeah, if, you trans, if you transpose the white in the in the in the black, there's a lot of similarities here. Yep, definitely. So uh, his first appearance was in Adventure Comics number 349. Very solid inquiry here. Art style wise. Uh, Pretty solid mid to late 80s uh, DC house style. Pretty reminiscent of what you'd see out of like Jackson Goyce, Dan Jurgens at the time, Tom Lyle, or Pat Roderick. There's some more style there. It's absolutely a Marvel Universe style pose, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, the page it's uh, following does wonders for making this thing look awesome. <laughs> well, I, I got questions. This Green Lantern ring that he's got, it, he kept a secret all those years until it was necessary to reveal it. And that really reads like a retcon. Like, that's how I'm taking this probably was, is that he was around for a long time, and finally they just retcon that he had a Green Lantern ring all this time. A, am I right? And B, when did that happen? Uh, you're wrong, and it happened at Baxter Series Legion number 50. So when Universal came back for Universal Project Series, which was like 30-something in the Baxter Series, that whole Saturn Girl versus Universal storyline, which was so good, um, that is when Universal evidently or tried to kill his son. And Ron Vidar died off screen, so everybody thought, oh, he's not really dead and he's going to come back. And he never came back. And that was just some lingering thing like, wait, did Universal really kill his son? What's going on here? And it was a lot, a, a letter every once in a while in the letter page would say, yeah, and by the way, is Ron Vidar really dead? So then in issue number 50, it turns out that Ron Vidar had a Green Lantern ring, and he helped the Legion fight against the Time Trapper, and he was keeping it secret because the Green Lanterns were not allowed on Earth, per a story that was reprinted in the Great Darkness Saga trade paperback. Kyle, take it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, they uh, reprinted that story and retold it uh, as a background feature, kind of decompressing from Great Darkness Saga when they get regroup at Legion headquarters, and uh, Timber Wolf, so wondering how, what he should do, whether he should stay or go, uh, be with Light Lass, and uh, he's watching old Legion footage, and we kind of get the, the recap of that story. That's kind of where it's uh, rephrased there. Uh, I wish uh, he was still around. Obviously, there hasn't been uh, too much headway in recent Legion stories, but uh, if you remember kind of post-Final Crisis and the Final Crisis of Legion of Three Worlds, when we get the, uh, another reboot of the Legion kind of spinning out of that with uh, Superboy, uh, Adventure Comics, and then a, a new Legion series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Monel was uh, oh, that's right. a yeah. Green Lantern at the time, and he was the only Green Lantern. He was the last one in the universe at that time, so it's too bad they couldn't have brought Ron Vidar back at that point or had him find Ron, and yeah. uh, they could have been two Green Lanterns pounding around together. Yeah, I never understood any of that that Green Lantern Monel stuff. I, I that confused the hell out of me. I was not reading Green Lantern, and I actually got a letter published uh, in Adventure Comics, you know, briefly before they launched uh, New Fifty Two in two thousand eleven. Starting in oh. January, they brought all the letters back, and so I wrote into Adventure Comics right around the time uh, Monel was doing his Green Lantern thing, and said, "Hey, I want a DC Direct figure. This this is awesome." And brought up some other points, and of course, they just completely ignored the entire content of my letter and gave me the whole uh, Christmas story, little orphan Annie, drink more Nesquik thing. And they said, for more adventures uh, following the Legion, make sure you're picking up the Legion's own series. Like, yeah, no shit. I'm already reading that, but thanks. <laughs> it was, so was, it was Ovaltine, by the way. Thank you very much. Isn't that what I said? No. I think you said Nestle Quick or something like that. Oh. 
Okay, but yeah, it was Ovaltine. You're correct, but I believe uh, that letter was printed in Adventure Comics number five twenty seven. FYI. So. Okay, everybody, rush out to your uh, long boxes and dig out that issue of Adventure Comics. Little Little Kyle Benning has a letter in, and I have it uh, signed by the Moy Brothers uh, because they did the art in it. And did you oh. sign the issue yourself as somebody who wrote a letter? No. <laughs> you know, I've actually signed. I've, I've had some letters published in the old days, and, I, and I've actually been asked to autograph the comics that the uh, letter appeared in. Because I was actually the one that asked you to sign them. Yeah. Old issues of uh, Dr. Fate. <laughs> Kyle asked for my autograph because he's a freak. <laughs> All you right. signed it. Too, right? Well, I, I, I'm not going to deny I'm a freak, but I don't think asking for your autograph is what makes me a freak. I think there's a lot of other things that probably throw me in that category. Before this, gets, freak. before this gets any deeper, we're going to move on and talk about a real freak, folks. We're yes. moving on to the next page, and it's two characters per page, and this is Roxas by Howard Bender and Arn Starr. Roxas! Oh my gosh. You don't have to put on that black jumpsuit. Tonight! Yeah, well, I'm going to go there, but okay. <laughs> All right, so a new rule. Kyle's not allowed to drink before we podcast. All right. Um, his real name is Kavoon Roxas of Murgador, and he is the leader of a band of space pirates. And he went to the planet of Trom, which is where um, Element Lad is from, planet of transmuters, and he had this plan to use the transmitter muters to get rich. And they ended up, oh, I got ugly. It was a bit of a standoff, and they ended up murdering pretty much everyone on the planet except for element lad who got away uh he went to prison and he eventually he escaped and returned to trom and he went insane this is roxas by the way went insane while he was there and he was nearly killed by element lad and here he's wearing as we said a black jumpsuit which is zipped down far too sh- far too low and we're seeing lots of chest with big popped collar he's got wolfman jack's haircut and beard with little white boots and this drawing is nothing compared to how incredibly freaky deaky this guy got in the five-year-later run. And honestly, the character scared the crap out of me in the five-year-later. Like, he was scary like the Joker's supposed to be scary. And I was terrified of the guy in the five-year-later run. In fact, a friend of mine got a snake and actually named it Roxas based on the five-year-later version of Roxas. Oh, (laughs) creepy stuff. Yeah, creepy stuff. The story where he uh, escapes and and Element Lad and Chemical King uh, track him down on Trom, that was Superboy Legion number 211, I think. That is an awesome, awesome story. Oh, no, I forgot to mention. I'm sorry. First appearance, Adventure Comics 307. All right. Up next is Sadaharu. Probably said that wrong. Uh, Sadawaru. Okay, yeah, Sadawaru. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe anything you say anymore. Anyway, uh, Howard Bender and Arn Star, and his name is Unan Sadaharu of Earth. Sadaharu Unan. Mm, okay. Oh, wait. You've actually lived in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Am I going to have to believe that, too? I don't even know. No. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you guys may recall, Karate Kid was the son of a Japanese evil gang leader. And when the gang leader died, Karate Kid went with the uh, the guy's enemy, who was a good person named Sensai. Well, this is what happened in Japan Sensei. after Karate... Thank you. After Karate Kid left. Uh, this guy... Say his name again. Sensei. No, this guy. Say his name. Oh, Sadawaru. That guy. He actually took over the evil gang in Japan and ended up uh, leading the, the... I think they're called the Black Dragons, if I, if I remember right. And yeah. mm-hmm. uh, he eventually attacked Orandu because apparently everyone attacked and dealt with uh, Karate Kid and uh, Queen Projectra. And first appearance was Superboy number 210. Yeah, I don't know where that battle on Orando happened. That might have been in the Karate Kid series because I didn't read that. But uh, That battle um, was probably the uh, inspiration for that show. I think it was on History Channel, the uh, like Warrior versus Warrior. So we had like uh, Feudal Japan versus uh, oh, Feudal Knight. <laughs> Who would win? Could be. Could be. Who, who did win? I assume Rondo. Yeah. So, 
So knights in shining armor. Yeah. It just thanks. seems like every five minutes, Orondo's under attack. I mean, if you if reading the who's who thing, it's just, I understand now why Mark Wade says it was the most visited planet of the Legion is because it's always under attack. It's yeah. Crazy. It's the Tatooine of the yeah. universe. Yeah. It really That's true. Is. Oh. Uh, so mini Japanese language tutorial, the somebody who knew just enough Japanese to be, get it wrong. <laughs> wrote his name because in kanji which is the, the the difficult stuff that you see on people's bodies in tattoos can be read sada haru or sada waru with a w mm-hmm. and when you put them together though you can't pronounce it sada haru there's no such word it's okay. like you know pronouncing ghost as gahosti or something it's just it's not right so that's why i said it's sada waru that i'm sure i know what kanji they're talking about and it's not pronounced sado well does sada this haru. does this is this a word that would translate into English with any sort of meaning? No, it's just a person's name, like okay. Tanaka or Honda or Toyota. Okay. It's just Sakawadu. Like, well, sen- sensei is like, you know, or Sensei is like teacher or something like that, right? Sensei and, is teacher, yes. That's yeah, the so word I don't know if this translated into like dick bag or something like that. No, it's a place name. Hold on. Unan is also not a Japanese word at all. It's like, you know, you, you tried to make something up. You've got kimon or, or gamon or something, and somebody said, oh, let's just mix letters around like uh jerry conway made the wonder woman villain kang a japanese guy that's not a japanese word so somebody got it wrong now now to be fair you are quite literally an expert in japanese i mean folks this isn't just russell does this as a hobby he lived there he he translates from japanese to english like for a living and profession and stuff i mean the guy knows what you're talking about however this is the 30th century. It is possible the Japanese language has evolved, and Unan is a word at that point. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> that, is, that is possible. That was my Bob Rosakis answer man effort right there, folks. Yes, I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> All right. Up the only next. last thing I have to say oh. about these is I think about it a lot of times. Man, if I just had a time machine, I'd go back and get that Mickey Mantle baseball card out of a pack for 10 cents, or I'd go get whatever rare comic book and hide it away. And I've heard Rob say that many times on shows as well. Looking at these entries, I think, God, I really need to go back to the 70s and get some just terrible, shitty, awful jumpsuit things. I mean, <laughs> the guy look. Roxas up top looks like he's wearing Black Tom's costume, and yeah. however Russell pronounces it, looks like he's got a pink version of Iron Fist's costume. Yes. And I need well, to just pack these away and uh, save them for heirlooms for generations to come, you know, a thousand years from now. And they're going to make a killing on the black market uh, supervillain uh, thing, you know, a thousand years in the future. These guys are just going to be eating this shit up. If that's the styles a thousand years from now, then I feel I weep for fashion designers in the future. All right, I'm moving on to the next full page entry, folks, and this is an important Yay. one. This is a major, major, major character, ladies and gentlemen. This is Saturn Girl, one of the founders, Yay. and she's all mine. Woohoo! And take that however you want. This is uh, Imra Ardeen Rands of Titan. She is one of the founders of the Legion. As you already know, she's an incredibly powerful telepath. She's, in fact, Titan's strongest telepath. And I, I didn't read this or know this till I was reading her origin here on this thing. She, the reason she was on the shuttle with the other uh, Cosmic Boy and Lightning Lad was because she was on her work, on her way to Earth to try out for the science police. She had been found by some yes. science police.
actually scouts, and she was coming to Earth to go through her uh, testing, which I didn't realize that, to, yeah. so she could get into the Academy. Anyway, of course, she meets Rock and Garth, and they save R.J. Brain, as we know. And I'll, I'll, you guys know all I'm not going to waste your time with it. But, um, you know, she and Lightning Lad chose to get married, even though they knew it would get them kicked out of the Legion. And it's interesting, at this point in history, she has returned to the Legion, and Garth is a stay-at-home dad with the boys, which is really yes. super cool. And this version of her outfit, I think this is probably the most iconic version of her outfit. This it, It's mostly pink with a white uh, vertical bit down the middle, in, like in between the boobs, and she's got, the, of course, the little Saturn planet there, and the white belt, and the white gloves, and the welt, white boots with a little tiny skirt thing there. And she's got she's rocking kind of the shorter blonde hair, kind of like the mom look at this point, rather than the long hair, but she's still beautiful. Well, she was a mom. Right, that's why I said it. Thank you for keeping up. And uh, it's <laughs> art by Kurt Swan and Carl Kessel. I, I, You know what? I still think she's hot. I think she's one of the hottest Legionnaires, and I've had a crush on her for years, because she's smart, she's strong-willed, she's badass, I, I, you know, she's tough on the outside, and uh, she's a bit of a romantic, too, you know? And she's beautiful. Yeah, she's one of my favorite characters. I was so happy when she got out of that pink pajama uniform from the 70s, because it's a cool, hot uniform, but it absolutely doesn't fit her character because she sh- she is not, you know, one of those Playboy Bunny type characters. She's, you know, she was the leader of the Legion for two years in a row. She's she's the smartest, one of the smartest Legionnaires over all of them, and mm-hmm. she would not be running around wearing, you know, the pink pajamas. So I'm glad she got rid of those. But uh, Just to, to I'm not I'm, I'm going to let you talk some more in a second, but just to think about it, she's a telepath. So yeah. wearing that costume, she knew exactly what every man was thinking, too. So come on. Yeah. That, that's not going to happen. And, and and then if you look at her and her husband right next to her in those drawings, I noticed this in the um, the Christmas special where they go off to try and find the, 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 the North Star from the birth of Christ. She's sitting there in that crazy, ridiculous outfit. Right next to her is her husband, who is completely clothed, literally head to toe. The only thing exposed is, like, his neck up. And she's wearing, like, nothing. It's, like, ridiculous. And that's coming from me, again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know uh, what's going on with you this this episode. You haven't been all irredeemably. You've been all... Put more clothes on. Well, <laughs> you're an old man. That's what you are. Here's the thing. You're an old the, man. The Legion has a lot of sexist outfits and things like that, and a lot of tre- sexist treatment of a lot of the female characters. And maybe I'm just feeling like trying to make up for that because there, a lot of them are very strong, really worthwhile characters that got mistreated. And by this point in history, by the late 80s, they're starting to make amends for that. And I guess I'm trying yep. to celebrate that. I agree. Yes. I really like this entry. Kurt Swan uh, gets a lot of flack, especially for his 80s work, because he just wasn't stylish, especially compared to some of the new blood that was coming into DC post-crisis. He's just an all-time master artist, especially with facial expressions. His anatomy is always spot on, and uh, Carl Kessel Kiesel is a perfect uh, anchor for pretty much everybody, but yeah. uh, he really brings a, a, a nice finish here yeah. to uh, Kurt Swan's pencils here. Really, really makes it really nice, really solid entry here. Just wish we had backgrounds like we uh, get with the other. Yeah, that's what ones. I was thinking. If they had backgrounds, this would be my absolute favorite, but it's still very, very good. Now, there is a little bit of a sexist element here in that her skirt, which actually, yeah. she's wearing pants and a skirt on top of that, but the wind is catching her skirt in the weirdest way so that basically her butt cheek is exposed. It's still, she's still wearing pants, so it's not like she's naked, but it's like, did the skirt really have to come up to show the curve of her butt cheek? Hmm, guys. Yeah. It's hot. Though. I guess I mean, it, it is. Did. It is really hot. I mean, I, I got to give it that. So. The worst thing that I think was ever done to this character, and I haven't read anything, though, was Great Darkness Saga. Take a drink. <laughs> when her and Timberwolf apparently shared a uh, loving glance uh, with each other yeah, just at the moment. right time. 
Yes, as uh, Lightlass walked in, and that's what uh, set Lightlass on the path of walking out on the Legion. And, and uh, I felt like her and uh, Garth's relationship was stronger than that. I did not really like that little, even though nothing happened, wrinkle thrown in there. That always bothered me. Yeah, I didn't like that part either. Yeah, I agree. But I, I wonder if that was, and, and I'm probably thinking this too deeply here, but I wonder if that was an intentional nod to the passion uh, between Jean Grey and Wolverine. <laughs> I knew you were going to say well, that. Well, think oh, about it. She's a telepath. Yeah. He's uh, feral. Rough. Yeah, rough, Wolverine yeah. type. Around the edges, feral. And, 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 and I believe Timberwolf, yeah. I think Timberwolf came before Wolverine. But by this point, they're, yes. they're kind of similar characters at this point, though, you know. Yes. And again, t- telepath. It, it, I gotta wonder if, you know, and, and friggin', you know, Dave Crockerham, a lot of the Legion and X-Men designs are stolen from one another back and forth and everything. I, I gotta wonder if maybe that's that was a purposeful thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And if not, well, was... of, if not, it's a heck of a man thing, swamp thing kind of coincidence then. Yeah. 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 A little bit. It was, I thought, I, I like to think of it as part of the whole, you know, Saturn girl loves everybody and she understands everybody, but she hides it because she doesn't, doesn't want the emotions, the, the, the telepathy to overpower her. So mm-hmm. she comes off as a cold fish but that was one moment where she really was feeling empathetic with Timberwolf or they were feeling empathetic towards each other and they're kind of you know brother-in-law sister-in-law at that point because he's she's in love with him and and he's in love with Garth's sister so I mean they're 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 related almost so it wasn't romantic at all but it was me hanging out with my sister-in-law you know type of thing and uh, it didn't go anywhere and I think it was badly handled but that's how I kind of put it in my head and that was the other reason I really liked her because she was she was an intelligent woman and she she really did care, but she couldn't be the the woman because at the seventies especially it was like oh you're you're either a bitch or you're a, you're a sex kitten and she couldn't she tried to go in between those two things and it was very very interesting whenever it came up that she was she didn't care and it's like I care too much <laughs> so melodrama. Well, you, you talked about them being you know almost brother in law and sister in law. It, it's it, you try to play it nice, but it really was more like brother-in-law and sister-in-law drunk in the kitchen at Christmas when no one's around and they're starting to... They weren't making out. They were not making out. So it, it, the, the tension was there, man. It was there. I've even read that issue. So, yeah. All right, we're going to move on. I, I didn't say it, but it goes without saying. First appearance, Adventure Comics 247. So. Mm. All right, folks, strap in because we're coming up to the last five-page entry... <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news to yes. the science police. <laughs> yes. I'm going to kind of put these all together into one kind of big entry because they're all illustrated by Colleen Duran yep. and they're all the same characters in the group shot and the individual. So it's, I'm going to kind of treat them as one. Science police have been around basically as long as the Legion. The first mention of them was in Adventure Comics number 300, which was, if everybody remembers their Legion history, the first issue of their first series because they bounced around between action and adventure comic and Superboy uh, backups until they got Adventure 300. And the first appearance of the, the science police was when the science police chief appeared in their kind of Legion version of the trouble alert saying, hey, we need Legion help on this mission. You need to help come and save us. And that was the start of the science police. Um, the SP for short, they function as the law enforcement branch of the United Planets government. Um, of officers are stationed on every United Planet world and colony. 
and there are special outposts located near the boundary lines between such uh, UP and Kundia space sector and quarantined worlds, quarantined worlds such as Gurla or Daxel. Um, the largest concentration of science police are on Earth and followed by the Mars where the Science Police Academy is located. So the first illustration here is is the five, six, seven, three, four, five. Um, science police people standing in front of the Science Police headquarters in downtown Metropolis. Then we go into individual kind of profiles of these seven characters. They're all wearing the typical gray body uniforms with black, uh, dark blue boots and gloves, and then some sort of loincloth-y type uh, <laughs> thing off of their belts. That seems to be the unisex uh, uniform of all of the science police. They've got also, um, no illustration here, but they've got nifty kind of space helmets that they wear when they uh, travel out into airless environments. Um, do you guys want to start talking about this group shot, or can I just keep going? Oh, please, just go. Okay. So then um, the first one is Chief Kusamano, who is Gigi Kusamano of Earth. At this point, she is the chief of the Mars post. But by the end of the Baxter series, she was made the actual chief of police on Earth. Chief Zendak uh, was fired and she was promoted to be the chief. She was introduced as the roommate of Officer Aaron, uh, who was the Legion liaison officer. And turns out that uh, Kusimano was Jim Allen's uh, former girlfriend. Uh, Jim Allen turned out to be Colossal Boy. And when he got his powers, they kind of broke up. He went into the Legion and she kept on as a science police person. Her first appearance was in Legion number 301, and she was introduced again as her roommate, uh, Aaron's roommate, and also as one of the investigators versus of the um, shrinking violet Yera incident. Okay, real quick, I, I don't have things to say about every single one of these characters, but I do have something to say yeah. about Gigi, which is yeah. – I, I, in both the the team shot and here, she's in a, like a sitting sort of sex kitten pose. You know? Yeah, I don't like that. And given her role in her ambition and enthusiasm and stuff like that, you read about her, it, it doesn't seem to fit with her personality. She seems like a real go getter, no. and here she's all like focused on glam and stuff. And apparently, yeah. people are well treated in the 30th century because both her and Officer Aaron are freaking stacked like the Library of Congress, as my friend Michael Bailey likes to say. Uh, it's <laughs> just ridiculous. And now, if Colin, Colin Durand is, knows how to draw some beautiful people. I mean, clearly, the cast of Science Police, the TV series, is going to be on the CW. Um, no doubt about that. Yeah. But, yeah. So, that's, that's yeah, okay. That's all I had. <laughs> all right. So, the second one, Officer Devron, Rune Dev Devron, I, I don't know how to pronounce that. He first appeared in Superboy 207. He was introduced as a rookie who conned the Legion. He was uh, saved. His life was saved by Universo, um, who felt sorry for him being so young. And so he wanted to help the Legion, he said, to capture Universo, but it was really to repay his debt to Universo and let him get free of the Legion, which he did, and then turned around and helped the Legion catch Universo. And then he was a supporting character for a couple more years. He also helped uh, Bouncing Boy regain his powers during uh, Chemical King's funeral. And then he also investigated who shot Laurel Kent, which was the uh, Legion of Superheroes annual of 1985, which featured Ollie Queen from a few pages ago. So everything's a circle. We said we weren't mentioning him anymore. <laughs> Uh, okay, then moving on. Uh, Officer Aaron, she's the one that we care the most about. She is, uh, I'm gonna butcher this, Siobhan? I've right. never heard of this before. Siobhan. I always just figured it Siobhan. Siobhan Aaron of Earth. She was introduced in the um, Earth War storyline as a communicator. She went and tried to tell the Legion that Mordru had escaped. 
and he kept stopping her from being able to tell them that. Then she was named and picked as the uh, Legion liaison officer in, uh, oddly enough, Legion Annual Number One, but that one was from 1982, I think. And she was a strong supporting character for the last five or six years of, of Paul Levitz's run. She ended up dating uh, Element Lad, and then five years later, it turns out that she was well, maybe I'll let Shag try to explain what she was, a transgender or was she actually a she, she was she, actually a boy. She's a man, baby. Well, she's a man. Uh, no, it changed yeah. her into a woman. Yes. She, so. she, as I recall, she uh, she started life as a man and was taking uh, medicine to make her a female. It's transgender is exactly what it was, I, yeah. at least if I understand my terms right. If I if I have my terms wrong, please, folks, understand. Yeah, it's I'm just not for sure. ignorance, not anything in, in rude. And preferred to live as a woman. And uh, her and Element Lad had a romance, and then when he found out the truth that not, that he was formerly a man, they he didn't care. You know, he's like, "Look, I I don't care whether you're a man or a woman. I just love you for you." And they continued on. Yeah. Um, great, so then Chief, it's great. But yeah, let's talk about that when we're <laughs> done with these two people. Then Chief Zendak, uh, he was also one of the characters that you see always in the background, um, ordering science police officers to help out the Legion. Uh, he was the chief of police on Earth until he was fired by President Dubai or Dusai, whatever his name was, in Legion number 56 towards the end of the Baxter series. And that is when Chief Kusumano uh, replaced him. Um, and then the last three pages of three officers that nobody's ever heard of or, or knew about before. Chief Wilson is the guy that actually, I think, appeared in number 300 because it looked like he was the chief. I'm not sure why his first appearance listed here was 303, but um, he's listed here as the chief of police before Zendak. And I've got a real problem with this history. Um, they've made this up, Chief Wilson and then the next guy, Commander Hagbard. They say that Wilson was the first one when the Legion got started, and then he got closer to retirement age, and they named somebody, don't know how to pronounce this name, Ianos. And Ianos, no, nothing much is known about him, but he didn't serve very long. And then Commander Hagbard took over, and Hagbard was kind of a stopgap guy until they hired Chief Zendak. And then Chief Zendak worked until he was replaced by Kusumano. But um, there's a very important story from uh, Adventure 374, where Chief of Police is called out as Chief Zoltaris. Um, and if you've read that issue, it's the one with Supergirl and Ultra Boy on the cover, Mission Diabolical. And Chief Zoltaris of the Science Police, again, calls out the Legion and needs their help to, to solve this gang problem. The Taurus gang is, is trying to take over the crime in Metropolis. Blah, blah, blah. Turns out that Chief Zoltaris is actually the kingpin running the Taurus gang. And this, these three profiles here absolutely retcon Chief Zoltaris out of the continuity, which is very, very strange. Hmm. The story that they call out with Commander Hagbard is... Superboy Legion 249, and that was a Chameleon Boy backup story by Paul Kupperberg and Joe Staten, and that was his one and only actual comic book appearance. And then lastly, and leastly, <laughs> Officer Quav, uh, Nuewa Quav of Cordegar, and people who know DC Universe stuff, uh, their ears probably perked up a little bit because Cordegar yeah. is, of course, Sinestro's home planet, which means this guy is bright pink. Um, he was the secretary slash executive secretary assistant to Chief Zendak. Again, his first appearance was during the Shrinking Violet Yero storyline. This one was uh, Legion 302. 
So the other one note I have about this is I think this current science police uniform was designed by Mike Grell because in that 207 story with Universal, that was the first time that I could find, and I didn't dig through my entire Legion collection, but that was the first time I saw this gray and blue with those space helmets call out as being the science police. Before that, they were kind of wearing fatigues or, you know, jumpsuits, kind of like Roxas or Sotawala, those types of people. So this is, I think I want to credit this to Mike Grell. Well, I don't know if they're wearing enough clothes to be Mike Grell's. Or I think, wearing wearing, I'm sorry, I'm I think they're wearing too many clothes to be Mike Grell's yeah, design. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Oof. Well, I, I don't have anything to add to the science police. Kyle, what about you? Yeah, so starting <laughs> on uh, page 28 and 29, double-page spread. Yeah. Pretty nice uh, drawing there. Uh, their headquarters look like uh, Java's Palace to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Page 30, uh, starting from the, the top entry there, Kusumano and then Devron. Part of it's the color scheme, part of it's because it's a guy and girl, part of it's because it's really late, but I think uh, Jan and Jaina, the Wonder Twins, <laughs> when I look at these two entries, uh, entries on the same page. <laughs> Going over to page 31, then I see those two entries together, and I think Sue Storm and Reed Richards. Oh, my goodness. Ooh. Okay. Going to page 32, uh, first guy there, Wilson. He looks like the Spider-Man villain, the chameleon, as he was drawn in the Spider-Man animated <laughs> series with an orange wig. Yeah, kind of a not real great face there. Uh, middle guy there, Commander Hagbard. Why do you steal uh, Booster Gold's goggles? And then Officer Quav. That just straight up looks like the monitor to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's my thought on the science police. Yeah. Can we end this now? <laughs> right. Well, I have one thing I wanted to say about the science police is I'm disappointed by the the human Caucasian ratio because they've been around since say nineteen sixty something, but everyone during the eighties was a white person and then and from Earth. So that is disappointing to me. The only one who's not from Earth is is Korgar, the Niwewa Um we have seen alien science police officers in the backgrounds. Antur from the Earth War was like some big lizard guy. And then there was the Scottish science police guy when Brainiac Five went crazy, but he also was an American or uh, an Earther. Was his name Argyle. I don't think it was ever given the name, okay. frankly. Um, but maybe Argyle. That, yeah, maybe. There were some alien science police people featured in the Curse trade paperback as well as in the uh, Great Darkness saga with a lot of science police stepping up and trying to fight Darkseid's uh, hordes. But if you want to know more about the science police, I would recommend reading the Legion of Superheroes 312 and 313, which was when Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen kind of went in undercover at the science uh, police academy and headquarters. And Paul, there were some spy- Paul Levitz went undercover? Yeah, Paul Levis and Keith Giffen wrote the story, did the story. Oh, well, you, you made it sound like they themselves went undercover. It's like a, like one of those comics where, you know, they, they had, you know, the the actual writers of the comic in the co- in the comic. Like uh, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Fantastic Four. Yes. When the Marvel Bulletin, or our Julie, Bulletin. Or Julie Schwartz would show up in, you know, or Carrie Bates Earth would show X up stories. in Justice League yeah. or whatever, yeah. Or Earth Prime stories, yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah, that ends the this issue. The, it ends on uh, Qualve, and that's this number five, Oof. full of morts. Legion well, Super Morts. <laughs> there are a couple good entries in here. There's some good art. It, it's not the most stellar of the seven issues so far. But yeah. uh, it, it does, by the way, the inside back cover does feature the Constitution, but we talked about that at length. And by at length, I mean 30 minutes. Uh, last episode when Siskoid gave us the absolute lowdown on the Constitution. And all, <laughs> all kidding aside, it was very fascinating. And considering what he had to plod through, Siskoid did, uh, did a great job on that. So Unlike my guest tonight. So Anyway, Kyle, this is where we say goodbye. Uh, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? 
Nowhere. Everything <laughs> I have is currently dead. Per- perhaps the Legion of Super Bloggers? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I-, I have no uh, ongoing features planned uh, for the time being on the Legion of Super Bloggers, so I may pop in for some uh, guest stuff, but uh, right now nothing planned. Right now my uh, podcast is dead, and none of the uh, episodes are available because the feed's been canceled, but I'm working on slowly trying to uh, get them on a new feed, so maybe by the time this comes out, who knows when this is going to come out. It's going to take me a until... long time to edit all seven hours of it. Well, yeah, and you'll probably just wait until there's like 50 people bitching about how long it's been for a who's who episode <laughs> before it goes out so uh who knows by then maybe all the episodes will be back uh, up on there so otherwise i guess fire and water network this is like my fifth or sixth appearance on uh, fire and water so far in uh 2017 so i think you're a professional uh, i think you're a professional guest host now yeah your next step, next step the oscars <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so, sorry. No, I'm tired. I don't really have anything out right now. So that's probably for the best. Well, folks, <laughs> write in and put some pressure on him to pick up the ball and start getting some more uh, Legion of Super Bloggers articles written, folks. So, well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's been an absolute blast having you. All kidding aside, you know we, we're old buddies, and it's great to hang out with you again. So thank you. Uh, Russell? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I enjoyed our chat very much, Kyle. Russell, I need you, if you could if you could step over here into something I like to call the pocket universe, and uh, we will we'll bring you back after we finish with our coverage with issue number six, and you'll help us wrap it up with issue number seven. Folks, we're going right. pod- to take a podcast promo break, and we'll be back in a moment. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The brave and the bold. You know it. Marvel two-in-one. It's clobberin' time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW team-up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. always have to say it that way. Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? And we're back. 
We have said fond farewells to Kyle. We told Russell to go sit in the green room and behave himself for a little while. But joining me now, folks, are my good friends, Siskoid and Dr. Ange. Welcome back, guys. Hey. Thanks for being here. Glad to. Thanks for the invite. Awesome. Well, we are looking forward to this. You guys have each been through this already, so we're not going to go through your introductions. Uh, we did that in a previous episode. So in the interest of getting this going, because this is probably already going to be a six-hour podcast, let's go ahead and use Ron Vidar's Time Cube and get this issue going. This is issue number six, cover dated October 1988. It was released on June 28th, 1988. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Now, the cover. It is uh, a cityscape. It's, it's just like the other ones. It's a two a double spread cover. Once you open it up, the bottom half is sort of a fisheye pers- uh, perspective of a huge bustling metropolis. No pun intended. It actually is a super metropolis of the 30th century. The top half is an orangish, yellowish kind of look, and it has all the Legion members sort of flying out at you. Now, guys, I, I'm going to be doing a lot of talking this episode, so I want to turn this over to you. What do you guys think of this cover? What do you like the best? What do you think doesn't work? Let's start with you, Ciscoid. Uh Well, I mean, I like it, but there isn't much in the way of interaction between the characters so when there is interaction that's what I like best so my favorite bit of this is on the back cover and it's Shadowlass uh, looking up at Monel. so anybody else is looking at one another but uh, these two are a couple and uh, the fact that she's looking up at him lovingly or you know you know, she's, she's in it for the abs it's uh, <laughs> clearly clearly that's what she's looking at there so that's my favorite bit of the uh, of the cover. Now, is it possible that Phantom Girl's also looking at Ultra Boy? She's kind of hard to tell. She's real tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're maybe. right. Yeah, and she's into biceps. <laughs> <laughs> this is during that phase where I hated Ultra Boy's costume. I hated that thing. Although I hated Wildfires even more. So, uh, Ange, what about you? What do you think about this cover? Uh, you know, I think the thing that gets me is that there's so much detail in all of these buildings that sometimes you lose the Legionnaires. Like, you really have to kind of, like, look hard to sort of see them because there's so much happening in the background. So I think this it could have been better in sort of promoting them as opposed to uh, everything else that's happening. I think the interlock on the, pl- on the buildings is kind of fun. And I actually think that Central Girl is probably the best part of this because she's really flying with that cape wide open. That's probably like the most dynamic of the poses that I see. And like you, I also hate this phase of wildfire. <laughs> now, speaking of all the detail you put in there, I forgot to mention why there would be that much detail. We didn't say who the art team was. Jim Valentino and George Perez. George Perez as an inker, which is interesting because you don't see that too often. The Sensor Girl's cape, I wonder what that's like when she's standing on the ground. Is that like a spawn kind of thing where it's just cape after cape after cape and <laughs> goodness, don't run because you're going to trip over it kind of thing? I yeah, bet I she doesn't you... even wear one. I bet it's just an illusion. Oh, oh snap. Savvy. Savvy. Not bad. And did anyone take the time to translate the uh, interlac? Uh, the building on the far uh, right of the front cover says McDonald's, and the top says, you know, over whatever served. But that was the only one that I – oh, and there's a LexCorp building, but the rest I didn't take. You really did? Oh, that's fantastic. That's hysterical. That is so – McDonald's made it all the way to the 30th century. That's so sad. <laughs> Now, there's one thing to notice, and I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. There's no Daily Planet building, which you would think, you know, given that it's such a landmark in the DC universe, you would think there would be some sort of representation of that in the 30th century, but there's not. So I, I actually applaud them for that. <laughs> oh. And somehow they, they've moved the Tower of Pisa to Metropolis at some point. <laughs> sure, that's not just the... It's, it's, oh, gosh, it really is, yeah, it's isn't just, it? <laughs> it? It really looks like it. Yeah, behind Starboy there on the back cover. It's No, it's possibly just, uh, you know, they just rebuilt it. It's like Las Vegas. Right. You know? and, and apparently once you get past yeah. the Tower of Pisa, just past Starboy, uh, Metropolis just flattens out, and it's just a grid pattern. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the suburbs now of nothing. Tron- Tronville. 
It's yes. on land, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got to say. <laughs> well, on the, all right, let's move on. On the inside cover, uh, you get, you know, the, as usual, you get your editorial by Mark Wade, and they do something that we've been talking about on every episode. We didn't peek ahead, so now here it is. They explain the various colors on all the entries. Because on each one of the entries, you know, you get, like, as the character's name, but it's in a certain color. And we notice the colors, and we sort of kind of, you know, try to guess what the colors were. But they explain it straight out here. Yellow is Legionnaires. Red are foes. Orange is supporting cast members. Blue are rejects or academy members. Green are heroes that are not part of the Legion. And purple are neutral. So, and I really do think this is the precursor for what we're going to see in the Who's Who uh, in the DC Directed, the Loose Leaf Edition, because all of those are color-coded as well. I think this is the first time they use that format all right, in any of the Who's Who editions. Pretty cool. Yeah, I'm glad that we finally figured it all out. I was losing sleep over <laughs> so. it, so... Uh, all right, moving on. So we get, and just like the other ones, you get the sort of the front 12 pages is like a news magazine story. And this one happens to be the worlds of Metropolis, which fits in quite well with the cover. And you're getting a tour from Ali 3, which is like leet speak for Ali, you know, pretty much the Oliver Queen's descendant. And he's giving you a tour of Metropolis of the 30th century. I'm not going to go into it a lot, but there were some interesting things in here. They talk about how Metropolis expanded over the years and actually absorbed Boston and New York. That shocked me. I had no idea about that. And then they break down the various areas. You get Manhattan, the Avenue of the Heroes, the Interplanetary Zoo, which, by the way, is a horrible zoo, and every animal rights organization would have a fit because the cages are, like, no bigger than the the animals' bodies. Uh, You get Restaurant Row, Grand Central Spaceport, Legion Academy, Boston Sector, the Time Institute, Catskill Park, and Metropolis Spaceport. And as I mentioned, no reference to the Daily Planet at all, which is just, again, sort of shocking. They didn't find some way to slip that in. What did you guys think about this uh, Metropolis thing? Ange, let's start with you. I mean, I guess... Yes, it was fine. There's nothing uh, that I thought was in- too interesting. I noticed that my hospital isn't in the Boston sector in the future, so I wonder what happened. Well, they did say they combined <laughs> a bunch of them, so you probably got absorbed. <laughs> and I thought that the um, the Legion Academy picture I thought was decent because you know these are these. This is the only place you'll see these characters, you know, sort of together. So I like that. Mm, that's a good point. And we should mention the artist um, in in this thing as I vamp and try to figure out that because I didn't write it down. Uh, Grant Meum and Arn Star did all the art throughout the worlds of Metropolis. What about you, Cisco? Well, I'm not a fan of the art on this. It's not so much because I just think the, the style is ill-suited to the the look of future Metropolis that we've seen in, in the past. It's a bit too blocky, like, and the, the colors are just like too garish. Perhaps I'm just too used to the slick Keith Giffen kind of look. This looks maybe like the more like the 70s mm-hmm. Metropolis, or or you know 2970s. But I, w- I was you know stoked to see all these three in here because one of my very first Legion issues started with him giving a tour and without naming him. It's like uh, Le- uh, Tales of the Legion of Superheroes number 320, which was one of my very first issues. And I spotted him as a possible, uh, you know, descendant of Green Arrow. Uh, because he wasn't named in the issue. but uh, And, of course, I was right. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. But here we actually get to see the tour. So that's okay. cool. And, you know, uh, Shag and I, we've, we've talked about where certain cities are meant to be when we covered the Atlas of the DC Universe for uh, Hero Points. And uh, this is a clue as to where Metropolis would really be. We're, we're seeing a patch where, like, the larger Metropolis is, but then the smaller Metropolis of, of you know, the 20th century has to be in here somewhere. That's true. In that That's patch. That's true. So that really Ooh. shrinks down where it might be. And I've never seen the Daily Planet in the future. I, you know, I don't remember a Legion story with the Daily Planet in it. So not seeing it here isn't a surprise. Well, it's just nice. I guess we talked a little bit on this on the last episode 
how one of the things about Legion of Superheroes, other than Supergirl and Superboy, they didn't litter their future with relics of the 20th century. Uh, they, they, you know, whereas like Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, which was the 30th century version of that, you know, they, every month they were dealing with some relic of the 20th century. Uh, and so it's kind of nice that they, they didn't, because I figured, you know, certain things survived. Obviously, Superboy, Supergirl, some of the JLA descendants like Oliver Queen, things like that. But Daily Planet, you know, I just figured it seemed to be like one that would logically stick around. But anyway, just glad it didn't. Yeah, they do have Superboy's uh, home, you know, his, his old house under glass somewhere. Uh, but no Daily Planet. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and move on and get into our characters. All right, first page is a triptych. It's actually got three different characters, and this time the characters are, are not boxed off. They're all in one big panel together. First character are the Cerons, or Cerons, however you want to say it, and because of their color, I now know they're neutral. Art by Richard Bruning and Ty Templeton. These are these little alien races. They look like what you might call the greys, or, you know, the typical aliens that people draw, you know, they, when they say they got picked up in the woods and got anally probed. Anyway, it's this little alien race, and they're focused on mental powers and thought. They uh, rejected physical action and ended up being invaded by this brutish race, and they asked the Legion for help, and the Legion themselves were actually overpowered by this brutish race, but the Cerons then stood up for themselves and fought back. First appearance of Adventures of Comics 379, and they've got these cool little, like, purple Challengers of the Unknown kind of jumpsuits. I don't know, I, I kind of like it. Uh, Ty Templeton art uh, on all these three characters, on all three characters on this page, so pretty cool. As an inker especially, because, like, I, I don't know what Richard Bruning looks like without Ty Templeton, but he gave it a really nice polish, really good. Oh, yeah, it's all Ty. I, I, you know, <laughs> I know there's a penciler under there, but it's all Ty. All right. Up next is, forgive me, I'm going to have trouble with this one. It's Seden of Triavanon. I don't know. It's red, so I know he's a foe. Again, Richard Bruning and Ty Templeton into the art. And just straight up, he looks like basically a potato with eyeballs and tentacles and like Kirby chest plate and headpiece. It's kind of funny looking. Anyway, Seden is a student of sorcery and he dreamed of defeating Mordru. He wanted to take over the, you know, the universe here. And he tricked the Legion into giving him a powerful crystal. But the Legion was actually ready for him. They had set a trap, and he ended up in prison. First appearance is Superboy, number 230, and i got to imagine he probably didn't appear again after that. He didn't, but uh, he looked quite different in that issue. Have you ever, you've never seen it, I guess? But it, he looks more grotesque really? in, the original, yeah, in the original 1977 art uh, by uh, James Sherman. But here, I like him better here because it sort of looks like a clay idol. He looks like a little, you know, some, something you'd have in, in your shrine, uh, the, like the image of a god. I like that. I think he's adorable. I think for it's me, down to Templeton, though. Yeah, for me, I think you hit the nail on the head. He kind of looks like if Jack Kirby and H.P. Lovecraft designed Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that quite a bit. This reminded me, I have a question I want to ask you guys. Uh, old Legion school question, and uh, given that he doesn't look anything like the normal humanoids that we see in Legion stuff, I have a question. There's so many humanoid races in the Legion comics, and this book particularly talked about how the human race had expanded and had settled the solar system, but not all, huge chunks of the galaxy. So my question to you is, do they ever explain why so many different races across the universe are bipedal? You know, like, you know, Star Trek Next Generation had, uh, what was it, the progenitors or whatever it was, the people who seeded various planets with humanoids, which explained why everyone kind of looked the same. Did, did they ever do something like that in Legion, explain why all the different races look similar? They did. You want to take this one, Ange? Because it was a reveal in the five years later, which is uh, yeah, your expertise. Is the, yeah, like the Monel Cedar of Worlds mm -hmm. story, where he sort of put people on all of the different planets in the galaxy and is therefore revered as kind of like spreading uh, the population out. Uh, you can probably do a better job filling in some of the details, because I'm kind of blank. That was during it. an annual, wasn't it? Yeah, right. Ah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Annual number two of the fourth series. So 
in that in that tale, we find out not only why there are so many human-like aliens, but why you know so many races have a special power. It's because they were experimented on by dominators. You know, humans with the metagenes were kidnapped during invasion and then experimented on. And uh, Valor Monel saves them, liberates them, and seeds them on different planets where that, that are perfectly adapted to their power, or their power makes them adapted to, to that environment. And that's why everybody from Polar Boy's planet uh, throws icicles. Why everybody on on Bismol can eat anything. You know, they had the powers adapted to that environment. So basically, all these colonies came from Earth originally, and a thousand years later, they've all got, they've got their own cultures and you know, biospheres. It didn't happen for everyone. I mean, it doesn't explain every bipedal alien. Right. The 20th century DC universe has, is full of bipedal aliens, and there's no explanation for that. Okay. Right. One of my comments that I was going to say for Telus later on, but I'll say now, is that I think when he was brought into the Legion, it's because there was a lot of clamor in the letter column for, like, why do all of the Legionnaires all look humanoid in this vast universe? You would think that they would be more alien-looking uh, members if they were really that inclusive. And so I think that Telus and Quizlet were sort of an answer to that request. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Especially especially since Giffen drew a lot of background aliens or, you know, characters would come on, you know, supporting cast characters and would be extremely alien, which really, you know, put the question mark on that. Was the, the Legion xenophobic, you know? Earthman was right Ooh. all that time. <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Potato Head didn't make it into the Legion. I tell you, they're just they're bigots. They won't let him in. All right. Up next is Sensei, who is Toshikai. Oh, I'm horrible at this, guys. A white crane of Earth. And again, art by Richard Bruning and Ty Templeton, so it looks great. He looks a little bit like a, a cleric from Dungeons & Dragons. Anyway, he is the master martial artist. We've actually talked about him on several different episodes already. But anyway, he defeated a foe named Black Dragon. He killed him, and that left behind Black Dragon's son, Val, who uh, became an orphan. So then the sensei raised Val to end up becoming Karate Kid. That's why we've talked about him so many times. He does appear from time to time. He's part of the origin of uh, Karate Kid 2, things like that. And first appearance is Adventure Comics 367. Kind of an important supporting character. Uh, oh, by the way, he's orange, so he's supporting cast. Yeah, for me, I mean, look at his expression. I think he's like, how the heck did I end up on a page with these two losers <laughs> when I have such a big role in these Absolutely I true. mean, I'm kind of surprised myself, so... <laughs> And he, he doesn't even get as much space, technically, as the potato head, really, as far as the drawing goes. <laughs> oh, poor Sensei. Poor Sensei. He's just mad because he didn't get mentioned in the Karate Kid movie. He's not in the credits. From, you know. All right. Up next, we've got our first full page, what we call main entry. And this one is going to be Sensor Girl. Ange, I'm going to throw it over to you, buddy. Great. So this is Sensor Girl or uh, Projectra of Orando with art by... Boilers! <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. Art by Kurt Swan and Robert Campanella. So as the only child of King Voxv of Oriando, a projector was chosen to receive magical training by her grandmother, Haga, specifically the power to cast illusions. She was then sent off-world to learn more about the outer culture of the UP, and on her travel, she heard about the Legion and decided to join, and ultimately was accepted onto the team uh, in a great class of Karate Kid, Ferrer Lad, and the evil Nemesis Kid. <laughs> During her tenure, she falls in love with Karate Kid, and when her father dies, uh, Jackie uh, ends up defeating her rival cousin Gravix uh, and ascends to the throne, marrying Karate Kid and leaving the Legion. Unfortunately, shortly thereafter, the Legion of Supervillains takes over Orando and imprisons her. The Legion eventually shows up to repel the Legion of Supervillains attack. 
but not before Karate Kid is killed by Nemesis Kid, and then Nemesis Kid is subsequently executed by Jackie, something I talked about at length when I covered Nemesis. In, in a very disturbing uh, deciding, way, true, by the way. Y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the karate chopped his neck. Um, this, deciding that Projectra um, sort of uh, was the cause of this incursion to Arando by sort of bringing in the modern world, the ruling council of the planet, strip her of her status and banish her back to Earth. But before leaving, she is given new powers and ultimately rejoins the Legion as the mysterious censor girl, eventually uh, revealing herself uh, to them as being their former teammate uh, and then ultimately becoming uh, elected as the leader. So her powers include the ability to project illusions and then as censor girl, the sort of vague power they call the ability to see through illusions or the reality of the world. Um, essentially meaning that she has super senses, uh, and she has excelled in her combat training. The picture on the page uh, shows her great original costume. I really love this costume with sort of the red, white, uh, and yellow accents, the sort of Spider-Man slash Iron Fist eyes, and those broad 1980s shoulder pads (laughs) that just work for me. Her first appearance was Adventure number 346 as Princess Projectra, but of course, her first appearance as Sensor Girl was in uh, Legion of Superheroes number 14, the Baxter series. For me, I'll just sort of comment, um, I sort of read the series during this mystery. I really loved Sensor Girl. I didn't ever guess that it was Princess Projector because the powers that Sensor Girl showed sort of before the reveal didn't really add up. I kind of hoped it was Supergirl and had some other guesses. Clearly, I think when she came back as Sensor Girl, she had this more regal, sort of leaderly aspect about her. And I really love this costume, like I said. I kind of hate the recent revisions that have been made to it. I don't know if you've seen sort of the... Uh, post-Baxter sort of New 52 look that she No, has. I was going to ask you about that. What, what have they changed? It's kind of like a metal-looking mask, uh, but it doesn't have the opaque eyes like the Spider-Man stuff, so you see her eyes, and then I think it's like sleeveless with a boob window. It just doesn't have this sort of sort of nice look to it. But this is a classic costume. I think everybody loves this costume. I've never heard anyone say an ill word about it. it. It's just a cool, cool design. I mean, it's it's a little stylized, you know? It, it does show 80s-ish, but I don't care. I think it looks great. Yeah. Interesting this is we were talking about you know legionnaires that are not humanoid in the reboot legion they turned her character projectra became a like a giant snake with metal with robot arms so she could obviously she could take on a form that was human that looked like projectra she did so in the tryouts uh, but after that they just accepted her as a giant snake ubu and and she was just called sensor so uh, shades of this character but at the same time a very different did one did she still hook up with karate kid no, the Karate Kid didn't really make the Legion in the reboot. But in the three boot, Projector was a character in the later, like the Jim Shooter stuff, and they uh, they really destroyed her character. They just made her basically made her evil over the course of several issues. I didn't like the storyline at Goodness. all. Yeah, the three boot she initially is the money behind the Legion, so there's no RJ brand. They're funded by the riches of Orlando, and at that point she has no powers, but they let her hang out because they need her money. And then, as I said, I think Orando gets destroyed at one point in that. Um, yeah, she goes uh, crazy. And she goes crazy and basically decides that, you know, goes evil. And the series ends with her basically evil. Wow. Yeesh. Poor sensor girl. Rough life. Now, I, I do have a couple of things. One observation and then a question. It is nice that in this version of Who's Who, uh, there's only one entry for this character. Because in the original Who's Who, you got an entry for Princess Projecta. And then a few issues like... No, you didn't. Um, I thought we did. You did not. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe. I'll edit this out. Maybe you're remembering the who's who uh, in the Legion that we did for the, the Legion of Super Bloggers where I made up a Projectra <laughs> entry. 
using some my grill art. Uh-huh. I guess I'm just totally mistaken. Okay, I was thinking. I sort I sort of zoomed it. I, w- I was thinking in some for some reason there or maybe maybe it was the Legion of Superheroes splash page. Did they have Projecta and Sensor Girl on the same page or something? I want to. I in my in my um, memory when Rob and I covered it and again I obviously am mistaken here. I thought that Projecta and Sensor Girl were represented twice in the original Who's Who. Huh. I guess I'm just getting old because we started this Who's Who podcast like 15 years ago. It's been so long, so who knows? All right, well, skip that. Moving on to something else. So, right, the Legion of Supervillains attack Orando, right? This is leading up to the execution of Nemesis. So they attack Orando, and their plan is to shift Orando to another dimension, right? Okay. So she then executes Nemesis Kid and realizes that she's done all these terrible things, and then, as a consequence of that, she shifts Orando to another dimension. Didn't she just fulfill the Legion of Supervillains' plan to start with? I think that what ends up happening is that she is so upset by what has happened because she was in our universe and could be attacked that she said, I'm just out, and takes the planet away. Of course, they're all dead and captured, so she's able to rule it and not under their, you know, not a, they're not ruling. Yeah. She's ruling. <laughs> right. And I will confirm now, whether you keep this or not, <laughs> I will confirm that, yes, in the big splash page, the Legion entry, both characters are there. She's She's basically casting an illusion of herself in the background so that we, the readers, don't know. Okay. I knew, uh, it was, I knew I, there was some I, double representation in there somewhere. Well, actually, looking at that page, I think what's happening is that Supergirl is flying so fast, she's switching back and forth between Sensor Girl and herself. <laughs> isn't, she, isn't she Sensor Girl? It wasn't the point that the secret hadn't been revealed at that point when that L issue of, of Who's Who came out, but by the time the, the S or the P came out, it had been or something? Yeah, I okay. think so. All right. Yeah. Well, I feel better. I'll leave all this in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next one, folks. Uh, the next main entry, this is The Servants of Darkness, uh, drawn by Keith Giffen and Bob Smith. This is a two-page spread. First page has The Servants of Darkness from the Great Darkness Saga. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the background in the Surprint, we get Surprint. There's actually a dark yeah. side face, which looks pretty cool in the Keith Giffen style. Now, the gist of this was, uh, in the Great Darkness Saga, and sorry, spoilers here, folks, when Darkseid came back, he raised these minions, these dark, shadowy creatures, to fight at his uh, at his behest. And as you find out through the story, you start to as you read the Great Darkness Saga, you're looking at these guys going, "Wait a minute, I know I, that's Superman." Things like that. They are dark clones of Superman, Orion, Kalibak, a guardians of the, a guardian of the universe. And Lydia Malor, which was an ancestor of Shadow Lass. And it's, and you can't help but just really focus on that. Like the Dark Superman's really kind of creepy and the Dark Calabac is really creepy. And the, actually the Dark Guardian's, I think, the scariest one because he's got this enormous bulbous head. It's freaky. Anyway, their job was to collect more power for Darkseid and act as harbingers uh, of Darkseid's new age of darkness. And their first appearance was Legion of Superheroes number 290. And the next page, we do get little, like, senior class photos of each one of them. And we get a full body shot of the Orion one. And uh, I'm not going to go into each one of those in depth because, I mean, it's pretty much, it just tells you, this is a clone of Superman. This is a clone of this one. But a couple of, uh, just one big major note was Orion, during the storyline, he actually gets his humanity restored. And he ends up becoming, you know, a, a more wholesome version of Orion and actually fights Darkseid, which was a pretty big epic thing in the Legion, in the Great Darkness Saga. Yeah, I love this art. Yeah. This is this is crazy Keith Giffen art. 
like the Orion on that astro glider that just looks like I, I love this stuff. Did you know this? There, there's a thing about, you know, there's a crisis problem here. We've seen this throughout Who's Who in the Legion, and it's the problems caused by the removal of Superman from the Legion, right? Okay. So in this, like the Superman legend has changed. And so there's this very weird thing in the Superman entry itself, the Superman clone entry, where it says the way they defeated him was by uh, Element Lad created a form of kryptonite which stripped him of his powers. Just so it doesn't say gold kryptonite. I didn't pick up on that. There is no gold kryptonite in Uh, (laughs) post-crisis. Well, not at this point. So that's like just a tweak in the language that made me feel, oh, yeah, that's right. Er Things have changed. It's a better place in the post-crisis universe, by the way. (laughs) We're going to have a discussion about that, I think, in a few pages, aren't we? Uh, the other character that's interesting is Lydia Maller, who is, uh, of course, Shadow Lass's ancestor and a character that Keith Giffen will introduce for real in Legion, or the acronym Legion number eight. So uh, she'll become part of the cast there, one of the acronym recruits of, of uh, Vril Dox's Legion. So uh, we'll see both Larissa Maller and her daughter, Lydia Maller. You know, they're, they're joining all the all the dots are connecting eventually through the 80s. Now, had here. we heard of Lydia Maller before this? Or was this the first time we'd heard of her? I think it's the first time. I think it's the gotcha. first time. And then I just have a couple of comments. So the first thing I'll say is that going back to Lydia Mallory, remember, she gets killed or semi-killed when Shrinking Violet shrinks and basically gives her a stroke, right? Like blocks a vessel to the brain. Vi almost shrinks to death. Except I'm going to tell you, that's not Shrinking Violet. Because mm-hmm. the Great uh, Darkness Saga, she's been replaced. It's the Durlin. It's it's year of the Durlin, right? Because I think she gets replaced in 287 when they're on that away mission. At least that's what they say in 305. So, so I just thought that was interesting. And then the Guardian, you know, we didn't really know who these guys were at the beginning. And there's a scene where Wildfire punches him and hurts him after everybody else can't. And there's like yellow energy around his fist. And he's like, huh, why did that work when nothing else did? And sort of a hint as to like, hmm, they don't say yellow energy. You just see it. And then, of course, later on, the Guardian gets vaporized by Wildfire when he empties the suit. When? When the Guardian and says, hey, Dawnstar is pretty hot. Maybe I'll take her with me as a toy or something <laughs> like that. And Wildfire's like, I'm out, basically vaporizing. Wow, him. that's pretty impressive. I'd forgotten. It's been a while since I've read it, but I do remember, as you were saying, sort of the the, the mystery of like the, all these shadowy people. Like you knew you, you knew you were recognizing something in there. You know, you couldn't help but wonder. So yeah, that's pretty good for Wildfire. Wow. And, and Cisco, just to echo what you said, it, these are very Giffen late '80s faces. I mean, like Calibac's a good example. Like everything below the eye, eye, eyeballs is shadow. You can all black except the teeth, which glow white, so you can see through that. And it's just a very Keith Giffen kind of thing. Uh, I think I'll make sure this is in the gallery post because they're just super cool looking. All right. Yeah. Up next is Shadow Kid, another one of our main entries. Siskoid, why don't you tell us about Shadow Kid? Right, Shadow Kid, Grev Maller of Taloc 8, as drawn here by Chris Wozniak. Uh, like Shadow Lass's cousin, he's a member of the planet's champion bloodline, a family with the potential for darkness manipulation. And in fact, he went to the shrine of his ancestors with his cousin, and they were gifted with their powers at the same time. She would eventually become a legionnaire, and he would stay at home as the planet's protector. Uh, when he needed further training, he joined the Legion Academy, knowing full well he would would never become a member of the team on account of having the same powers as his cousin. And like her, he's got blue 
blue skin and he wears a dark, dark purple tunic with an amazing cape, I must say, <laughs> uh, and a uh, gold belt and bracers. Uh, his first appearance was in Adventure Comics 344. That's a few years before Shadow Lass made her first appearance, in fact. Uh, he was one of the heroes held captive in the super stalag of space on what has been termed uh, his first off-world mission. He was only associated with Shadow Lass later, uh, but there's a discrepancy there. Uh, in Superboy and the Legion number 240, he's Shadow Lad and he's, Tam- he's Tasmia's brother. Hmm. Both are both are wrong hmm. or were you know re you know fixed. He is her cousin by uh, the 1980s. So you know they weren't too sure what to do with the character at first, and it was probably just a, a question of having a similar sounding name because he appeared a full two years before Shadow Lass ever did. In the five year later run, he actually becomes king of the planet and hmm. marries Lady Memory as uh, sort of a political marriage to try to unite those tribes. And I don't know if you remember Shag, but she's pretty bearskin rug. I remember. Yep. Or like our, she's laying on her cape <laughs> like a bearskin rug. I remember Tim. Tim had to take a moment after looking at that picture. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got a couple of thoughts here too, um, and I'm, I hope I'm not interrupting you there, Ange. But so first of all, his his name is in green, which means he is a hero, but not a legionnaire. But wasn't he part of the academy? Isn't that what it says? So shouldn't he be blue or whatever it was, the academy color? I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. he definitely was in the so, academy. There's no just doubt. get on the stick, guys. Uh, I love this Chris Wozniak drawing. Now Chris Wozniak can be a little hit or miss for me. Sometimes I like his stuff, sometimes I don't. Sometimes a little too scratchy. I think it really works here. I am a little wondering about the leaves that are blowing around, like maybe it's fall. But other than that, I love the way the cape looks. I love the scratchy drawings. I like the costume. Now, I don't think he designed the costume, but I like the costume is showing a little bit of skin. You know, just to be fair, if, if Shadow Lass is going to show a whole bunch of skin, why shouldn't the male version of her race as well? So that seems a little bit, you know, equal treatment. That's good. Just, you know, and by the way, paging Michelle Fife, uh, I know how much he loves Chris Wozniak too. Uh, absolutely love this drawing. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his art too, and I know that there are people out there that don't like it, but um, but I like his stuff. Yeah, agreed. All right, up next is Shadow Lass, the sister or cousin, depending on who you want to believe, of Shadow Kid. Siskoid, why don't you keep going? Tasmia Maller of Talok uh, 8 as well, as drawn by Kyle Baker. That's an odd choice, but I like it well enough. Uh, this is the 80s Shadow Lass, of course, a slinky blue-skinned beauty with a, with wild hair and a form-fitting black costume cut with a diamond shape at the front, held in place only by a brooch cha- shaped like an interlacked S. We just talked about her origin when discussing Shadow Kid, so it's the same thing. If Tasmia became Talok 8's official champion, it's that she was old, the older of the two. So and she had, uh, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, seniority. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's right. Don't, don't forget, this is my second language. Uh, she's, so she's, she spent a few years as the planet's defender, actually, and when the Fatal Five came calling, she crossed paths with the Legion, which she soon joined. Originally, she was interested in Brainiac 5, believe it or not, but he was uh, romantically cold, let's say. Uh, so she ended up with Monel instead, and they became one of the Legion's long-standing power couples. Uh, her first appearance was in Adventure Comics 365, but she did appear as a statue in the Hall of Fallen Heroes uh, with without blue skin in Adventure Comics 354, an adult Legion mm. story. So it seemed to presage you know, her, her appearance. In Legion number 300, uh, they attempted to reconcile this continuity problem, or at least pay homage to it, uh, by having Tasmia try out white makeup uh, and narrowly escaping death on the science asteroid, which was supposed to be the place of her death. Uh, anyway, Tasmia was a late 60s addition to the Legion, created by uh, Jim Shooter, but one of the most 
most enduring legionnaires since. She's a warrior woman from a backwater world, from a legacy, which made it possible to include her ancestors in the acronym Legion. Uh, in the reboot, she was the headstrong Umbra. Uh, she was in the three-boot as well from the start. And after the retro-boot, they did, they did her the injustice of cheating on Monel with the racist Earthman, at which point I felt her story had totally gone off the oh. rails. I must have blocked that out. Ugh. Yeah, it, it made no sense. I didn't like that either. Yeah, you know, I loved that. You know, when you talk about that Legion 300 issue, you know, this was pre-internet, pre-easy looking on Comixology to read, you know, back issues. So that really had to be like a deep cut <laughs> for long-standing Legion fans to sort of know that. But of course, when she comes out in this like white makeup and that outfit and she says, I'm going to a science asteroid, all of the geeks were like, oh my God, she's going to die. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, when she survived at the end, it was like, whoa, that's that's uh, pretty cool. So she ends up, I so believe. So you one of those geeks so, freaking out, Ange? Yeah, uh, I will admit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, she ends up marrying Monel at the end of the Baxter run, right? He's like dying from getting blasted by the time trapper, right? Mm-hmm. And, she, and she's like, we're going to go off and, you know, into space and leave the Legion and I'll marry you, right? She cuts off her pinky, which is the uh, tradition of her race, I believe. So, um, so I thought that that was better. Of course, he ends up dying, so. <laughs> Maybe it's not better. Well, he gets better in the five year later, and then as I recall, they spend some time traveling around where he like just goes to visit people. And she doesn't she get a little bored like hanging out with him? Yeah, as I seem to recall. But but yeah. I, either way, I, lovely character. I, I love you know obviously very sexy as you said. Slinky is the right word for it. She's got great powers. She's, her look is super cool. It's just everything about her is really a really a neat, fascinating character. And I think Kyle Baker actually is an interesting choice, especially matches quite well with the Chris Wozniak of Shadow Kid on the page before. Uh, it's almost like a a nice little set there. The thing I didn't know when I read this was that she was romantically interested in Brainiac 5 at first? That's crazy sauce! (laughs) Yeah, you you know, you think about Brainiac 5, it's like, well, Shadow Lass or Supergirl, right? Like, boy... (laughs) You know, lucky right. guy. Um, and, and then I think the thing the, for me is sort of like, okay, he's like a big nerd, and she's like, I'm romantically involved, and he says no, and so she goes the exact opposite. I know Monel is smart, right? But he's like the, you know, the jock, the big athletic guy. And I think all of the nerds in the world were like, dude, what are you thinking, <laughs> right? Represent. <laughs> she gives up on Cliff Carmichael and goes for Ronnie Raymond. That's right. Oh, my goodness. I did like the, that she's BFS with Phantom Girl. That's cool, because, you know, of course, Phantom Girl's the best of them all. And uh, But that, I I'd forgotten that too, that they were friends. So that's nice. I like it. Yeah. And they, they built a sort of relationship between her and Night Girl as well in 5, uh, 5YL and in the retro boot continuity when Night Girl was actually a member uh, because, you know, Night Girl can have her, her super strength at any time. All she needs is the cover of Darkness created by Shadowlass. And they really paired up the two characters in, in you know, action. You, know, you said that in the last, last yeah. episode when we covered the uh, Substitute Legion. I just can't remember when that happened. And it's still true. <laughs> was it during like the Dominion War or something? I just don't remember when it happened. Uh, you know, I, I can find no, it if you I, really I don't want. Even know the issue, but I just you know. D- anyway, yeah. All, all I can say is that those two team up in a backstory during the Mike Grell era, and Night Girl is wearing like two napkins and dental floss. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really uh, it's classic. Go ahead and uh, send me those scans uh, if you don't mind. All right. Um, up next, <laughs> speaking of small things, Shrinking Violet. Woohoo! And Andrew, going to throw this one to you, buddy. All right, this is Shrinking Violet, our Salu Digby of Imsk, with art by Ron Friends and Larry Malstad. 
Her story is she was born on Earth, but with the native powers of her Inskian parents, that is the power to shrink. And initially when she was growing up, she wanted to be either a detective story writer or a psychoanalyst, but the lure of adventure made her decide to join the Legion. She was accepted on her second attempt to join the team, although she told the team at that point that she would have just kept trying until they let her in. Once inside uh, the team or on the team, Shrinking Violet became part of the Legion espionage squad, uh, was an active Legionnaire, met and had a long-distance romance with duplicate boy of the heroes of Lawler, but then in a twist of fate, she was kidnapped by Imskian rebels, uh, placed in a sensory deprivation tank, and replaced by Durland's spy, who ended up marrying Colossal. Uh, when rescued, she broke off that romance with Duplicate Boy. Uh, she felt that he had known all along that she had been replaced and did nothing to save her, and she vowed to never be a victim again. She then invested a lot of time in uh, more combat training, and really went from being a shy young girl to someone who was a bit more hardened. Her powers are that she could shrink down to subatomic size. Uh, like most Legionnaires, she took combat training, but she has subsequently retaken and passed that combat training with flying colors. On the page, she has a version of her original sort of pea green miniskirt uh, costume, but this time with black boots, black gloves, and a black collar. And it's sort of a demure pose for her, uh, sort of standing there with a hand on a hip and her legs crossed in front of her. Her first appearance was in Action 276, like many Legionnaires who appeared in that Supergirl story. And for me, she's one of my favorite Legionnaires. I just love the growth of her character, that resilience she showed after that kidnapping. I love her early costumes. There's sort of that green bodysuit by Mike Grell that has that crazy pattern in the middle. In the middle of the Baxter run, she begins this relationship with Lightning Lass, sort of one of the first gay couples that I think were in comics at that time, uh, saying that she was sort of worked some things out and had been thinking about life differently. And then, of course, in the 5YL, you know, when the Legion is disbanded, she goes back to Imps. She becomes a general in that army. She ends up fighting Rock Crin and the Brawlians in that famous Bonato Bay battle. Gets a scar on her face that she keeps as sort of a testimony to, you know, how far things had gone awry in her life. But she was really sort of a strong leader there. And I love one of my favorite moments for her is that at one point in five, uh, five years later, she talks to the SW6 version of Violet, who is like going to, you know, just follow some guy and forget about her own dreams. And she goes up and says, I remember what it was like at this time, and you should really stand up for yourself, and kind of turns that Violet's life around a little bit. In the New 52, she uh, showed up again. She was again with Ayla, uh, and those two have really been a power couple ever since. So I really like her character. I think she's one of those characters that has sort of grown and changed over time. Yeah, I love that arc for the character, and, and how that kidnapping really you know, switch things around for her. And uh, and that they retained that relationship uh, with Lightning Lass, you know, across, you know, when they returned. That was cool, too. In the reboot, she was a little bit mismanaged in a sense. They made her extremely shy. Uh, and to, to get out of that, she fell under the spell of the uh, Emerald Eye of Ekron and, you know, never really recovered from from that storyline, I think. And in the three boot, uh, they called her Adam Girl. And she was like this very mysterious character that was also a bit more like Hank Pym, where she could not only shrink, but also grow. That was an interesting take on it. That's a terrible. That's a yeah, terrible that- name, though. Adam Girl. Ugh. Yeah, the three boot is interesting <laughs> because I think they they like worshipped Brainiac Five, right? Because like somehow he used the shrinking technology of of his ancestor to shrink the people on Insk so that they could have their resources last longer. And mm. so they at the beginning of that title they keep saying like, oh, there's somebody, there's Adam Girl, but nobody ever sees her, and so they think that oh, are they hazing new members? And then she ends up showing up in the defense of Brainiac Five, who is being attacked. Oh, that's clever. Okay, I'll give you that. As far as this particular entry, I love this costume. 
I love this rendition. I love this art. Ron Friends and Larry Malstead, just her face is so minimal. I mean, there's so few lines, but it perfectly gives you a look and feel for her expression, her kind of almost like a hint of a smile. I, I, I absolutely love this drawing. And I know I'm tricking myself here, but I feel like there's a bit of perspective where we're almost looking down a bit where maybe she's tiny in this picture, actually. I think I'm just imagining mm-hmm. that, though. And detective story writer, that's what she was going to be? How crazy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that stuff was new to me. Right. <laughs> and I do have a question for this long-term Legionnaire people here. Okay, so it says she tried out twice and got in on the second try. There's a lot of that sort of repetition in the, a lot of these Legion entries. They'll talk about, oh, it was his third time trying out before. He was accepted, whatever. Did they actually show these tryouts? Like, did we see her try out in an issue, not get in, and then three issues later she came back in the next tryout and got in? Or like, or is that all just retcon history? How does that work? I don't believe we ever saw the failed attempt. I think she is part of the team in that Action 276. So I think they might just be filling in. Oh, that's early on, isn't it? That's when all those, like, ten members showed up the first time or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That's that Supergirl story Mm -hmm. where you meet a whole ton of them. It's Well, it's because the Shrinking Violet, in that Supergirl story, Supergirl makes it in, but the other applicants are Shrinking Violet, Bouncing Boy, and and Sun. I don't know what I, I I thought Bouncing Boy just got accepted, you know, on the spot after whatever. But it just seems like they're just applicants, and so if Supergirl made it in, then the others probably didn't or might not have. Mm. The same thing happens to Sun Boy. We'll we'll talk about him later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, looking back, she meets Triplicate Girl and Phantom Girl as Legionnaires, uh, and that's the first time that you see them. And then Supergirl goes to try out, and at the table are the other applicants: mm-hmm. Shrinking Violet, Bouncing Boy, Sun Boy, and Brainiac Five, and then. And she and Brainiac 5 make it in, which means that they... The others the didn't. Other okay. so and then the next time, and it's the second attempt we don't see, let's say, because by the time we see her again, she is a member. Gotcha. So obviously something happened, you know, between okay. issues. Very cool. Yep. I just, I've seen that reference a couple times. Like you said, Sunboy, I think it's referenced too, like that or whatever. And uh, it just made me wonder. All right. All right, moving on. We're on another page where we've got three different smaller entries. First one is Silver Sword, and she's green, so she's a hero, but not a legionnaire. Art by Chris Wozniak again. And her name is, oof, give me strength, Tribia Rijlia of Buenapar. Oof. She is a member of this historical speculation group, which I think is interesting, historical speculation. And she wears this golden armor and has this silver sword and like this cool helmet kind of thing. She got caught up in this situation with Universo, where his people, his agents were invading her planet. She actually beat back his agents, but then when they came back, she ended up being imprisoned and captured and brainwashed, but she was freed by Saturn Girl. And her first appearance is Legion of Superheroes Baxter series, issue number 33. She's got, um, the, the art's really interesting. You know, Wozniak does that kind of scratchy style, but she looks almost, and I know this is the second Tron reference of the episode, but her head actually looks like uh, one of the Tron characters to me. It looks very similar to that. And, she, and they took the time to really draw a lot of sparkly, shiny stuff on her armor. Yeah, I totally see the Sark helmet Thank you. Uh, That's uh, from Tron, so I can buy that. But you know who's complaining about this entry? Sensei, who's like, why does this character who was in one issue get all of <laughs> and I'm stuck next to the potato head from hell. Um, <laughs> oh, give it a rest, Sensei. Go, go teach Karate Kid 2 not to be, kill people. Uh, there, there's worse. Sensei's going to cry later on because they're just much worse than this. 
<laughs> I have no pity for Sensei. All right. Up next is Size Lad. And this is one of these senior class pictures where you just get like a little profile shot. All is missing is having his like his his closed fist on his chin, like smiling for the picture. But anyway, uh Size Lad, art by Chris Wozniak again. He's red, so we know he's a foe. And he is Arl of Mura. He was a spy, as all these people are, who tried to join the Legion to get their secrets. He was a spy, tried to join the Legion to get their secrets. He t- had, and we've actually dealt with his um partners in previous issues. They took pills to get their powers, and in his was he would shoot rays from his hands that could change the size of objects, and the Legion ended up defeating him. And again, we've talked about this group of guys before. Adventure Comics number 337, his first appearance. He's got blue skin with white hair, and it's about all we see about him. All right, up next are the Scalarian Raiders. Again, red, so that we know their foes, are by Chris Wozniak. What you've got is a picture of four beautiful women. Three are standing, one is sitting down. They're all wearing uh, orange and purple jumpsuits of varying designs. Each one's a little bit different. I like to call it peanut butter and jelly outfits, because that's what it looks like to me. But these people are proof of why Star Trek has a prime directive, because they're technology pirates, and it turns out the United uh, Planets gave them their technology first, and then they wanted more. So this is exactly why you have a prime directive, folks. It's just you don't get involved with uh, with cultures that aren't ready. Anyway, it's a matriarchy, and they are female bandits, and uh, they are still on the loose and still an ongoing threat. First appearance, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, issue 233. Yes, yeah, so that issue is the first appearance of the Infinite Man, and they don't look like this there. They just kind of look like white-haired, sort of Caucasian women in these sort of outfits, and it's only later that they get this uh, blue-haired, yellow skin look. And of course, for five years later, Kono is one of uh, of this race. Is she really? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they obviously don't all have her powers, but she's definitely from Sklar. That makes once you once you because I didn't I didn't mention the blue hair or the yellow skin. Thank you. And that makes perfect sense for Kono. How interesting. Very cool. All right. Up next is Starboy, art by Carrie Gamble and Kez Wilson. And I could have told you it was Carrie Gamble before I even looked because that face that is a Carrie Gamble face, folks. If I've ever seen one. It's Starboy, obviously he's orange. He's a legionnaire. This is. Th- Tom Kalor of, uh, or Tom Kalor, if Tom Zoller were involved, he tells us how you say it, of Xanthu, and he has the absolutely coolest costume. I've loved this costume. It's all black, and it's got a white star field in the costume itself, so it's almost like you're looking into space as you look at his form. And his ability is to draw mass from the stars and transfer into any person or thing, making it super heavy. Now, when he was young, uh, his power started to develop, and on the planet of Xanthu, they took, uh, the government took him and tested him, and, and he did not want the testing. So eventually he ended up running away. And while on his way across space, he ended up going through the tail of a comet, which gave him other powers temporarily. These were powers just like Superboy. And that allowed him to join the Legion of Superheroes. And I'm pretty sure that's a big fat retcon. But anyway, the powers eventually wore off and he reverted back to his normal powers. He got injured really bad. And then you get a little bit of Florence Nightingale's effect where Dream Girl helped nurse him back to health. And also they fell in love. Let me tell you, lucky guy here. And uh, someone else from Xanthu, a guy named Atmos, who we covered before in these in this series and someone that none of us really want to remember very well unpleasant stuff anyway atmos disappears which then forced starboy to return to xanthu first appearance adventure comics 282 so i agree with you he's completely lucky that dream girl nursed him to health he had this period where he got kicked out of the legion for killing someone yes. um he, he used his powers to like i don't know crush the guy's in, uh, insides and and then brainiac 5 says you know you could use your powers to just make a tree branch heavy and knock him out but you killed him so you're out and then he has to come back in with this was he mr e i forget uh and she 
was sur- oh no, he was surprised. Um, oh my <laughs> gosh, are you serious? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, he was surprised, and, and uh, she was mystery or something like that. In the five year later run, he uh, manages a baseball. Yes, he does. Game, uh, oddly enough, uh, and then in the three boot, he is a young African American and is considered really one of the most powerful legionnaires, which he should be given these powers. Also worth mentioning, he eventually goes on to become, and I guess this would be, I guess after three boot, if I got this right, he becomes star man. And if I, at least I think, and doesn't he come to the 20th or 21st century and end up hanging out with the JSA for a while, like in Jeff John's run? Yeah. I, w- I wish I could remember all of the details. He clearly, uh, uh, he's back in the 20th century. He's star man. He's wearing a full mask. So you don't see his face. And I think he's yeah, insane, he's right? He really yeah. talked yeah. a lot. He, uh, and I forget how all of that ends up being reconciled. I wonder, I'd have to go back and reread it. It was interesting at the time. He actually may have shown up before the the Lightning Saga thing where they brought the original Legion back. He may have actually been like the precursor of that because I remember he kept saying stuff and it would be like weird nonsense stuff. But if you really looked at what he was saying, it was like, wait a minute, this means something. Whether it's, I don't know, old quotes from old Legion stories or just hints of what was going to happen. He, he had, like, anyway, it was a very interesting insight. And it was a cool character. And, and James Robinson, you know, of course, was trying to tie some of that into the uh, Jack Knight Starman mythos at different points as well. Hmm. And I think the last time we saw him, he he was killed or seemingly killed uh, because the the Legion series just ended abruptly uh, and uh, like basically the uh, Legion HQ fell on him and we don't really we never see a body it just never gets resolved. About, is that the New Fifty Two era or are you talking about before the five year later? Well, what, do you, what do you mean? No, it's the, it's the New Fifty Two okay. era, but, yeah. but the New Fifty Two is still just you know the the continuity the continuity wasn't uh, rebooted right. again. It's just yeah yeah. There's so much wrong with that new 52 run that um, I'm going to try hard <laughs> not to remember. <laughs> All right. Up next are the Starburst Bandits, and they're in red, so if Bandits was enough of a clue, the red lets you know they're foes. Art by Howard Bender and Arn Star. And uh, these are <laughs> these weird red aliens. They wear purple bodysuits, and were actually not much of it, like a tr- tunic and trunks with yellow uh, pants, and they're just like screaming kind of bald face. Very generic-looking aliens. Anyway, they ride flaming steeds, and they steal precious minerals and energy sources. Uh, they've hit planets like Orando and Earth, and uh, they, they like to steal hearts of suns, uh, and the Legion beat them, and they're still at large. It's a ridiculous story. It's crazy. These guys don't even speak interlax, so they're, you know, they're just spouting gibberish, and they're, they're, they're on flaming horses. They're shooting big red balls that manage to, to nerf Superboy. <laughs> A sun boy has to calm the sun down before it blows, uh, and they're never heard from again. Sensei cries. Oh my god! Sensei cries. <laughs> it's right. They got half a page. A full half page. <laughs> By the way, I forgot to mention this. You, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, two hundred fifty-two. <laughs> All right. Next up is Starfinger 1. And you know it's coming, folks. Here it is. Starfinger. <laughs> anyway, he's in all red. Art by Howard Bender and Arn Star. It's Dr. Lars Hanscom of Earth. And he was a cyberneticist, and he was uh, had a crippling fear of growing old and losing control of his faculties. So he puts together, of course, <laughs> what you do in those situations, a criminal gang. And uh, he becomes a, you know, sort of a, a boss of a, a crime group. And uh, his primary adversary seems to be reoccurringly with Lightning Lad, ends up being murdered by the next Starfinger. Dun-dun-dun! And he looks like a poor man's Black Manta wearing Mandarin's rings. So, 
you know, the, the bit where a lightning lad uh, comes under his supervision and, you know, more or less poses as Starfinger. There's an echo of that in the reboot uh, that I find is interesting because Element Lad is Starfinger in the reboot. So they see a, there's a similarly powered character, not a crime boss or anything, but he attacks the Legion, but it's a hypnotized or a brainwashed Element Lad. So it's the same kind of, you know, the same sort of story here for different blonde or reddish blonde characters. <laughs> I have a question. So his first appearance was Adventure Comics number 335. When was that published in relation to the book or movie of Goldfinger? Because it just seems like Starfinger is such a weird name that I, I got to wonder if there was a connection that they decided, like, oh, bad guy who runs a criminal empire. We'll do the same thing. Hmm. Well, Goldfinger would have been out already. Okay. All right. For sure. Well, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. I mean, Legion started in the 50s, so I just didn't know when, the, you know, compared to the movie this was, this issue. Two, 247 is in 1958. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So 335. Hmm, yeah. You know. I'm frantically clicking. That's kind of what I was going for. Yeah, Goldfinger, Goldfinger came out in what? Uh, 64? 65. Maybe. Yes. 65, uh, yeah? Yeah, yes. so 335 has a cover date of August 1965, uh, 1964, so the year after. So, I, there we go. I gotta think that the name was inspired by the movie, because the movie was obviously huge. It's still yeah. huge to this day. Yeah. But, so. And, you know, let's uh, let's let that lead right into our next Starfinger here. Starfinger 2, Electric Boogaloo. Again, it's Red Foe, and this time the art is by Ken Stesey. So the deal is, you know, again, another criminal gang leader. This one is an extortionist and a killer. He murdered the first Starfinger. And the Legion came across his extortion schemes a few times. And at the time of this publication, he is still a going concern. Because at this point, Chameleon Boy and Colossal Boy covertly infiltrated his gang. But it appears Starfinger has figured this all out. Now, his costume is really hard to explain. I'm going to do my best, folks. He's got a black... Under, underneath, he's got like a black bodysuit. He's got giant silver thigh-high boots or white thigh-high boots. He's got white gloves that match. He's got a giant Starfinger on his ring. This is where it gets kind of funky. He has a reddish sort of uh, like a Mexican blanket almost thrown over his, his shoulders, but it does point out with five points like a star. It's got some star designs on it. And then he's got a strange glowing dome, almost Mysterio-esque, except you can see sort of an outline of the face underneath, uh, like in purple uh, magenta of, of this dome. You can see his face underneath there, and you can't quite make him out, but you can see the image of his face. Now, his ring does shoot fire blasts, and it can, he can call from his ring two operatives, who we're going to talk about next in just a moment. And uh, his first appearance was Legion of Superheroes, the Baxter Series 29. I hate this guy. <laughs> I hate this guy. <laughs> so it's unanimous. Interesting. Okay. So why do you hate him? Uh, well, well, first of all, the, the costume. I mean, it's, it's so precious a design uh, for what is a glorified mob boss. I mean, this is not what a mob boss would wear, the, the star poncho. And I mean, it, it's so it, there's so much in it and not, none of it really pays off. There's just nothing in there that I don't know. It's I think it was a ridiculous character. I, I wish they'd just change the costume on the original Starfinger, just make this, the original Starfinger a recurring threat. We don't need this new Starfinger for the 80s, it's like the glam 80s. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it ne never worked for me. Yeah, he was in way, way, way too many issues of sort of like the back third of the Baxter series. Ugh. It's like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of this guy's story just to beat him. And <laughs> um, and his backstory ends up being revealed that he was like when Colossal Boy, before he became Colossal Boy, when he was a science police officer, he was like at some casino and some guy tried to rob the casino and he stopped that guy. But then the guy kind of escaped and was left with 
for dead and he finds this ring and so he always has this big uh, vendetta against Colossal Boy and does end up, I think it's him that like blasts him in the leg such that for like the remainder of the Baxter series, Colossal Boy's got like a crutch or a, or a leg brace on, but it just does not work. I was so, I, it's like, oh, another issue where they're trying to go after Starfinger and I'm like, oh my God, just shoot him. So... Yeah, and, and eventually he was shot by a third Starfinger who was a a, a minor minor player in uh, I guess five years later. Oh my gosh, I mean, pro- <laughs> that is just true. got rid Props of him. to them for trying to create a reoccurring villain. I mean that's kind of a cool, especially like a a mob boss kind of villain, you know, kingpin if you will. But that costume really belongs to like a crazy world conquering nut job. That's who that who should that's who should own that costume is you know some guy who's just totally going to go off the rails and scream and shout and 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 go out and blaze of glory. All right. Up next is the, I mentioned his ring can call forth two operatives. That's who we get next. Starlight and Starbright. Two beautiful women. One with either reddish blonde hair and the other one with uh, black hair. Actually, her skin's a, a little teal colored as well. But either way, uh, these two superpowered female operatives and one has the ability to drain energy from their foe. The other one shoots black light beams from her hands and they're destructive. Art here is by Frank Travelin and Mike DiCarlo. First appearance is Legion Superheroes uh, Baxter Series number issue 41. Not a lot about them at this point because, again, Starfinger was a mystery and they'd just been introduced, but he would actually call them forth from his ring. And I don't know if they ever had developed their own personalities or were just basically constructs of his, but uh, the art's nice. But I, I, I do wonder if there's a uh, Talok 8 reference because the, the, the skin tone is somewhere between Shadowlass and uh, the Living Memory. I, I don't know. There, it would make this the most Talokian issue uh, ever. <laughs> Because there don't be more, there will be more like this. Uh, and uh, we did see Shadow Kid was also in the Academy picture, so uh, a lot of Talok Eight material. If this is so, because she shoots black yep. beams, and so I, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Uh, and maybe it's just another Goldfinger reference where these two Bond girls sort of, you know, are the henchwomen to the boss. That would make perfect sense. But uh, they, uh, yeah. it, so if you're into what first what's trying to say is if you're into blue skin, this is your issue. Mm-hmm. All right, up next is this is a bit goofy one. For me, maybe you guys can fill me in here, but it's Storm Boy, and he's got a neutral uh, color there because he's purple. Art uh, by Frank Traveling again and Mike DiCarlo. Now, this is, eh, now I'm going to assume, by the way, that this is another one of those where a fan wrote in and they got put in the issue because the name is this weird, crazy spelling of what appears to just be Mike Cypress, really, is what it looks like. Mike Cypress of Earth, he wanted to join a fraternity. Yeah, I'm not kidding. A college kid who wanted to join a frat. The initiation stunt was for him to have to go join the Legion. So he develops his weather control device, which which, by the way, he probably could have made a jillion dollars with, but instead he tries to prank the Legion. Ridiculous. Anyway, he gets caught at the tryouts because you have to have innately the powers, not use a device, and he's thrown out. And it becomes a joke, really, at the frat, and he, the Legion use him, make an example out of him. So now he's a weatherman in modern day. And uh, if you look at the picture, he's wearing a yellow bodysuit with weird shoulder pads and green boots, and then a green sort of like middle section where it's the briefs, and then it comes up halfway, kind of like Dr. Fates, and he's got a weird storm cloud on his chest, but it looks like he has shoved his hands in his little midsection there, and it looks like he's playing pocket pool, but about eight inches too high. First appearance, Adventure Comics 301. And the art, the art is, the art is goofy looking. He's playing with the, the, the weather, oh. the, the, yeah, because he's using technology and he's Oh, cheating. I understood. I'm you just can't. saying it, it looks like yeah. something else. <laughs> 
Sure. And this guy has a future, actually, after this, because he became a member of the Legion in the five missing years. Polar Boy was basically taking anyone he could get. And so the rule on not using technology for your powers was waived in his case. That's information from the, uh, well, it's in the, like, either it's in the back matter or uh, uh, it's for sure it's in the Mayfair supplement. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and, and but we do hear of him in in the comics themselves because uh, President Invisible Kid uh, appoints him Weather Control Manager after the Dominion the Dominion has left Earth and the Moon has been destroyed. So that's in the text stuff, but not on panel. And after the retro boot, uh, they make him a member of Earthman's xenophobic Justice League, and he's been a villain ever since. So he's shown up in uh, you know Final Crisis, Legion of Three Worlds. He's, he's shown up a few times as a villain. Oh my gosh. That's just crazy. By which point he's got the technology embedded in him. He's more of a, you know, like a cyborg or something. But um, Wow. We've spent a lot more time <laughs> on Superboy than I anticipated. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he was a Legionnaire. What can I say? He was a Legionnaire. All right. Well, let's move up next to a character from the Legion Hot or Not uh, entries, one of their favorites. This is Sunboy. Siskoid, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Dirk Morgna of Earth. Uh, he first appeared in Action Comics 276, uh, trying out the same time as Supergirl, albeit at first only with the power to project bright light. So I guess that, that, that made him not, not so great an applicant. By the time he had an origin, he could project heat and flame as well. So as that origin story goes, Dirk was thrown into his father's radioactive gold-powered reactor and left for dead by the evil Dr. Regulus, and the radiation gave him powers, uh, though they seem entirely unwilling to mention radioactive gold in this. <laughs> Um, I know it's silly by modern standards, but how much of this inspired his characterization as a sort of golden boy? So I, I think that's part of the character. Well, they, they mentioned but the radioactive told, gold either in, in the Doctor Regulus entry. In Doctor Regulus, yeah, either the Who's Who I one so, or, yeah. or, the, or the Who's Who in Legion. But I, I remember them definitely mentioning it. Yeah, here they don't want to. Truth <laughs> be told, Sunboy only really becomes a, a Lothario in the '80s under Paul Levitz, and that's why the Hot or Not girls hate him so much. Uh, as to why he's hated by his later writers, I don't know. He's uh, turned into a Dominion collaborator in the five years later, uh, then into a burning skeleton fit only to be possessed by wildfire. Uh, in the reboot, he didn't become a member and was more or less replaced by a female Inferno. Uh, the three-boot Sunboy is killed by Superboy Prime in Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds. Uh, in the retro boot, he's lost confidence and his powers with, with them. And then Levitz crashes a ship on his face in the dying days of the last Legion series. So, you know, so while my girls revel in this stuff, I know there are Sunboy fans out there who must cry themselves to sleep every night. In fact, we hear from them sometimes on the, uh, on that, the Legion of Super Bloggers, commenters who don't necessarily appreciate anti-Sunboy humor. Well, and speaking of reasons to cry, he's drawn here by Dan Jurgens, who does a great Sunboy, by the way, but he's inked by Jim Sanders, who gives him a very weird face uh, and makes Jurgens completely disappear for me. He's beaten with the ugly stick. There's no denying that. For a pretty boy, he is not pretty. Because Jurgens makes him a very pretty boy. Mm. In, in, like, Tales of the Legion, mm-hmm. I mean, Sunboy looked looked the part. Uh, here, there, there's something wrong with him here. Yeah, he's kind of a Voracious, sort of in those 80s, right? He's with Gigi Cusimano, he's with mm. Laurel Kent, he, uh, you know, anybody that he can be with, he's with. And uh, and they play on that. I think that that was part of the lure that the Dominion used to get him to join, right? He ends up with, oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on that character's name, but she'll dress up 
in whatever costume she wants. Isn't she one of the, uh, that one he one wants. Of the blue androids or whatever with no face? No, no, no. She's definitely like a humanoid, uh, a human female working for the oh. Dominion who basically is like, just do what they say. I'll dress up like Shadow last tonight. Um, oh. And yeah. And then in the end, she gets really pissed off that the Dominators end up blowing up the moon and doing all of that. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I do remember that. Yes. So he's the pretty boy, but at the same time, he's one, he's a real geek because uh, we see him all the, t- the you know there are two characters always playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> on that holographic thing, and it's him and Starboy. How yeah. did they get away with? They have a long running campaign. How did they get away with? I, I guess TSR was thankful for the promotion, but I mean, just to use it by its name in in the in the thing is just crazy, uh, bizarre. It lasts a thousand years. Now, like you, Ange, I'm I'm well, I shouldn't say like you, but you and I are both five year later guys. So I first came across Sun boy in the five year later era and he is as you mentioned completely douchey so I've never known him to be anything but gross and, and nasty e- even beyond my irredeemable standards this guy so all his endings that you described Siskoid I'm actually perfectly fine with all of those yes yeah, hey Sisko you know, uh, both of you what did you think do you remember so um, he tries to be a hero at the uh, in the middle of five years later and like save the earth when the dominators are blowing it all up he gets horrific radiation poisoning from whatever bomb they right. set off and then he's in like he's dying in pain and he begs i think color kid or somebody to unplug his his pod right like yeah, he's in you a know, stasis chamber off for life a long support. time yeah 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 take me take me off life support and they and they can't do it uh, and i always thought that that was interesting and they can't do it because they're like they they don't feel right with assisted suicide basically and so uh, and then of course he ends up dying and as you say gets possessed by wildfire which is just too weird he's killed he's killed by his lover uh, cersei cersei is the one who okay. uh, Yep, yep. Cersei, she's the one that puts him out of his misery because in yep. the end, I think she ends up saying like, "I actually did love you and can't see you suffer like this." Now, I remember when she took that turn from being just his girl to being like angry and bitter and becomes like kind of a badass when he finally dies. I do remember also a, a touching meeting between the flaming skeleton, basically of of Dirk, with the SW6 version of Dirk, and there was mm-hmm. a meeting between those two. It may have been just through the the stasis chamber. I don't remember, but it was. It was sort of like poignant to make you feel bad for how far he'd fallen. Yeah, and that was like an issue before he was killed. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on from Sunboy, everyone's favorite. Uh, up next is another full page one entry for the Sun Eater. And why don't you tell about tell us about this one? Yes, this is the Sun Eater with art by the incredible team of Barbara and Carl Kiesel, uh, which I found fascinating. Mm-hmm. So the Sun Eater was initially developed as an anti-war weapon by the controllers, but eventually the controllers decide to retire from their duties of protecting uh, the universe. But one rogue controller who loved power remained active, and it was that controller who unleashed the Sun Eater to obliterate galaxies. When the Sun Eater approached our galaxy and threatened Sol, the Legion and the Fatal Five teamed up to defeat it, uh, which ultimately ended with Feralad's sacrifice and the Sun Eater's destruction. Later, a small group of, Le- of Legionnaires who had been displaced when trying to leave Orando in the aftermath of that Legion of Supervillains invasion discovered another Sun Eater being made on a planet and ended up destroying that world. Its power is that it's an artificial life form that can fly at hyperlight speed and completely absorb a sun's mass and energy. It could release some of its absorbed energy in a defensive way, uh, and it seemed to have some rudimentary 
military uh, intelligence because it could target different people with different forms of energy to help defeat them. Uh, its first appearance is in Adventure 352. The picture here is of a giant pink blob about to engulf a sun, but very nicely in sort of the foreground are the shadows of the Legion, including Ferrolat holding that weird bomb that was used to destroy it. And, you know, this is just a huge story in Legion history. Um, it was a story I first read in one of the digests of the Legion, uh, and so that's where I discovered all of this, and I just absolutely love it. Especially, I think, it just made Ferrolat such a, a great character. In that other story, the uh, Legion destroys this planet that's making a Sun Eater. It turns out that a controller was making that Sun Eater to destroy Tyr's sort of war world, and so that controller ends up taking those five Legionnaires, sort of kidnapping them and forcing them to defeat Tyr, which is another story told uh, in that series. Right. And then the, the Sun Eater would come back, you know, that story with Ferrolat or, you, you know, having to sacrifice someone comes back again and again in the DC universe. So you've got a, uh, you know, the time and again, literally the, the, that title for Superman, uh, the, the Superman storyline where he bounces across time. Time and again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, time and time again. He gets to do to replay that with a later Sun Eater attack uh, with the, like, the 80s Legion. And then uh, a, their final night is also a Sun Eater in our contemporary times, a feral lad from our time, also sacrifices himself, almost sacrifices himself to save Superman from having to, to put that bomb in there himself. And then that's the story in which Hal Jordan sacrifices himself when he's parallax, you know, saves saves the Earth in the process. So every time the Sun Eater shows up, you kind of have to fear for anyone who looks remotely like Parallax, but um, it may not it may not be his turn. So it wasn't his turn in Final sure. Night. Uh, I, I got to say, yeah. Final Night, I absolutely love that crossover from 1996. It's one of my favorite of the DC crossovers from the 90s. Uh, Stella from the Background Oracle podcast, she and I spent far too long talking about it a couple months back about Final Night. Love that story. Now, the Sun Eater entry does prove <laughs> one thing, was that Gene Roddenberry was reading the Legion of Superheroes, believe it or not, because th- I had to look it up uh, while Cisco was talking. This issue, the first appearance of the Sun Eater, predates the Doomsday Device episode of Star Trek, the original series, by one year. So, pretty sure oh. this must have inspired the Doomsday Device episode. <laughs> had to be, right? <laughs> it, yes. it must. It must. And it, it's also kind of, it's V'ger as uh, well. okay. I think Barbara Kessel's done a very nice job of sort of making the Sun Eater look a little bit like a closing hand. You know, I think I think she did a really nice job of that. And of course, Carl really probably did a lot of the cleanup on this, I gotta assume. Yeah, it's fun. It's part of the tradition of giving uh, writers or editors uh, a turn at doing some entries, and we've had that across all of Who's Who. At least in this one, they couldn't accuse uh, the, the artwork of getting lost in the mail. Yep. Alright, <laughs> up next is some guy who doesn't belong in the Legion, as far as I'm concerned. Cisco, why don't you take this next, <gasps> next entry? That is a question. Does the Legion work without Superboy? Is it forever a spin-off or is it its own thing and does it need Kal-El? That's a question I'll, I'll put to you guys for after this, but uh, Superboy, Kal-El of Krypton or I should say the Pocket Universe's Krypton at this point, here drawn by Kurt Swan and inked by Who's Who's uh, Who's Who in the Legion's most valuable player, Ty Templeton. Uh, we've mentioned, yeah, well, <laughs> we've mentioned right. before how, un- yeah. Yeah, how unusually great this pairing is, the Swan Templeton uh, pairing, and I, I love that. I, I wish, I wish they'd been you know, partners for all this time, regardless of generation. Anyway, uh, everyone knows Superboy's origin since it's Superman's, but this isn't quite the Superboy who first appeared in More Fun Comics number 101, is it? I mean, he never grows up to be Superman. He's instead in from a pocket universe created by the Time Trapper to manipulate the Legion, who mistakenly thought their inspiration was a teenage Superman 
And so every time the Legion went back in time to see Superboy, it was at Pocket Dimension. And the Superboy who became a member of the Legion was at Superboy. It was a great way to fix Legion continuity post John Byrne, but they screwed it up by killing Superboy upon that reveal, and which is something I've amply discussed on Michael Bailey's inaugural episode of It All Comes Back to Superman. Uh, check it out on some other non-network. Anyway. Views from the Lawn Box is the name of the network. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Is, is the, yeah, okay. Well, if forgetting that we, you know, we sort of needed that pocket universe's pre-crisis continuity to play out entire to patch the holes left by Supergirl and by Superman himself who appear in a large number of, of Legion stories. So if you kill Superboy early on and then that whole timeline is corrupt, it doesn't fix the continuity problem. It only fixes Superboy. Mm. But then there, there's all this other stuff. So uh, I think they didn't go far enough with it with the fix they just wanted to get rid of you know just just let's let's get let's get rid of the litigious superboy as quickly as possible or something yeah so that's a superboy's new story uh so it doesn't mention here how they made him cry or anything so <laughs> that, that's my favorite part well Ange, i'm pretty sure you and i have differing opinions so you want to answer siskoid's question first does the legion need superboy to work oh boy it's such a loaded question you know i i say that the the <laughs> first comics that I ever read were like that Grell era Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, and I think it works great with him, or at least with him existing to be the inspiration. Whether or not he needs to be a team member, I don't know, but I would much prefer him being in the timeline than not being in the timeline. Wow, it was a bit of a hedge, but it was a pretty simple, straightforward answer. Usually this gets a pretty volatile. I was expecting people to throw chairs and pocket protectors, but I, I showed my hand straight <laughs> on. I can't stand Superboy in the Legion, because I, I can't, again... <laughs> I came to the Legion with the fifth five-year-later run, right? So within, what, five issues, even the Pocket Universe Superboy had been erased, I think it was. You know, whatever, however many issues it was when they did that, the reboot there. And Monel becomes the inspiration for the Legion. I, I, I've read some of the older Legion stories with Superboy. I'm never wowed by them. I've never loved them. I mean, Great Great Darkness Saga was pretty amazing. But Superboy wasn't the main feature of that. You know, he wasn't the, what the story hung, you know, hung on. I don't need him. I don't want him. I don't like him. Uh, so I would say absolutely the Legion works without Superboy. I think the Legion works even better. And on the Legion Superbloggers, I did a we did a, a what if sort of posting, basically like how they could have patched post crisis continuity instead. It wasn't an original idea. It's not like I'm the first person who ever thought of this, but I think I took it to like a greater extent, basically saying you could have patched all of the Legion post crisis continuity of Superboy and Supergirl by just inserting Power Girl and having her patch all those holes would have worked actually quite. Quite well, and it, she could have fit both the Superboy and Supergirl roles through the Legion history, and you wouldn't have to worry about any of that nonsense that they kept doing over and over and over, and caused all kinds of continuity nerd fights over the years. Yeah, maybe. You know, I'm I'm with you uh, up to a point because I, you know I started with the Legion in the '80s when he he wasn't a member, like post Great Darkness. So you know, it's like a Silver Age artifact, and when you even when you read the Silver Age stories, very often they are Superman or uh, I mean, Superboy or Superman or Supergirl stories uh, where the, they, they interact with the Legion. Yeah, I still prefer the sort of tales of the Legion where they the supers aren't there. And there's all this all this stuff where if you want Ultra Boy, if you want Mon-El in the Legion, you need all sorts of constitutional rules <laughs> just to fit all these characters that have the same powers. So really, Superboy and Supergirl are redundant in the end because there are characters with their with 
they're with similar powers and even similar backstories somewhere in the Legion. So I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm happier with an Andromeda or Ken Shakespeare mm-hmm. kind of characters than I am with I, I you know I don't need Superboy and Supergirl in the Legion. I don't mind them. I don't think they're necessary either. Yeah, and Power Girl is the great granddaughter of Arion, so she'd be a really crappy. No, 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 no. All right. Trigger. All right. you, you did. You did just trigger me. <laughs> if you go back and reread what I wrote, and not that I expected anyone to have already read it, although you are part of the Legion of Superbloggers. So, um, it was that I proposed that if they had just made her a Daxamite, they could have forgotten all that other nonsense they had to do and plug her in for Superboy Supergirl. I'm sorry. You would have avoided Andromeda. You would have avoided Ken Shakespeare. You would have avoided Valor. You would have avoided, oh gosh, there was other stuff they used to, so many, I, I listed hole after hole after hole. They just kept patching and kept patching and kept patching. And it's like, you know what? This would have fixed all. I mean, obviously it's retroactive and I could see, you know, with hindsight, but still. Anyway, sadly, you know, Superboy gets an entry. Supergirl does not. No, yeah. Sorry, Exactly. And yeah. that was a problem with the uh, return of Superboy and his death, is that they kind of skirted the issue all throughout. They, oh, they've got, oh, Superboy, Superboy's from this pocket universe, blah, blah, blah. And nobody mentions Supergirl, and Supergirl is missing from flashback panels, and it's uh, through that storyline. It's it's aggravating because they've made a change, and but it's a partial change. If, you, if, if Supergirl doesn't exist, why does Superboy have to exist at all? Right. You know, just just say they never existed. But yeah. it's it's this halfway thing that they always do after a crisis where it's changed, but not everything's changed. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> oh, sorry, but, you know, your bathwater's tainted now. <laughs> Continuity nerds everywhere agree with you. So uh, if you just Supergirl's not in here, but if you need more Supergirl, check out a recent episode of the Digest cast where myself, Dr. Ange and some other guy who's bald uh, spend some time going through uh, the Supergirl Digest. So. All right. Up next is the Taurus Gang. Ange, why don't you walk us through this? I'm going to do my best. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Taurus Gang. There is a group page, and then on the subsequent page is sort of individual uh, listings for all of the members. Uh, all of the art by Wynn Mortimer, uh, Shag, your favorite artist. And I will say that the group page looks almost like they were cut out of the original panel that this group were in the book. So I don't know if he drew them fresh or if they just sort of Xeroxed uh, Adventure 374. They have a very convoluted, they have a very, very convoluted uh, story origin. There is a science police officer named Zoltaris who also is a mob boss in the background. He makes, he forms this Taurus gang and using his connections, he sort of uh, is able able to like pick off other gangs and promote them and then finally all of the other gangs decide that they have to eliminate the Taurus gang so they they merge and form the Scorpius gang led by somebody named Jameis Etrachian uh, who is going to try to fight the Taurus gang he comes up with this brilliant idea or really dumb idea I think that he is going to fight this superpowered Taurus gang with his own superpowered team so what does he do he kidnaps all of the legion except five legionnaires to pit those five against the Taurus gang like why not just tip off the legion that hey this is where the taurus gang is um but he goes through the hassle of kidnapping all of these others and then finally the five that remain include dream girl uh she infiltrates the taurus gang uh, pretending to be one of the members uh leads the um other four there they defeat this group and then there's this very strange paragraph at the end where they then get teleported back to the scorpius uh area where scorpius tries to kill them but then they free all of the other legionnaires and they defeat the scorpius guy who's kind of never heard from again a rather convoluted origin unless somebody can tell me better no my note actually says yeah 
overly complicated, and I didn't even follow what you just said. So fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very strange. You know, Russell Burbage and I are doing the who's who entries. We're we're now you know on the Legion of Super Bloggers. We're now covering every character that ever got an entry in uh, Who's Who in the Legion. So even the minor ones and uh, detailing their stories. And we've we've stumbled across a lot of information that we cannot find in the original books. So I think Who's Who in the Legion kind of invents a lot of information sometimes. I, j- sometimes it's just like the real names of the characters. Other times it's full backstory because we can't find any evidence in the books unless it's somewhere else that, that we can't find. And in this case, all these little backstories of, for the Taurus gang – uh, on their own, you know, on the facing page, that doesn't, you know, that's not in their single story. Or I, you know, I, I, I kind of skimmed it quickly, but that's a lot of information on how they were recruited that that's not on panel. Hmm. So, so this is, I think this is one instance, unless I'm very much mistaken, this is one instance of uh, the, 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 the who's who just trying to fill up space with uh, neat little backstories for each of the members, even though none of these members ever, you know, showed up again. And except for Black Mace, I say Black I Mace got a feature in the original Who's Who series, or one of the one of the update Who's Who entries. Yeah, and he he's reappeared. He's even reappeared in the uh, the, the last iteration of the Retroboot Legion. So we've seen Black Mace. Uh, but the others, uh, especially since they don't have great names, <laughs> probably that's yeah. what killed them. I, I do want to say that Quanto here kind of looks like like the prototype for Lazon of the uh, League of Super Assassins. Yeah, totally Look, have that in my notes. Looks the same and, and same, same costume power. and same powers, yeah. And from the same era of the series as well. Uh, so it's, yeah, none of these guys returned except for Black Maze. So I'll say that Miss Delore, who is the female telepath in the group, she kind of has like a beautiful dreamer vibe. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. I see it. I see it. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere in one of the letter columns, somebody said that's who Central Girl was because she's from Titan and people were like, maybe she's trying to like better herself after sort of becoming a criminal. And then hmm. this guy, Shagrek, which looks like a prototype of Shrek. I don't know what he's <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, My notes actually say that it looks like Gil Kane drew it. Look at those eyebrows and stuff. I mean, that looks like a Gil Kane face if I've ever seen one. I mean, he's got an interesting story in that he's like discovered, they think he's an animal they put him in a zoo and then they're like oh actually he's kind of sentient but then they say but it's a dubious sentience because then he goes and like slaughters 40 people with like vaporizing antenna rays so his was the story that I thought was the most interesting but I really don't have much more to say about these guys uh, my only other notes I have is the, we mentioned Black Mace being in, in the other who's who uh, I would say the art in the other who's who was much better than this Black Mace drawing uh, I just remember the, the other one was really really cool the way they used the blacks but either way and then Rogarth if you look at his face that looks looks like a Kevin Maguire face. That art really does. Hmm. Right. Thanks for backing me up, guys. <laughs> yeah. He kind of looked sort of like a standard like D&D paladin type, I think. <laughs> Except for the loincloth. Well, all of this is the fault of a dirty science police chief. So there you go. <laughs> Those dirty cops. All right. Up next are the teachers of Sorcerer's World. Pretty much their name kind of says it all. Uh, they're supporting characters art by Tom Artis and Jim Sanders. I don't remember if we've had any Tom Artis stuff in this uh, Who's Who book yet, but he kind of, at least in our circles, I know him from Secret Origins. And nice to see some of his artwork here. I like his stuff. He's got a real nice kind of stylized stuff. They teach people in Sorcerer's World. They teach them magic. That's what the deal is. Anyway, the only thing that's really worth mentioning here is two of them sacrificed themselves to resurrect High Father during the Great Darkness Saga. 
it's kind of a big deal. And then also there's some mention here how they have taken in the uh, the blank slate, if you will, version of Mordru, and they're training him because nothing bad could come of that at all, I'm sure. No. And someone from Talok 8? Uh, is mm. there? Oh, maybe? Well, well yeah. I, she really looks like uh, another Talokian. Well, they may just have problems with the color palette in this thing. It's possible, too. <laughs> By the way, Legion of Superheroes number 292 is their first appearance. Yeah, they remember the, the baby that turns out to be High Father is found or brought about on that world, yeah. right? Because Darkseid's, uh, the Service of Darkness are trying to steal all the magic from there. And and I thought they were the ones that sort of mind-wiped Mordru, not just accepted. Hmm. It could have been. I, I, I don't know that I've ever actually read that story. Now, this is precursor to the Magic Wars, right? Yeah. Hmm. All right. We're going to move on. Up next is, well, I think his name is Selm, but if you read it next, it's Slen. It's actually spelled two different ways here. <laughs> a fawn. Uh, he's an assassin for hire, and he apparently became quite famous. By the way, the art's still by Tom Artis and Jim Sanders. Uh, he became quite famous as an assassin for hire, well known for his usage of this knife, but he comes from this world that's incredibly superstitious. Well, anyway, there, there's a group of legionnaires that are undercover, and they recognize him, and they actually use his superstitious nature against him to arrest him without ever blowing their cover. Pretty clever on their part. First appearance is Superboy number 225. If Sensei wants to cry here, this guy <laughs> appears. I checked. This guy appears on two pages <gasps> of a backup story. Oh my god. This is not the, this is not the main story in uh, Superboy and the Legion 225. It's it's like the back half story. It's like an untold tale of the Legion. It's like a six page story. He appears on two of those pages. That's it. So he I think he's the he's the worst of the worst here. He's yes. got the least amount of exposure to get a half page. I don't care yeah. how famous they say Sensei's he is. going to crawl the 20 pages to the back and kick his ass. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, coming up next, folks, this is a big one here, one you've all been waiting for. Another main uh, full-page entry, it is TELUS. Ange, why don't you tell us about this latter-day legionnaire? Uh, TELUS is Ganglios from the planet Hycraeus, art here by Greg Lorock and Mike DiCarlo, a sort of standard shot of him wearing his helmet. He comes from the water world or liquid methane world of Hycraeus, and he was one of the few Hycraeans that decided that he would want to leave the world and stop swimming in the Great Mother Ocean. Uh, and experience something new. So he leaves Hycraeus, ends up working as a crewman on a starship, and while there he learns of the Legion and decides that he's going to join the Legion Academy, really hoping to graduate uh, and then set up a similar academy on his homeworld. But while in the academy, Brainiac 5 creates this breathing apparatus for him, which allowed him to be a little bit more free. And so he applied for the Legion when Saturn Girl resigned, was accepted in that class that included Polar Boy, Telus, and Sensor Girl. His powers are that he has telepathy and can read minds and send messages with his mind. He has some telekinesis up to his own weight, but uh, anything heavier than him uh, is a strain, and he weighs 315 pounds. Uh, his abilities are stronger than usual than those of uh, those on Hycraeus. He can swim well, and he looks rather formidable. Uh, the picture is him. He's sort of like a giant yellow tadpole with arms, with kind of like purple scales on his back and he's swimming towards the camera. Uh, his first appearance apparently is in Legion of Superheroes number 304, which is that Academy issue, but he must have just appeared in the background. The first time I truly remember him uh, is in Legion of Superheroes 14 when he joins. And comments uh, about him, I'll say, uh, I chose this entry hoping that I would learn to like him more, uh, but I don't. <laughs> 
He's kind of forgettable. He is supposed to replace Saturn Girl. He's clearly nowhere near as strong as Imra. His telekinesis is uh, kind of, you know, not a great power because he's limited by that weight. He's always talking about this great mother ocean and how he wishes he was able to go back there so he should just go. Um, <laughs> and I think that really uh, he was there because there was this push for non-humanoid legionnaires. Uh, let me clarify some of his appearances. Uh, you're right that he does he does not appear in Legion of Superheroes number 304. He's mentioned and he's not even mentioned by name. I mean, he's, there's a reference to him, but uh, he does appear with the, uh, the at the academy in uh, in uh, Baxter series number nine and number twelve prior to his to his joining the Legion in number fourteen. So uh, you see him like he's on the beach talking with the rest, and you know he appeared a, a couple times, uh, hmm. you know, precursor to to the to that story. That said, yeah, I don't I don't dislike Tellus. I think very often he's badly drawn, which was a problem early on. I always liked these these more alien members of the Legion. I like Tellus, I like Block, I like you know, I even like Quizlet, but you know, only up to a point, I suppose. <laughs> but I did I did enjoy these characters. And he was meant to replace the same way Magnetic Kid was replacing Magnetic uh, Cosmic Boy. Uh, who was, you know, taking a leave of absence or retiring. Saturn Girl was also retiring, so Telus was the new telepath. Right. Plus he had that, you know, extra little little power. It he made sense in that context where you're replacing characters. And Ayla by that time had her lightning powers back so she could replace or she had already replaced Lightning Lab. Well I I've never really read any adventures where he was a dominant character. Because again, I, I joined in the five year later. Telus never appears, or if he does, it's like for one panel or something. Uh, neither did Qu- neither yeah. Quizlet for that matter. So I, I have no frame of reference with either one. So I was kind of going into this like and hoping that, oh, okay, this is going to help me understand the character. And by the end, I simply wrote, what's the appeal? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> other than he's a cool looking alien, which is what has always been the appeal to me. Like, oh, he looks cool. Uh, that's all I got. There's like nothing there. Well, he, he no, no, he does appear in the five year five years uh, later. He's a member of the Dark Circle, which at that point had become a galaxy wide religion. And he's a zealot. He's you know he's he's into that faith, and he talks about it at you know that big. I think it's the in the annual probably where they have like a, a legion reunion on Wynath, uh, and he talks about this you know about his oh, faith yeah. with uh, the other members. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's where. Uh, oh, there's all kinds of kinky stuff going on. That annual, but yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I uh, I had forgotten that, but I mean, again, that's that's about the and even that was only you know a page, maybe two. So it's yeah, like yeah. my exposure to him has been completely limited. And I don't know. Maybe if I read some of the the Latter Day Legion stuff, I'll get into him. But like you, Ange, it's kind of like. Eh. And, and in modern days, he's he was in after the New Fifty Two. He was one of the members in the Legion Lost series. Hmm. You know, no one ever. I, I, I'm totally digressing for a second here. Did you guys ever read the Legion Lost, the first Legion Lost series, the twelve issue miniseries where the Legion were like lost in space on the other side of the world, of the universe? Mm-hmm. That was yeah. amazing. That was so good. By Dan, the Dan yeah. Abnett series. Yeah, the guys yeah. who did Guardians of the Galaxy. I never heard anyone talk about that. Yeah, that was during my ten years out. Uh, I always <laughs> yeah. say it's you good. Know, once once Rock became the time trapper, I was out, <laughs> uh, uh, and it took me ten years to come back. Well, if you haven't read that Dan Abnett uh, twelve issue series, give it a shot. It was good. I enjoyed it. Mm. All right. Up next is another main entry. It is Timberwolf, or uh, as we like to call him, Bryn Londo of Zune, art by Mike Zek. Not that you could really tell, but... All right, so the story here is a little weird. His, his father's a scientist.
scientist and experiment on his son, because if you're a scientist, apparently that's what you do. And it gave his son enhanced strength and agility, but also caused him to go into these feral rages. Then it gets even a little weirder. Then this jealous android that works for his father brainwashes Bryn into thinking that Bryn is actually the android. Now, I have in my notes, what? Complicated? Anyway, uh, and Bryn eventually runs away, thinking he's an android. He ends up going and doing these, even though he thinks he's an android, he's still doing heroic deeds. He calls himself the Lone Wolf. Eventually, he discovers his true origins, and it hooks up with the Legion Academy, and eventually becomes a Legionnaire, and hooks up with Lightning Lass. And at this point, they had just recently had a breakup in a Legion of Superheroes comics, uh, around the time of the Great Darkness Saga, I would say. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, very reminiscent of Wolverine is kind of what this looks like. Now, I believe he probably predates Wolverine, I'm not sure, but this particular costume yep. looks a lot like the one that Dave Cockrum was going to use in Legion of Superheroes, but ended up bringing it over and giving it to, I want to say, Wolverine in the story with the Star Jammers. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure about what story you're yeah. referencing, but, uh, but yeah, Cockrum designed both characters, and, you know, Timberwolf was first, and he had that, he even had that hair, that, that, that Wolverine okay. hair, uh, originally. So they did away with that once Wolverine became really very popular, because uh, they, they sort of knew that uh, they would be called copycats, even though Timberwolf was there before. Because Adventure 327, that's pretty Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yes, yeah. thank you. Personally, I, I loved Timberwolf, and I, don't, I may be the only one who loved him, but I loved him as Furball. No, no. Oh, you like him as Furball? Furball Furball was awesome! (laughs) Yeah, I'll say that it was interesting. You know, you learn he's Timberwolf sort of several issues in. You don't realize that's who he is until there's like one page of him that with like some phases of the moon, he turns back uh, into Timberwolf and then turns Mm -hmm. back to Furball. I wonder how quickly I I knew or I felt that I knew Mm. because he had to be like, this is the Legion. So you sort of feel that it should be one of the characters that's that's it's been mutated. I don't know. I, I feel like I, I knew way before. Well, there was but. definitely speculation, because I remember back then, you know, we didn't have the internet like these wacky kids today, but uh, I remember having conversations with people, you know, speculating what was going on, because it was, you know, there's a lot of mystery in that book, and I remember speculating with different people that that was Timberwolf, long before the reveal. Hmm. So hmm. I guess it was out there in the ether, people were wondering. Now, I, I gotta say, I, I prefer this version here presented to us, or the uh, furball version, much over the, like, werewolf version we got in when he got his own miniseries in the 90s when he came to the 20th century and he's we got the bloodlines guy that rides a skateboard jazz or jam or whatever and yeah 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 that was terrible yeah, terrible and it didn't really it was a thing that it was like sort of a pilot because it didn't pan out and suddenly timberwolf is whisks back to the future and it's like uh, let's just say this never happened kind of thing because it's all like loose 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 ends and who cares let's move it move it along move it along and then, of course, the, the timeline reboots anyways, and we get a reboot t- Timberwolf pretty pretty late in the game. I mean, it, by that time, it is some Dan Abnett stuff. It's uh, Legion Worlds and then the Legion by the time we get a Timberwolf again. Now, as, as yeah. I, keep, I, I keep interrupting you, Angela, I think, but I think this may lead into what you're going to say. As a lover of Lightning Lass, what do you got to say? Yeah, well, I was going to say, he totally blows it, right? <laughs> he had a chance to be with the uh, hottest Legionnaire long-term, uh, and 
and picks the team over her. So that's kind of dumb. Uh, I mean, I, I've never quite understood that. So yeah, but, but they were always know. fighting, and you know, it was a yes. uh, a very volatile, as you might expect from these two correct power sets and personalities, as a volatile relationship. And uh, Bryn was never the sharpest tool in the shed, let's say. <laughs> no, uh, no, so, no. So he wasn't he wasn't very good at relationships, much as he might not have been very good at math or whatever. <laughs> well, I like that that personality you stayed know, consistent though. Like whereas Wolverine eventually became you know not just the world's greatest fighter, but became like a tactician and a leader and a strategist and a teacher, and they they put him through every possible personality trait. Whereas Bryn kind of stayed consistent over the years. Yeah, he um, is in the three boot by the way, but goes by Lone Wolf and is romantically kind of linked to Princess Projector and not Ala. Snake, or is that the other? Uh, no, I'm getting my boots. I'm getting my no, boots. No, no, no. This up. is three boot. This is this is Mark Wade gotcha. um, and Barry Kitson. Gotcha. Well, gentlemen, this is the last entry uh, in in this book in this issue. Uh, any closing thoughts on <laughs> issue six of Legion? Uh, who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? A lot of Talok. <laughs> yeah. I count po- a possible five characters or five entries. You know, Tim's probably like going into some sort of anaphylactic shock just over all the blue, so he's having a hard time with it. <laughs> you know, I think um, Sensor Girl clearly was a huge storyline. The mystery behind her was such a big deal that I really, I really liked that storyline and that character. It really brought the fandom, I think, even closer as people were like firing off guesses. So. Um, I was very happy to cover her. And, you know, that, that, that's cool when you can create a mystery in a comic that genuinely gets the people interested. And it's not just like a, a yawn kind of fest where, like, oh, another mystery, who cares? But one that actually got the fans talk. That's very cool. Yeah. All right, Dr. Ange, I think this is where we say goodbye. Cisco, you hang around. You're going to help me uh, and, and Russell. We're going to get him out of the green room in a minute. Hopefully he's left some of the green M&Ms for the rest of the guests. But Oh, my God. Did, did he take a nap? Because <laughs> I, I really need a nap. <laughs> Sorry. You're going to have to power through, buddy. But for now, Dr. Ange, thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you for all your contributions to Legion Superbloggers. Why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? Well, I'm most active on Twitter at Dr. Ange 70 and then from a blogging point of view, I cover all things Supergirl at Comic Box Commentary, and I am one of the Legion of Superbloggers and this kind of man Fridays uh, since uh, we went live, and I'm not sure when this is coming out. I may be starting something new. <laughs> it's true, mm-hmm. considering how long it's taken us to do <laughs> three episodes. We're now <laughs> And what the uh, as of the time of recording, we're in the eighth month of the year, and still trying to get the third episode of the year out. So sorry about that, folks. But you know what? It'll all be worth it when it's all done. All right, Doctor Ange. Well, we all look forward to finding out what that mystery might be. You're probably doing a Sensor Girl blog because uh, you know there's a mystery there. So <laughs> all right, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you again, folks. We're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, the final issue of Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes. special treat which i can't tell you about yet because it's a secret but it's going to be pretty freaking interesting so so what I, yeah on. let me guess you're the father of I, chameleon boy i forgot <laughs> <laughs> i might leave that in 